Hello, everyone, and welcome to Between the Sheets, episode number 373. I'm your host, Chris Zoner, joined, as always, by my co-host, David Bixenspan. And Bix, this is one of those weeks on the, this week on the show where it's tying up the loose ends as we're filling in the gaps from previous shows. And uh, this, is on, this is only a, a six-day week, but there's a lot going on this week. Yes, there is. We've got... Uh... I don't know if you call it a work shoot. What do you even call what we're going to lead off with? We got a work publicity shoot. stunt. We got kidnappings. We got all kinds of stuff on this week's show. Wait, we have a kidnapping? So, work kidnapping or shoot kidnapping? A work kidnapping. I mean, there's a lot There's a lot on this week's show. So let's go ahead and get started, shall we? As we're doing the week that was September 21st through 26th of 1998. And we begin with... Jerry Lawler and Jim Carrey. What on the surface is a very interesting, excuse me, I mean, this is from The Observer, was on the surface was a very innocuous story, the one that happens all over the world on a daily basis, a pro wrestling angle, actually unwittingly became an ironic and even troubling story, and not because of one of the participants in the angle was movie star Jim Carrey. Sharon Lawler with Carrie playing the role of the late Andy Kaufman reprised in some way the Kaufman angle from 1982, which got Lawler his first taste of national publicity during the film of the movie Man on the Moon on September 22nd. Actually, the angle was being built up all week with Carrie acting like Kaufman during the filming, provoking Lawler, acting like Kaufman had, both as cameras were filming and many times when cameras were off in an attempt to work the extras and probably even at least some of the more naive of those working on the movie. Then, supposedly unscripted, Carrie spit at Lawler, as the story goes, just as Kaufman had done, but it w- wasn't in the script. Lawler chased him, grabbed him in the headlock. Carrie was taken to the hospital. The world was Carrie suffered some sort of neck injury. Came out of the hospital later that day wearing a neck brace, just as Kaufman had done for months. After his angle with Lawler, and was fine for filming the next day. And that he would never work with Lawler again. Not true. It was just go to do more filming in November to reprise the famous Lawler Kaufman angle on the David Letterman show. And all all those scenes would be cut out of the movie. Also not true. There's nothing wrong with a publicity stunt. And since Lawler's life has largely been living in an act for the past 28 years and mastered dual reality angles in real life and in wrestling before the term even existed, and he's one of the masters at it, and Carrie's probably the biggest movie star in the world, no doubt both were able to pull off a very believable work. But still... As the news was covered, not only huge in Los Angeles that night, but as a fairly major news story nationally the next day, Dave's main thoughts were a message on his answer machine from a sports writer on September 23rd, who said after all the coverage that he was embarrassed and appalled at his pre- profession. They had already floated the angle the week before in the National Enquirer, were building it up all week, and many people were working in the film, were privately bragging days ahead of time about what Carrie and Lawler had cooked up as a stunt to gather publicity for the movie. Not to mention, it was very similar to the angle, right down to the mock hospital visit and neck brace, to the angle that the movie itself was portraying. What irony, huh? It was just a few weeks after Steve Austin and Regis Philbin tried to do this almost same exact angle, which nobody, well, except for USA Today, which covered it as if it were a shoot in the gossip column, even bit on. Which must have been a cruel wake-up call to Philbin's ego, to the point even though if itself never acknowledged its existence. Coming on the heels of something very similar with two guys in the movie, recreating something very similar makes the whole thing pretty damn transparent to start with, even if it wasn't pro wrestling, in which you have to be suspicious of everything to begin with. 
The fact the very beginning of looking into the store would reveal people on the movie while not being aware of exactly what was going to happen were well aware of a publicity stunt of some sort was being built up all week. And while there was media outlets who covered it as if there was nothing more than a publicity stunt, they were in a distinct minority. Many didn't even hint of a possibility it could have been staged. USA Today treated it as serious news and even got a quote defending Lawler and the disposition by Vince McMahon. Jim Ross, who worked with Lance Russell doing announcing the wrestling scenes in the movie, appeared as something of Lawler's spokesperson on shows like Access Hollywood Entertainment Tonight the next day. Well, let's watch Entertainment Tonight, shall we? Let's listen to that and uh, see how they were treating it. And comic Andy Kaufman after the reported wrestling mishap on the set last week, which sent Jim to the hospital. Well, now photos have surfaced. The great and Bob Golan. The story of what really happened the day Jim went to the mat for his role. Jim, like, went a little bit too far. He egged him on. These are the first pictures released of Jim Carrey's frightening wrestling accident on the set of his new movie, Man on the Moon. Carrey wasn't seriously injured, and some said it was a publicity stunt. But co-star and producer Danny DeVito was worried. It's not a publicity stunt. It was just... I think it's good publicity, don't get me wrong. But I think that, uh, you know, Jim is probably going to want to look over to the right a little bit more. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> His neck is a little stiff at this moment. And he slammed Kaufman. The irony of Kerry's accident is that the movie is about the late comedian Andy Kaufman, who was injured by the same wrestler, Jerry Lawler, in 1982. Kerry was filming the injury scene when he reportedly spit at Lawler. Jerry's a really good guy. He's a very nice man. And he, they tussled and actually fell out of the ring, I think. And he's fine. Back to work. DeVito says Carrie has been so much like the real Andy Kaufman on the set that it's been eerie. Maybe he just got a little too much in character for the wrestling match. Jerry's an impulsive guy. He's like, you know, as big as that window over there. And I wouldn't want to mess with him. DeVito told us that Jim does have one more scene to shoot with Jerry Lawler, reenacting when Kaufman and Lawler appeared on David Letterman's show after their fight. Also, Jim. Well, Jim Ross went on that piece, so I guess he must have been on Access Hollywood. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't think Entertainment Tonight treated it as some bullshit, you know, some type of um, fake, real thing. I think they treated it basically like it probably should have been treated in, in, in this story. Yeah, they basically were like, obviously people think it's a publicity stunt. They're saying it's not a publicity stunt, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, it's basically not really offering any opinion. <laughs> it's just say here we go. here's what's being said. Here's Danny DeVito, you know, blah 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 blah. So, so yeah. All right, now now superstars <laughs> during our week also talked about this, and they have some of the Access Hollywood stuff as I see here in the in the uh, shot here. So let's go to uh, the September twenty seventh episode of WF Superstars and see how they reported this story. The latest on the Jerry Lawler, Jim Carrey incident. As you all may know by now, our very own Jerry the King Lawler has teamed with Hollywood megastar Jim Carrey in a film portraying the life of the late Andy Kaufman called Man on the Moon. Well, this past Tuesday night during the filming of the final scene, the King and Carrey had an altercation which landed the pet detective in the hospital with a minor neck injury. He was laying on the ground crying. All the medics were there. 
security people came in and they ushered all of us out. They found that there were no major trauma. Mr. Lawler acted unprofessionally and he attacked him. He did not manager. attacked Jim Carrey. Uh, that was a mistruth from uh, uh, Mr. Carrey's representation. Here's what WWF president of New Media Shane McMahon had to oh. say to Access Hollywood. Jim Carrey instigated Jerry the King Lawler after 13 hours and then finally getting spit in your eye. This is exactly what it instigated Jerry Lawler. That was enough. A message to anyone thinking about messing with a WWF superstar? If you play, be prepared to pay. Huh. So we get the president of the new media there, Bix. Shane McMahon. And we got JR being Lawler's spokesperson, which is funny. And yeah, <laughs> that's quite the interesting piece on superstars, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, I the whole the other thing that's so weird about this is that I forget was it in '98 or not till a little later where Lawler starts talking about how it was weird that Carrie was doing this in the first place because '99 the movie okay so it's a little it's it's when they're promoting the actual movie coming out yes that Lawler does the interviews where he's like why why was Jim doing this Andy and I were friends yeah well I think I think all a part of that too was Lawler's trying to. I would. I don't know if I say face is the right word, but Lawler's running for mayor, so I mean he's probably doing this like I don't. I mean I didn't. It, I, I don't know why he's doing this. He like he provoked him, you know. Yeah. That, that way they keep they keep maybe his opponents from coming out and saying you know, I don't know that that Lawler. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's, it, it's all interesting, but um. So anyway. Dave says, great for Lawler and Carrie if they continue the angle, as Kaufman did after Letterman by working many shows in the old Memphis circuit feuding with Lawler, at one point even costing him the uh, world title and famous match with Nick Botwinkle. While it was an age-old disguise finish, it was executed as one of the best finishes Dave's ever seen, and even teaming another time with Lawler against Jimmy Hart and company into something on pay-per-view and on television, and or television. It's great for WF. They deserve credit. That's their job. And for anyone to blanket the media on its coverage, well, that's wrong as well. There's no such thing as a collective thought of media. And people who collectively use those terms as all-encompassing are generally taking the same kind of shortcuts as the wrestlers who rely on shortcuts rather than actually working to get by. The media consists of individuals and numerous decision makers, most of whom don't work together, and most services of whom would make independent value judgments. Although they are often fed similar or the same information, which would certainly be the case on a minor story like this. Although it wasn't covered as a minor story in Los Angeles market, there were those in the media who probably knew the story was bullshit and ignored it. Some who didn't know and were fooled, and that happens. Mistakes from a lack of complete knowledge of a story are mistakes. But that's the only part of the profession, and, that, and that's part of life that can never change. An honest mistake on this story may be very naive, even stupid, but it's not unethical or a breach of trust. Some who assumed but didn't know for sure, and that's a tricky one to handle because you can't prove it. It involves a big movie star, and people were talking about it a little in the real world, and how they play it is a little harder. But the most disheartening of all are the ones in this story brought this home to bear who did know what it was and chose to not let, let the, chose not to let the facts get in the way of a good fake news story. Yeah, Dave was appalled and embarrassed by some of the people in the profession as well, but it did create an interesting irony on Wednesday – Every wrestling fan that called here basically knew it was an angle, and we're laughing about how it was largely being played on their local television. Think about this. I mean, we're, we're in 1998, and Dave is still 
taking phone calls from people at home who are just like BSing with him. <laughs> Hilarious. Most of me, Alice, I called for comments largely assumed it was real, although Dave will say that you know, everyone in the rest of the media background didn't take it seriously for a second. And some there were, there were highly disdainful of the stupidity of the coverage they had seen. Considering how a vast majority of the stories portrayed the wrestling industry and more so the fans who support the industry, that day was interesting irony when it comes to who the real marks were. But as the week went on, it was a bigger story. Oh, excuse me. But as the week went on, a bigger story didn't appear. All the outlets that covered it as straight news as the days went on in the week where it became apparent to everyone it was a publicity stunt. How many of the outlets that first reported the story's factual assault came back and said, we've been fooled. Mistakes happen. But if you can, can't admit to the major ones, today there's no credibility. Boy, is that ring true today. When people jump the gun and report shit and make up, or make up shit or report rumors and then things come out that totally, you know, goes against their original reporting and they never come out and say, oh, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we screwed up. That doesn't happen. You know? Yeah. God knows we've seen that a lot because, I mean, let's look at all the stories that's come out, you know, recent times of like, um, you know, mass shootings or stuff like that, where people automatically think it's, it's a certain type of person that's doing the shooting. And then it comes out that it's completely other type of person that's doing the shooting. Well, and I then mean, the, you never, the- you, you, you never, you never hear that, that the people that are coming out saying that stuff like, oh, my bad. When they're speculating. I mean, yeah, the commonality is not political leanings usually. The commonality is usually more like crimes against women and stuff like that in their past. That's usually well, just, the common link between mass shooters. Or, well, no, just, it's not or at that. least it's, like misogynist stuff online or stuff like that. Well, no, no, I'm just saying it's in general that people have their. Oh, people will jump stuff. the gun and have a narrative. Well, yeah. Well, they have their narrative, their preconceived notion that this must be the person that's, that's doing these actions. Right. Um, but it's I, not all the time. <laughs> I pulled up the uh, very credulous USA Today report. Yeah. Carrie heard an unscripted headlock. <laughs> Jim Carrey went down for the count. Do we have a writer's name attributed to this? Um, the writer's name is uh, Jack Encarnacio's editor character from The Lapsed Fan. Okay. I'm kidding. Uh, Arlene Vagoda. No idea if any relation to Abe. <laughs> uh, went down for the count with neck injuries after the World Wrestling Federation's Jerry the King Lawler grabbed him in a headlock on the set of Man on the Moon, upcoming movie that's based on the life of late comedian Andy Kaufman. The actor-slash-comedian was taken to LA's California Medical Center on Tuesday, underwent tests, and was released that night. He's back on the set today, Wednesday, wearing a neck brace after sustaining minor neck injuries, says Carrie spokeswoman Marleya Leslie. Harry and Lawler were filming the last scene of the movie when the comedian spit on the wrestler. That wasn't part of the, sh- the script, and Jerry attacked him, says Leslie. Which, by the way, why does everyone keep saying it's the last scene of the movie? It's not. It's not. I, I'm pretty sure I read the script online long before I saw the movie, and... That was, I don't think that was ever the last scene of the movie. No. Anyway. Uh, for real? Or was it a publicity-generated stunt, like the kind Kaufman used as part of his shtick? Jim really got hurt, says, Le- says Leslie. A statement released by WWF President Vince McMahon said, 
there's always a chance of an injury when anyone steps into a wrestling ring with a WWF superstar. On behalf of the entire WWF family, I want to wish Jim Carrey a quick recovery. So they do mention the idea it's a publicity stunt, but it's mostly serious. Or taking it seriously. <laughs> well, there's USA Today. Let's get back to today. Mistakes happen, but if you can't make to the major ones, today there's no credibility. At least in 1982, when Letterman was an unwinning accomplice to the Lawler Kaufman angle, he came back on TV later that week and said it had been a publicity stunt arranged for the two, and then he wasn't aware of it at the time. The answer to that question is the only real news story, and quite an unsettling one. As regards nearly every outlet that initially covered the angle, it's a straight news story. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> Letterman wasn't in on that. No. <laughs> and he was pissed. <laughs> no, I mean, I believe the way Lawler tells the story now is what was planned, that they would end up, like, shaking hands and hugging and then lead the crowd and singing what the world needs now is love, sweet love. No, that never. I don't think that ever would have happened. No. But but could, it can feels you see, like no. an Andy bit. Could though. you see Lawler doing that? No, but Did I you think see I don't. Th- I'm not, no, that. I don't think it was ever the actual plan. I think it's what they told Dave. The bit was. Yeah. All right. So we have a letter to the Observer. We're going to read. So uh, who? Someone who was there. I spent last Friday as in Los Angeles as an extra in the audience during the first of three days filming the infamous Andy Kaufman Jerry Lawler match for Milos Forman's Man on the Moon movie. Jim Carrey looked an awful lot like Kaufman, although he looked sort of like a gorilla too. Deliberately slumping his shoulders and neck and sticking out his lips. But he really doesn't have Kaufman down. I should say here that in addition to being a big wrestling fan, I think Kaufman's God. Okay. It was obvious that Carrie was doing Kaufman, not being Kaufman. I was kind of disappointed in his performance. Carrie wouldn't take any bumps. They brought in a stunt double for both the suplex and the pile driver spot. Jerry Lawler was absolutely great. And I don't like Jerry Lawler. I think you could wake that guy up at 4 a.m. and he could play the king. Lance Russell was also great as an announcer. Jim Ross was with him at the announcer's table, but he said nothing that we could hear. Unlike real life, Lawler only gave Calvin one pile driver, not two. Unlike real life, Andy's wife, was he even married at the time, played by Courtney Love, ran into the ring as Calvin was being stretched out. Unlike real life, they combined in, into this one this one scene a few different bits that Calvin really did over a few month period when he was antagonizing the Memphis crowd and building up the match. He did his This Is Soap bit in the ring. He sang I'm the King of Memphis, I'll Not Lawler Out song, etc. All the things he really did, but none of which he did in real life during the match. About 85% of the crowd, about 3,000, even knew who Andy Kaufman was, who Jerry Lawler was, or anything about pro wrestling. They were there to be in the movie, and because they knew Carrie and love. They were actually booing Lawler and cheering Andy just because it was Jim Carrey until Foreman told them, You are in Memphis! Jerry Lawler was like a god in Memphis. You do not boo the god of Memphis. The god of Memphis. Once the audience knew this, they gave really good reactions to what was going on. The ring entrance were very well done. Mondo Guerrero was announced as the referee. Not sure if it was Mondo Guerrero. He looked like an old-timer wrestler. But somebody there said it was really Judo Jean LaBelle, and I'm not sure. <laughs> okay. Lawler had pasted that stupid goatee on he wore in those days. He had to keep pushing it back on his chin to make sure it wasn't falling off. They shot the same scene ten times. Single introductions, different angles, straight through until the suplex, the stretch scene, the stunt double taking the bumps. The Los Angeles Grand Olympic Auditorium was dressed up with lots of Mid-South Coliseum and USWA banners up. 
And there was no USWA in 1982. I'm surprised he's not pitching about that. Carrie kept provoking both Lawler and the fans even when they weren't filming. Finally, during a break-in filming, did a spot where the ref catches Carrie. Lawler tries to drop kick Carrie, and he got it really high and threw a great drop kick. But Carrie slipped out, got the ref, and, na- and the ref got nailed. Fans got in that spot, but I actually heard a fan behind me say, that was fake. Let me repeat that. On a movie set, during a break from filming a pro wrestling scene involving a long-since dead man, a person actually said, that was fake. After all the filming was over and we were being thanked for being the best group of extras that we've ever worked with, and don't think that isn't going on my resume, Carrie attacked Lawler, hitting him with some really sad-looking forearms. Lawler broke up and was sort of laughing and pretending to be confused. Lawler put Carrie down, then climbed to the top rope and dove pretty far across the ring. It was a small ring and used his fist drop. Carrie sold it well. The assistant director was acting like the whole thing was a shoot, saying that you never know where real life ends and fantasy begins. Then I just heard that Lawler supposed to attack Carrie for real after Carrie spit at him. I'm sure if it's a work, as people as associated with the movie were telling us, if you thought the filming was crazy, wait until you see what Lawler and Carrie have planned to promote the movie. They do angles like this every week in wrestling, but this time since a star is involved, it gets mainstream press. When the press finds out this is all the work, they'll probably write more articles about what dopes wrestling fans are. But I'm sure most wrestling fans knew what it was, and it was only the mainstream media that ever took it serious in the first place. Signed, Mike McNulty of San Francisco, California. So what do you think, Vix? I mean, it's somebody that was there with their uh, first-hand account. I mean, what are you asking? I mean, what do you, th- what do you think of, of what he's talking about, what he's, what he's seeing? Compared to, you know, what what we've been hearing in the stories. It seems to match up more or less, I think. It seems, I, I don't think there's any big discrepancy, is there? No, but it's just, it's crazy to think that that so many people were, were falling for this being a shoot when it's so obvious what it was. Yeah. You know? um, I guess now's the time we go to the relevant portion of the Netflix documentary. Yeah, so let's go to the Netflix documentary on uh, this, and uh, well, not just this, but the whole Carrie Kaufman th- deal here, and uh, let's see what happened on that, shall we? What's the name of the documentary again? It's uh, Jim and Andy: The Great Beyond on Netflix, which I have not seen. I just queued it up to where we're clearly at that day of shooting. Hi guys, how are you? Very nice to me. So Lawler's saying before they even start shooting as they're getting ready, don't start trouble and there won't be any. Yeah. And Jim Carrey is very obviously in method acting I am Andy mode. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Elvis called, he wants his shit back. <laughs> At that point, it was, it was not me, you know, it was not me. I was not making choices based on what Jim does. I was making choices based on what Andy does. But that's not how he was with Lawler in real life. <laughs> and Andy does, Andy does the choice that makes you want to leap. Global Wrestling Federation I guess I'm thinking about what Andy was really like, and, and, and 
as far as I can remember, it was like he was very well mannered. I mean, he he always referred to me as Mr. Lawler, that sort of stuff. He, I mean, uh, Jim Carrey's coming up behind me, doing all this kind of stuff, shoving me. Okay. After side suplex, you'll gentle put it down. Okay? He got me upside down, he got Andy upside down, and then he put him down. They'll know it when they see the cut. It's like, stuntman, enter now. Yeah, no, because they're pretty savvy audiences today. They, they are savvy. Can... Um, something to note that I noticed uh, when they were showing the shooting the actual scene um remember the stories from the time about how a lot of the extras told that they were supposed to be in memphis had some very interesting southern stereotypes and came in wearing like bib overalls and straw hats and stuff you can see yeah, that... you can see someone playing a fan waving around a straw hat that they brought with them. Yeah, but the, I mean, we I mean, you just had that stuff in that one extra who said that they were had to be told that they're hey, you're in Memphis. <laughs> well, they don't know that Lawler is the king of Memphis. They just know they were thinking of their southern stereotypes. Anyway. Oh, uh, okay, I got you. Okay. Spot a stuntman of mine. And he came down. They said the insurance companies weren't going to have it, and they were going to shut down production, and they were going to do all these things. I'm not really okay. I feel like I'm being duped. Oh, come on. I'm doing it. Oh. You think I'm kidding? You think it's a bit? No, it's not. I'm, I'm going to do it. Whether the cameras are rolling or not, whether they're set up for it or not. And that's when all hell broke loose, when Andy started accusing him of being a, an establishment player and a guy who's afraid of the insurance companies and afraid to do something outrageous and afraid to be an artist. And... I think, you know, he'll be primed and ready. I know how to ring his buttons. Push him. thinking as an actor in my head how far should I take this you know how far would Andy take it it's not okay I'm doing my job no one knew my people didn't know if I was hurt my managers didn't know if I was hurt no one knew very disappointed. Uh, Mr. Lawler, who is a professional wrestler, we felt acted unprofessionally. There's a small swelling of his left external phytomastoid muscle. Now, we had reports that uh, Jim Carrey had somehow egged on Lawler, perhaps had spit in his face. Well, he did spit in his face as Andy had done years ago in Memphis. So Jim playing Andy 
performed as Andy in What Happened Years Ago. Carrie was shooting a scene was playing for comedian a Andy Kaufman. This was a wrestling match with a crowd of extras in the audience. Uh, Jim Carrey is refusing to ever work with Jerry Lawler again. They just almost tumbled into each other and became a piece. <laughs> and it's like on the news, the real news. For those of us that remember him, it is a little Kaufman-esque, isn't it? Mm -hmm. It really is. We'll see. People uh, in one town... You don't need the real guy. Oh, it's know that there are movie cameras present, and you're just doing... I don't know. Look at this. spitting out of off camera? Oh, just like my They're up on the fences. They're up on balconies in the apartments. Is there ever a moment in there where, where Jim sneaks back in and there's like feeling of like responsibility or like guilt or? Yeah, there's feelings of guilt, feelings of like, did I go too far? Did I, ooh boy, that, uh, that was a lot. I hope I don't get in trouble. I, should I tell them? Should I tell people? Should I not tell people? And I probably should never have told people, but I, I don't know. I'm not the same personality as Andy. Andy would never tell you. Get him on the stretcher. Okay. I'll say this much. Lawler does look a lot more legit hot at him after the spitting than he did up to that point. <laughs> yeah. And I understand why. What if, I'm, what, if somebody spit on you? I mean, I'd be fucking pissed. I mean, it's possible <laughs> that they knew they were going to do something and Lawler didn't know he was going to spit on him, too. Yeah, I mean, spitting on somebody, that's a different thing altogether. Yeah. I mean, you just don't spit on somebody. Yeah. But that was interesting. It was interesting to see the actual footage. <laughs> it was interesting to see the whole thing, how, yeah. you know, how everything was being done and how much into Jim Carrey was being Andy Kaufman. Yeah, I'm kind of curious to see the whole thing now. I mean, that's pretty wild. I mean... Even if something is, you know, like that, you can't be working your management. No. It, I also I mean, love the sh I also love the shot of Lance Russell walking around ringside, just looking all ah, come on now, Jim, why are you doing this? <laughs> I mean, it's just you can't be working your management because I mean there. They're trying to take care of you, look what's best for you. And if you got your manager going in the media out there, you know, talking that junk, and he thinks you're really hurt or something, you know, I don't know. So and then, here's the Lawler, Letterman, Kaufman deal here. Yeah. Which, okay, let me go back a bit and see this again. Because, okay, tell me if you see what I see. To me, at least from the, you know, camcorder documentary camera angle, it looks like Lawler deliberately hits Carrie with a short slap he won't see coming. Right. <laughs> yeah, he didn't wind up on it, you know? Yeah. Because if you tag someone with, like, that's that's a cheap shot if you, you're not winding up. You can be expecting a slap, maybe, but you're not necessarily going to be ready for it. So this, I mean, was there was never even a story that they actually blew up, though shooting the Letterman thing, right? For the no. movie. So. Just, 
All right, so now do, do we want to go to the Lawler uh, podcast? Thing, so, so Lawler talked about this on his podcast he did with Glenn Moore. You mean the uh, – since uh, – how would we describe him with Glenn Moore? The uh, disgraced Glenn Moore? I guess. Along with the disgraced and, Jerry Lawler. <laughs> and um, they talked about this situation, and here's what Lawler had to say about it. And you got to do it twice because you did it for the uh, Man on the Moon movie. You kind of re- reenacted it. Oh, Letterman yeah. was there, and you had. Did you actually slap Jim Carrey? Was was that, was that a stunt double? No, I actually got to slap Jim Carrey. I honestly slapped Jim Carrey harder than I slapped Andy Kaufman, if that was possible, <laughs> because Jim Carrey, Jim Carrey had gone out of his way to make life uh, miserable for me while I was filming the movie on the moon. And so uh, apparently what Jim forgot was the fact that we were shooting scenes and sequences out of order. And the last thing, uh, the last thing, I guess they say for last because of David Letterman's availability, but the last scenes that we shot for the movie with Jim and I together was the Letterman's was the Letterman scenes in New York. And so uh, I, I'm sure that when he, when he, when we got to, when we got to New York, he presented me with this really nice, North Face jacket and and a couple other gifts and things like that. I guess trying to make amends for the fact that he had been such a such a jerk during the filming. Uh, but it, it all of those gifts didn't didn't sway my opinion of him. So when it came time for the slap to come around, man, I I unloaded on him, knocked him right out of the chair, and I think he was he was a little woozy there for a little bit. And when he finally got up to his feet, he was holding the side of his head and he looked out at the director Milos Forman and he's. I hope you got that because in one take because I certainly can't do that again. So that was a one take. <laughs> that was a one take shot. What did Jim Carrey do that that pissed you off? Well, apparently, uh, you know, during during the filming of the movie, Jim um, he he really wanted uh, he really wanted to play this part. I mean, he really wanted of Andy Kaufman. I mean, real bad. He and they, you know, when they were casting for the movie. Um, there's several, you know, several people want to play this part of Andy because Andy was like a cult hero to a lot of, you know, to a lot of comedians. And so uh, when Jim Carrey won the role, he he wanted, I don't know, it was just something, I don't know if you call it method acting or what it was, but he really, uh, like, uh, some people were saying he was trying to, like, channel Andy Kaufman's actual you know character and his persona he he was so into this playing this part that you never saw him on set with without being completely in makeup uh you know he came he came to the set already as andy kaufman he left as andy kaufman during the entire shooting of all the scenes everyone had to refer to him as andy if you called him jim or jim carrey he wouldn't even respond. Even the director, Milos Forman. Now, I mean, you know, this is guy one of the most famous directors ever. Directed One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, um, uh, and and the producer Michael Hausman. Everybody had to refer to Jim Carrey as Andy. Uh, it was it was just and and apparently, Jim thought that Andy and I were really bitter enemies, and so he, he you know all all through the filming. Um, all, uh, during all the scenes, he would do just d- do different things that would that would uh, you know try to try to tick me off. And I mean, he threw a bottle of Gatorade and busted it right at my feet, splashed it all over me the first day of we were out there. Uh, I, went, I went around and went around and uh, taped a 
the whole uh, scene one day with Danny DeVito and, and several other things. The, the, the scene where we were in Danny's uh, or, or the Andy's manager's office where he told us he didn't think we should work together anymore. Uh, at the end, at the end of the filming, uh, somebody said, "Hey, you got something on your back." And and I looked over at him, and he had a, like his big smile on his face. And I reached around, and he had he had come up, patted me on the back earlier, like an hour beforehand, and he stuck a sign on my back that said Hulk Hogan wannabe. And uh, I was wearing this thing around during the during the whole filming of the you know that that scene. Didn't realize it. So he just you know he was just, one time he threw some he threw eggs at me as we were uh, walking. Uh, walking down like a the, the sidewalk, he was already inside the building where we we're going to shoot a scene, and and all of a sudden these eggs started breaking at our feet. And I look up, and here's Jim Carrey like up on the third floor, leaning out the window, throwing you know throwing raw eggs down at me, trying to hit me with eggs. So he just did he just did a lot of things. He went so far to the point where I finally went to Milos Forman, uh, and I said, Has this guy even read the script? Does he not realize? That Andy and I were actually friends, you know. I mean, what what is wrong with him? And so anyway, that 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 just kept playing out all through the all through the scenes until it was time for me to do the Letterman scene and actually slap the taste out of his mouth. And then he was uh, he was all Mr. Nice Guy after that. Well, there you go. I think that explains everything. <laughs> As Lawler storytelling goes, he does sound more honest than usual. Yeah. Well, he's not... He's not... He's not being Jerry the King Lawler, and this isn't involving wrestling. Yeah, that makes sense. This is something that's completely different from wrestling. Yes. So he's not trying to protect a business or whatever. Yeah. So... Well, I mean, I guess we'll never really know. Will we? So, I, my best guess is that it's something, like I said earlier, they were going to do something, the spitting was not planned. Yeah. I think it's somewhere in the middle like that. Yeah. Alright, let's go to the World Wrestling Federation proper now. And while this is not official, Doug's expected to add more television taping starting in November, which will lead to Sunday Night Heat being live every other week. And begin tapings for the long talked about Super Astro Spanish language show on Univision. The idea is proposed as a starting on November 1st in Austin, Texas, when WF has taping scheduled already on Mondays and Tuesdays. The Sunday show will also become a television taping. There are no definite plans as to what shows will be taped on what nights, although the basic idea, if this goes through, is that Heat will air live on November 1st and be taped along with Super Astros. November 2nd, Houston will air our live Raw. November 3rd in Dallas will first tape the uh, November 8th Heat show and then tape the November 9th Raw show. So the two big shows, Heat and Raw, will be taped in chronological order. Shows like Shotgun Super Astros will be taped during the three-day tapings, but it isn't definite as to when at each taping. Heat already airs live once a month as a lead into the pay-per-view shows. Well, the Univision is already running promos for Super Astros, which was originally scheduled to debut a week ago. There's no definite starting date for the 30-minute show, but if all this goes through as planned and there are still channels for approval that haven't been finalized, the show will probably debut in November. If these changes go into effect and memos have been sent out internally at Titan stating this is how things are going to be done starting in November, although it would mean November 29th in Philadelphia and December 27th in Mass Square Garden was switched from being regular house shows and instead become live editions of Heat with other tapings being done. And Shotgun would be taped uh, before Raw and uh, Super Astros 
I think it's always on the heat tapings. While there are separate heat tapings, yeah, because like I knew, yeah. the, um, like I remember the episode because it had a separate, different entranceway. Uh, the episode of Heat that has DX versus Kai and Tai, I remember, was also a Super Astros taping. Yeah, but I don't think they do a lot of Heat specific tapings. We'll see every other week or something at the, at the beginning. Yeah. But I don't think, and then, and then when they're the previews, it's, it's already you know there anyway. So basically, I guess if you think about it like that, they're they're doing previews once a month at this time, correct? Yeah. Aren't they doing? All right, so they're doing monthly pay per views. So that basically means one live heat a month on a full week month. One dedicated heat taping. Yes. So yeah. But anyway, changes coming to the taping schedule of World Wrestling Federation. All right, let's go to Monday Night Raw. And the Torch has our report for this. Because they didn't have much of anything. Rocket by Via came to the ring and joined Ken Shamrock, Mankind, and Vincent Mann to start the show. Shane McMahon and Jim Cornette were on commentary because Ross and Lawler are filming Man on the Moon. So what an announced team for Raw. Shane O'Mac and Cornette. Said Vince called them all together. Vince warned Austin about oh, coming out. Oh, wait a second. That's the, that's the Heat announcing team, Chris. Yeah, I know, but I'm saying, what an announced team that is. Well, yeah. Uh, Vince warned Austin about coming out as Kane Undertaker, come out on the rampway. But man, that's Austin. And a volunteer would face Kane and Undertaker in the TV main event. He advised the men in the ring not to team with Austin because he said they would be doing battle in a triple threat match later to determine who would be the number contender and receive the title shot next Monday on Raw. My man guaranteed a new champion in the pay-per-view and volunteered to be the special timekeeper next Monday night. Alright, so uh, next we have Badass Billy Gunn against Jeff Jarrett, Double J. And Billy wins at 727. Road Dolls, to put out the throat injury from last week, held up a cue card so Gunn could do the Outlaws intro. <laughs> uh, no one's allowed to ringside. Good matches, both guys worked hard. Jarrett brought in his guitar, but the ref took it away, enabling Gunn to hit a neckbreaker for the win. Shane and Corner introduced themselves at the rest of the show. Michael Cole asked Vincent Mann if he knew who would possibly volunteer the team of Austin against Kane Undertaker. McMahon smugly said he didn't know. Austin came to the ring and hyped this match at Breakdown. He talked about the special Roman man added, called it bullshit, and said, Don't expect Austin 316 to show up, but what you can expect is Austin 666. After the break, they showed Undertaker and Kane arrive in the arena earlier in the day. Kane wore a plain black mask. What are your thoughts on? On, in this time period where Kane would do that stuff, where he would not have his gimmick mask, but wear a different type of mask as he's entering the, you know, coming from the parking lot or whatever in the building. Like when he'd have a towel or a ski mask or... Yeah. Uh, I thought it took away the mystique a bit to do it that way. I, I get what you're saying, but I think it makes it more real. It does. Because okay. why would he be wearing his gimmick mask in the public? Let me pull this up. So where in the show is this as I'm looking at the it's, network? Well, you got the gun, the Billy Gunn, Jeff Jarrett match, Austin promo, and then the Satchel Austin. Okay, so so before the Headbangers uh, segment is where I'm looking. Okay. Okay, I see the... Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Let's see. As I second screen you. Check out the R-E-S-P-E-C-T. Yeah, there you see Undertaker and Kane arriving earlier today. Well, they're giving them a wide berth. When these two walk through a crowd, it's like Charlton Heston parting the... Hey, it's Christopher Daniels. Daniels. 
Yeah. So yeah, Kane is wearing a ski mask with a towel on it. Christopher Daniels with hair. Well, this is better than the when he gets the blood test, I feel like. Yeah. This this holds up better. Let's see, Shane. And uh Robert Thompson as well. Yeah, Robert Thompson. You, you mean the president of the NRA NRA was that where did they pay this? dabbled in it? San Jose. Yes. Uh, so And Dave was not there. Well, he didn't have a report for for this. Maybe he reported on in the previous observer the there live. I don't know. I didn't look. Um, a couple of jobbers scurried together away. <laughs> Daniels and Robert Thompson. Right. The Hitbangers were supposed to wrestle the, the oddities. Both teams came out the Hitbangers dance with Golga, Silva, Kurgan, and Luna while shooting Crazy String. Hitbangers turned on the oddities, spraying the Crazy String in their eyes, and beating them down. They ripped up Golga's carpet doll. Propped and Shane to say it's not who killed Kenny, it's who shredded Cartman. They choked that goal go when they're kilts and left the oddities lying. Michael Cole interviewed Undertaker and Kane. Undertaker said, Austin, you shoot so much venom, I think it's affecting your mind. He told Austin he should stop running his mouth so much and make his final arrangements. Poor oddities. <laughs> but they got South Park over to the wrestling fans. That may not have been watching South Park. You know, because I remember, you know, um, people ask me, what, what is, what is those characters at the oddities? <laughs> or, uh, what, 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 who are that? I said, that's uh, the cartoon South Park on Comedy Central. Oh, I've never heard of that show. So <laughs> Matt, <laughs> Matt and Trey should thank, uh, thank WBF and WWE for, uh, give really spotlighting them in that way. Yeah. Uh... I mean, they got their merchandise on television and got uh, exposed them to a, an audience. I mean, it was already a highly rated show pretty much from the beginning. But This is the beginning. I, I mean, know. I, with, I mean, from like the first week or two. Well, when did they premiere? It said 98. Um, let me see. So South Park started... I'm looking, I'm looking. August 13th. Oh, 97. August oh, no, 97. 97. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, so we're... Yeah, so yes, we're in okay. the second season. Yeah, that's right. Because I remember... Yeah, because it was already a thing... Yeah, but it, I didn't start. I, I didn't it. start watching it until after the first season myself. Mm. I got to. I had to get caught up. Well, there was the whole "Who is Cartman's father" thing. That's yeah. that's where I started watching it. Yeah. But the very first episode of South Park I ever watched was not without my anus, which is still to me one of the greatest episodes in the history of that show. <laughs> Amazing. Wait, which one? I, uh, oh, oh, the. Uh... Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the Terrence and Philip thing from April Fool's Day that aired instead of who was Carpenter. Amazing. They got, people were so fucking pissed at that. Oh my God, that was perfect. <laughs> Matt and Trey were geniuses. And Terrence and Philip, amazing. I still have my Terrence and Philip uh, dolls on, on uh, one of my big shelves out here in my room. Jacqueline beat Sable at 250 to win the vacant WF Ladies title. Not bad. Mero, Mark Mero, Jackie's head cheerleader, trips Sable as she was suplexing Jackie for the finish. Does that mean Mark Mero is getting a t-shirt that says Mark 469? I just licked your ass. <laughs> eh, it could work either way, Bix, you know, in the 69 position. Well, that was the... Anyway, let's keep going. <laughs> Undertaker and Kane beat Steve Austin and Billy Gunn in 832 when Undertaker pinned Gunn. 
Before the match, they shoved Mr. McMahon and his cronies in the back, eagerly anticipating the match as Austin made his way to the ring. When Gud came out, McMahon flipped, asking, what the hell is this? I take care of Shamrock and The Rock, and even Mankind and you guys, Briscoe and Patterson, can't take care of this? His tirade was hilarious. Gunn got in some good offense on Undertaker and drew a nice pop. Austin tagged in, was pounded by Kane. The road and injuries may be taking their toll on Austin, whose physique isn't as cut as it once was. Billy Gunn came back in and took a pounding from Kane and Undertaker. Austin broke up several of Kane's pin attempts. Gunn finally got the hot tag for a thunderous pop. Austin came in and cleaned house up of Undertaker and Kane. He went for the stunner on Undertaker, but was pushed away right into Kane, who hit stunner on in a nice spot. Undertaker broke up the attempt, and Austin Kane went outside. Ruffles bumped when Undertaker threw Gun into him. Undertaker caught Gun and choked Slender for the win. Even though Austin was a legal man, afterwards Austin hit Undertaker and Kane with good chair shots. Billy deserves something like this, but this would have been a nice spot for Bart Gun after his brawl for all success. And you know what? Given the timing, he's absolutely right. Yeah, this is J- and this isn't Wade. This is Jason Powell. Okay. And uh, yeah, I mean. Considering, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because all finals was the night after SummerSlam. Yeah, I mean, I get why they would give Billy this spot, because it's Billy Gunn. But Bart should have been this spot. They could have made Bart in this way. Yeah. Why do you think they did, they they were hesitant to do anything with Bart Gunn? Charisma? I think so. Yeah. All right, Southern Justice. That's old Texas Shanghai. Uh, fought DOA with Paul Oil Ring to an apparent no contest when Double J came to the ringside and bashed Paul with his guitar in 215. Not sure what happened. His both teams just left. Who knows? Michael Cole asked Mr. Man backstage if he was surprised someone volunteered earlier. Man, man said he's never really surprised, but he was disappointed. He said he wasn't responsible for what would happen later. Hmm. Well, next... We have a man's man. Let's go to the clip. Should I preempt it with Not Without My Anus? <laughs> no. No sensitive skin-foaming gels. No jewel-gliding twin-blade action. Lesser men flick their fancy shicks. This man goes rugged when it comes to eliminating stubble. He's Stephen Regal, a real man's man. It's the wrong gimmick. Yeah. You know, I mean, because we had seen Steven Regal's Lord Steven Regal in WCW. And to go this far against that character, that's why this never would have worked. It just didn't fit. And the thing is, Regal still looks like Lord Steven Regal. Yeah. I think if you're going to do this, you need to have a guy who looks rugged. You know? Regal is yeah. not rugged looking. No. He's rugged in the ring, but he doesn't look rugged. I mean, it doesn't help that he's probably summed up half the time, too. That's his point. Yeah, but that doesn't affect his looks, as far as, like, his like his hair. No, but... <laughs> it... You want a guy that has, that has kind of bushy hair, something like that? You want a guy that looks like I'm a guy who would be out in the woods. <laughs> Not regal. <laughs> you know, a, a brawny paper towel mascot uh, archetype of wrestler. They, uh, they could have that role to Bart Gunn. Have Bart Gunn <laughs> grow a beard, or does he even? I mean, clean shaven. He, he doesn't really need to. Yeah. yeah. 
All right. Um, Al Snow beat Sardar Slaughter in a boot camp match in 616. Slaughter jumped show while he was given his head stick at ringside to start. Slaughter dominated the first couple of minutes until Snow got Slaughter's belt and whipped his back with it. Snow grabbed the chair and swung at Slaughter, but Slaughter ducked and hit Snow at the ring post. Slaughter got a hold of the chair and nailed Snow with it, but Snow smiled at Slaughter as he fell to the ground. Slaughter covered him for a near fall. After Snow missed the moonsault with a chair, Slaughter caught him in the Cobra Clutch. Snow got a hold of the head and nailed Slaughter in the groin, breaking up the Cobra Clutch. While both men were down, Slaughter took off his boot and swung it, but Snow ducked. Snow nailed Slaughter in the head with head and scored the pin. Briscoe and Patterson ran in and pounded on Snow until Scorpio made the save. What a show this is. After the break, Cole interviewed The Rock, who stayed in heel mode. Well, he's a heel. <laughs> um, next, we get Val Venus against Owen Hart, which Val won by DQ in 231. Dustin Runnels joined in on commentary. Before the match, Val told a dud joke about the president and cigars. Naturally. Shane and Cornette kept asking Runnels how he could sit and listen to the insulted comments from Val. Runnels responded by saying Val would burn in hell and added that he was a changed man. Once Owen had Val down, Runnels ran in for the DQ. Val fought him off and Runnels ended up caught in the ropes. And that's where we're going pick to pick this up and go to the clip. So is this the week the Star Report came out? At least that it was taped? Uh, I mean, it's, it's a story. So the least thing is a story. Quick. Um, it was September 9th. Yep. Ken Starr just died as well. Oh. Week before we record this. Yes, he did. Dustin! Dustin! Here we go! Dustin's in the ring! I guess... Jibragas. What a weird camera angle. Yeah. Okay, like the camera resting on the Mac, kind of? Okay. Dustin's had enough! Well, did you see that? Up. He waited until Owen Hart had the advantage. He waited until Val Venus oh, was please. flat on his back and couldn't defend the fans are cheering Val. Miscalculation on Dustin's part because Val Venus, he's got a little bit more fight in him than I think Dustin thought he had left. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Dustin's in a world of trouble now. I tried to get Dustin to fight the guy, but I didn't mean to jump him from behind while he was fighting somebody oh. else. Turn the other cheek, Dustin. Well, I- Turn the other cheek. That's a little strong. Who's our balding referee here? Corderas. That's Dustin, right. Dustin, Dustin, Dustin. You stuck your nose in my business, and just last week, you paid the price all the while your wife reaped the benefits. Oh, man. <laughs> well, well, that's strong, too. I don't know. This is the, sec- this is the second week of this, I guess. And you know something, Dustin? Oh, yeah, I guess. Every single solitary. I actually felt a little sympathy in my heart for you. See, that was a compassionate guy. And then you go and pull a stupid stunt like this. It wasn't thought out too well. Dustin. Strike to hell! Have you you ever witnessed your wife... Experiencing real orgasmic pleasures. (laughs) We need to get both these guys out there. Well, then, let me introduce you to my latest video. Oh, yeah, we're gonna see another video. 
Okay, so the bit here is not that we don't know it's happened yet, it's that he's going to make him watch it. And Shane McMahon's very excited about this. Something about Terry. <laughs> I, I can't keep there's this something about Terry. film straight. Justin, don't take all this so personally. You know, I was considering a reconciliation, but I changed my mind. Let's just say Val is a much bigger man than you. They know we've seen Dustin Rhodes in trunks, right? <laughs> wow. <laughs> Sorry, baby. Little kitty cat isn't under the covers. But don't worry, I'll keep on looking. <laughs> we'll take a chapter from Howard Stern's Private Parts movie, Blank Ludo. And Dustin, just to let you know, I never did find that kitty cat. Oh, but oh man, your wife's vittles. We're so tender. Oh, man. Man. That man's got a lot of personal problems because Dustin Runnels and Val Venus is not making it any better. And those two, are, they're going to meet at Breakdown in your house this Sunday, one-on-one. I, I, I'm lost as to what his euphemisms were switching to and from. <laughs> She has some tender vittles, Bix. <laughs> but you understand where I'm going with this, right? Well, see, he's not writing it. <laughs> I, oh, it's Russo. Okay, you, that's your point. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> yeah, it's Miss Russo writing this, Bix. Think about it. <laughs> so he's... What, is he, what does Russo think that line means? Because <laughs> does he realize that he went... He's saying Valminus is doing one thing, and he's like, "No, he's not doing that. He's actually doing the same thing." That's the only way I was able to read. <laughs> Again, it's it's Vince Russo, bro. Yes. Also, I love that he's <laughs> Dustin Runnels instead of Dustin Rhodes because it's a shoot, bro. Yeah, that's right. It is a shoot. We are shooting here, Bix. Don't forget that. Mm-hmm. Oh, what a fucking travesty this promotion is. <laughs> He's doing amazing business, though. Yes, it is. But anyway, let's let's move <laughs> on to the European title change. Yes, as uh, X-Pont beat D'Lo Brown to win the European Championship in 5-10. D'Lo handled the offense at the start, landed a nice power slam, nice clothesline between punches. At 3:50, X-Pont took over the offense, hit a nice kick, followed by the Bronco Buster. D'Lo regained control and went for the lowdown, but X-Pont turned to a face buster for the win. Let's see some of their previous matches. Jim Ross was especially missed during the title change. As usual, Shane popped for both men's moves. Whose idea was for Shane to play a dumb drop fanboy who cheers on everything he sees? It's annoying. And if you played either a straight man or a heel, you have a better chance of getting over. But this rate, he just keeps growing more and more grating. What do you think about what Jason's saying here about Shane's persona at this time? Um, you mean where he's kind of... Well, he's not, he's not a fake baby face yet, right? He's still kind of... No! A, He's still kind of a tweener. He's, he's like, he's loyal to his dad, but he's not an outright heel. He just likes cool things. Yes. <laughs> you know? Ooh, yeah. If he thinks something's cool, he's going to cheer for it, you know? 
and only Elvira. You know, I don't. You know what? I think I start. Think about it. Isn't that basically an archetype for our current wrestling fan base in a lot of ways? Oh, you're saying he's a this is awesome guy. Well, he doesn't. He's not a, a fa, he's not a fan of faces or heels. He's a fan of things that's cool in his mind. Yeah. I mean, watch, watch wrestling today and watch. I mean, fan, how fans react. I mean, there's faces they'll boo and faces they'll cheer. Heels they'll boo, heels they'll cheer. It's it's, it's all about you know. And if there's impressive stuff, they'll cheer for the heels. Mm-hmm. Shame Man was a trendsetter. Yes. He also yelled, that's my pops, a lot. <laughs> he could be annoying, but I thought over, uh, overall he was uh, fairly entertaining in this role. Yeah. And he and, he and Cornette had a weird chemistry. Yeah, because they were so different. <laughs> Rocky Bobby and Cash Shamrock and, and Mankind fought to no contest when Kane and the Undertaker interfered. Maivia attacked Shamrock. As Mankind sat in the corner. Mankind sat there for a bit, but finally went after Rocky. As a battle to the outside, Shamrock hit Mankind with a sidekick, sending him sending him into the announcer's desk. Shane talked about the opportunity Vince has given each of the three. Cornette seemed to seem like it seems like everyone Vince gives an opportunity ends up with their brains beat in. And Jason said he must confuse Vince with Paul Heyman. <laughs> wow. Rocky hit the people's elbow on Shamrock and got a good reaction from the crowd. Later Shamrock caught Mankind in a sleeper while Mabia was outside the ring. Mavia snuck back in and put the sleeper on Shamrock, making it a double sleeper until Mankind dropped down and gave him the double jaw jacker. Undertaker Kane and Mr. McMahon came out and watched the rampway. Shamrock regained control and put an ankle lock on Mankind. Mavia tapped him on the shoulder, fooling Shamrock into believing he won the match. The old Jerry Lawler finish. As Shamrock turned around, the rock hit the rock bottom one for the pin, but Mankind broke it up. Undertaker and Kane pulled Mankind on the ropes and pummeled him in the ring. Mavia gave Shamrock a nice DDT. They should have been smiling for a near fall. The announcer speculated McMahon had shown his colors and was cheering for The Rock. Shamrock came back into her Karana, followed by a power slam for a near fall. Maivia tossed Shamrock outside and Kane attacked him. Then they came into the ring and attacked Maivia, eventually giving him a double choke slam as Vince watched from the rampway. Austin came out and beat on Vince until Undertaker and Kane ran him off. Really good match, lasted 11 minutes, and the show ran over about 5 or 10 minutes. It would have been nice to see a clean finish, though. Ross, again, was really missed. He would have some sort of explanation, or at least acknowledge the two not finishes, Instead, both went ignored. There you go. What else can you say? All right. This was taken Sacramento, not San Jose. Uh-huh. Uh, Dave has some notes. Drew a sell at 10591 paying 204 291 Then he talks about Ross and Lawler missing the show. Talks about how uh, Manic Cornette subbed. Okay, so Dave does have a little. This is Dave's raw rundown. So, uh, said the announcement was beyond bad and not at all due to Cornette. They need to keep a man on the shows that are taped because of laughing at all the wrong times, his constant annoying references to Pops, and his trying to get himself over by linking himself with the cool characters on the show rather than getting the issues being sold over, only show the product is strong enough to survive young Ed Whalen. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'm going to bring video on demand to China. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Who would gonna, be an <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> Who would be an Ed Whalen's Main Street Posse? Jim Davies. <laughs> uh, Diamond Jim Davies. Muck and Sing. <laughs> no. Bob Brown. Um, no. Who was the. Um, who oh, was the, Tyrone uh, Macbeth. Tyrone Macbeth. I was like, who was the NWA IWA representative? 
<laughs> Who was that? Was that Tyrone, Tyrone Macbeth? Macbeth? Yes. Yes. Um, Rod Hader. Who was named um, after an actual athletic commissioner. Oh, Dick, God, what's the referee? R- Richard Pound was named after an actual real-life figure, Pound. too. Cedric Hathaway. Yes. Jurgen Herman. Herman. <laughs> That's the Mean Street Posse. Alexander Scott. Alexander Scott. <laughs> um, oh, my goodness. Where was I going with this? Anyway, um, <laughs> see, I got, you got me out of the voice. Now I'm going to get back into it. Ahem. All right, let's I'm going to invest in a magical marijuana growing factory without even looking in it. Spend millions of dollars and lose all of it. (laughs) (laughs) That's our Ed. If we bought the UFC, I bet I could beat everyone in in a shoot because of my street fighting experience in Greenwich. (laughs) (laughs) The Save with Jacqueline match, which Jacqueline won, was announced on TV to create a revived WF Women's title. The old idea is the new rules of the triangle match. Undertaker and Kane only can only and Austin or vice versa on each other, being the advantage of Undertaker and Kane defies logic. As if it's the first one to score a pin against their title. As their triple threat rules are, the advantage would be Kane and Undertaker allowing the other to pin them and get the title from Austin without having to beat him. Back to Sable. Sable did a good job in that Jacqueline match for someone with little, such a little ring experience. A lot of the wrestling was good, but Sergeant Slaughter's house was like watching the classic Patterson Slaughter boot camp match if it was held underwater with a few moonsaults thrown in and using a trick mirror as Sarge's belly at the age of 50 has increased about a foot since that time. Okay. So there's Dave's raw rundown. That's it. Okay. <laughs> That's hey. why I went to the torch. You want to know just how good Luna and Jackie were? Read people's reviews of the early Sable match. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, holy smoke and mirrors. Yeah. Think about just how unselfish they were. How they didn't yeah. just make her, they didn't just make her look good in the traditional sense. They made her look like a promising rookie wrestler. Yeah. You know, Luna fooled Killer Kowalski. <laughs> he wrote in his Wrestling in a Now column after WrestleMania about how he thought she was just a model, but it turns out she's a worker. Yeah. All right, a couple things here from the torch to close this section. Yeah, this is it, WF section. They're hitting on their website that Ray Trailer might be coming back by reporting that a ray of hope stopped by the Titan Towers the other day looking for work. And he does. He does. On Ross's 900 line report last week, he talked about how pleased WF was with the 4.0 rating they drew after their two weeks preemption. He called WCWD Ted Turner's WF alumni organization. Stop. Oh, <laughs> And the WF website reported that Kevin Nash and Mr. Man bumped each- into each other at Newark Airport last week and had a cordial conversation where Nash expressed an openness to return to WF because of his career. His contract with WCW runs several more years. Well, he would make numerous uh, return runs and returns to the WF WWE before his career closed out. OMG so- WTF Kevin Nash LOL thought he was dead. <laughs> God love him. Yes. And now he has his own brand of uh, cannabis, too. Have you seen the commercial for that? <laughs> I've heard about it. Yeah. Yeah. 2022, everybody. Yep. All right. So let's go to the Land of the Rising Sun now in All Japan Pro Wrestling. Mr. Masao is having former influence on the booking. Well, he had influence before. He is now booking instead of Giant Baba officially and Matoko Baba. Spell Matoka, Giant Baba's wife. As Orange had been eliminated from the creative end, although not the business end, 
which may result in a lessening of the push for Johnny Ace and Monica a Moss Man. Ah, how about no that? So <laughs> Kaya mentioning that now. How about that, huh? It was Bob Giant Baba's idea to make Moss Man to Masao's partner, but Masao felt that Moss Man was too green for that spot, and it wound up being Yoshinari Ogawa. Masao himself wanted to be Masahiro Kakihara, but Ogawa wound up as a compromise candidate as Baba still doesn't understand the appeal of small Kakihara as a shooter gimmick, as he's always been a big man promoter figuring the public believes the big guy is really the strongest and the toughest based on his own lengthy career. For people who always want to know why the junior heavyweights push more in all Japan, there's your answer. There's a lot of hope that Masao can come up with ideas so all Japan will get with it, both in terms of booking and product, but also in terms of modernizing the pay scale and the treatment of the talent. One point of contention is the treatment of the outside talent when they work here. When Baba uses guys like Gato, Chato, or Super Delphin, he uses them low on the card. They work all Japan style, and they're treated as equivalent or lesser than the all Japan under new talent. Masao won the work of singles match with Jinsei Shinsaki on the next tour to attempt to elevate Shinsaki by making him look competitive before losing. Since Masao shouldn't lose as he's getting the title shot in the tour. Even though Delphin's a star in Japan, the idea is he's just a minor leaguer in all Japan and can't even beat Baba's underneath guys except his rookies. Senator Hiroshi Hase, who has the potential to draw many against autotop guys, was similarly treated, and even though he had great singles matches with Junakiyama and Kenikabashi, he's yet to score a big win, and nobody actually takes him as a threat to the top guys, which wasted his acquisition. He's using the logic that you don't beat your own guys with outsiders. The more modern approach is let outsiders who are untouched against your guys win up until the level they can draw money, and then we're in promotional programs that draw money rather than using them to fill out the show and not let them rise to the money-drawing level. These points are even more important now because the top of the shows are stale, and it's the same matchups, albeit they are sometimes great matches. There was a time when it was considered All Japan was the best job in wrestling, but every major company has improved working conditions over the past six or seven years, and All Japan hasn't changed a thing. In really many ways, things have gotten worse, as Bob is becoming like a Bob Geigel or a Vern Gagne, as the old style promoting and treating talent got passe. You definitely can see it. You definitely can see it on uh on the you know, this era of all Japan, what's going on. And um it's like Baba's so beloved that a lot of folks didn't want to admit it, you know? Um But look at the similarities here between what Baba's philosophy is compared to what Vincent Mann's philosophy is. They're tiny. Yeah, but I mean not just not just the size of the wrestlers. Guys coming in from other promotions. Yeah. There's a lot of similarities in that in that mindset between Vince and Baba. Mm-hmm. So I never really thought about it before in that way that Baba would get these outside guys and have and want them to work his style. So that's something I need to go back and watch for. Yeah. I feel to like see how different one, these guys are. The only one who you could I think make a strong case is not doing that is Hayabusa. <laughs> Yeah, I need to see what Sabu and Van and Sabu and Van Dam check them out a little more and see what they were like. But yeah, this is interesting stuff to read. Looking in hindsight, absolutely. And uh, Masawa gets more control as time goes on, but you know nothing really is going to happen until Giant Baba dies. So because no matter what, he's still the man. He's still in charge. Well, he's already sick by this point, isn't he? Yeah, but he's still Giant Baba. So. Well, he's cave-aping him, too. Yeah. 
All right, New Japan, big things going on here. The main thing continues to build the angle between New Japan and UFO. Antonoki stated he didn't want Don Fry, who he claims the UFO wrestler, to be doing tag matches. Uh, although Fry did work on a scheduled tag match on September 21st, Osaka show. Well, let's talk about that show. The tag tournament ended on September 21st in Osaka before a non-sellout crowd of 5,800 in the 6,500 seat for Gym, which had to be a disappointment. The tournament ended after the round robin was over on September 19th in Nagoya. It was the A block, saw Yuji Nagata and Kensuke Sasaki, and Scott Noonan and Michael Wall Street finished with two and one records. Tenyo Grichiro and Shiro Koshinaka, along with Keijimuto Hiro Saito, were one and two. So I had a match on September 20th in Kanazawa to determine who would go to the finals, with Sasaki Nagata winning when Sasaki used a power strangle submission on Wall Street in 916. In the B block, Shinashimoto and Kazuya Yamazaki finished three and oh. Masiro Chono and Hiroshi Tenzan were 2 and 1. Brian Adams and NWO Sting were 1 and 2. And Manabu Nakadishi and Tadao Suda were 0 and 3. On September 19th, Nagoya show, which drew a sell at 9,500, Hashimoto and Yamazaki reached the finals beating Chono and Tenzan in the match where Chono's net went out in 23.54 when Yamazaki made Tenzan submit to the arm breaker. Tenzan's done a lot of jobs on this tour, including a singles loss to Nakanishi. Nagata and Sasaki made to the playoffs upsetting IWGP tag champions Tenryu Tur- and Koshinaka at 14.56. When Nagano scored the biggest win of his career, at least until winning the tournament two nights later, finished Koshinako with a back suplex. Also on that show, in a non-title match, junior tag champions, Tatsuto Takiwa and Shinjiro Otani lost to Jushin and Lagano Samurai in 1530. Samurai did a swinging DT off the ropes, only backwards, so it ended up being like the Scorpion Death Drop on Takiwa. After the match, Samurai grabbed the title belt and hit Lager and left with the belt. All right, so let's go to uh, Osaka here on the 21st. As we have the uh, finals here of this uh, tournament. We have El Samurai over Coach Kanemoto in your opener. Otani Ataki Iwa over Liger and Kendo Kashin. Osamu Kido over King Okamura. Manama Nakanishi over Hiroshi Tenzan. Brian Adams, Hiro Saito, and Keiji Muto. Defeated Juji Arata, Tadayu Suda, Itakashi Azuka. Tenru, Michoshi Ohara, and Shiro Koshinaka defeated Michael Wall Street, NWO Sting, and Scott Norton. Brian Johnston and Don Fry won a different style fight over Agato Saido and Tetsumi Fujinami by knockout. And Sasaki and Nagata over Yamazaki and Hashimoto to win the WCW World Tag Title Contenders League. And I firmly believe this Nagata and Sasaki never got a top shot. I believe so. <laughs> yeah, I don't think that ever happened. So, any thoughts on what, we, what I've told about so far here, Picks? Uh, I have no memory of what the angle is here with Samurai and his split allegiances. Like he just wants a title shot, I guess, with Liger. Okay. Um, I don't know if I have that much to add. I mean, you can tell NWO Japan's starting to feel a little long in the tooth. Well, here's nothing. Chono's neck injury. Well, yeah. We're about to get into what happened with that, you know, afterwards, but, uh. Not great timing for him. No. I mean, he just won the IWGP heavyweight title. Yeah. Six weeks. It's, so let's go to that. Is that his As only expected. reign? Uh, IWGP title reign? I, I think, think so. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think that is his only reign. Because he's tag champion numerous times. Um, yeah, that's it. Wow. I suspect that Scott Norton became the only third American ever in the first of more than seven years to win that GPFA title when he scored a pin on an unlikely main event opponent, Yuji Nagata, on the big New Japan Wednesday show on September 23rd at Yokohama Arena before 14,000 fans. 
even though the crowd was the smallest ever, and Dave released the first non-sell for New Japan in the 17,000-plus-seat arena for his annual Big September show. The show had a week advance, and the feeling was Booker Ricky shows you successfully in just two weeks on this tour made a new superstar in Nagata. Norton, whose first title defense was scheduled for November, October 30th in Hiroshima against Senior Hashimoto. Norton suffered a legit knee injury in the Nagata match, and we don't know how serious it is at press time. He joins only Hulk Hogan, who was first champion in history back in 1983, and Big Van Vader, who held the title on three occasions between 1989 and 1991, as the Americans who have held New Japan's premier singles title. What other forwarder has had a title, which is a seven-week reign of Russian Salman Hashimakov in 1989? In the 26-year history of New Japan, only other Americans who have ever held the group's top heavyweight title were Johnny Powers, who came to Japan as the NWF World Champion to drop it to Inoki, and Stan Hansen, who held the NWF World Top for two months in 1980. Ken Shamrock was actually slated to win that WGB title in 1997, but after he said to sign with DOF and his bookings in Japan were canceled. Just as Shamrock's reign never happened, Norton, who appeared to was supposed to win the title this year, but New Japan and WCW's relations worsened over the problems with New Japan and Sonny Ono, the WCW liaison that the deal, probably wasn't supposed to win at this point, but it happened due to the injury of Chono. Gee, I wonder what Sonny Ono did to piss off New Japan, Bix. <laughs> Uh, when was the, uh, it was what, January 4th, 97, was the Nakanishi threatens to kick his ass incident? Yeah. It was something like that, so, right? Or was it 96 or yeah. 97? Uh, I think it was 97. Because he, Sonny, wanted to go to the ring with his former uh, protege, Kurosawa, <laughs> and apparently uh, Nakanishi was like, you can walk out with me, and I will beat the ever-loving shit out of you. <laughs> and he would do it, too. Yeah. <laughs> That's the dude you want to fuck with. Like, I mean, seriously, you would not want to fuck with that man. <laughs> Legitimate, though. Nagata took Chono's place. Chono's long way to first ever title reign was cut short after just six weeks, when his chronic neck problems worsened to the point he could no longer get in the ring. After the tag match on September 19th from Nagoya, his left leg was totally numb and he couldn't even climb stairs, stemming from a herniated disc in his neck. Chun was forced to vacate the title, and while nothing is a certainty, the belief is now that he won't be able to return to action until December or January, although New Japan is hoping for a November return. I think it's longer than that. So I can't remember how long, but it was a, he was out for a little bit. On this tour, Nagata scored the two biggest wins of his career and route to he and Kensuke winning the tag tournament. First, he won his non, the non-title match over Tenryu and Koshinaka when he scored a penalty on Koshinaka, and then won the tournament himself in Osaka, beating Hashimoto and Yamazaki when he made Yamazaki submit with an arm bar. Live reports indicate that the fans in attendance in Yokohama believe it would be not Nagata's night. Despite the fact that Nagata's only been pushed to Kamali for two weeks, while Norton's been a headline in Japan and more often than not the company's top foreign star since his debut in late 1990, it was estimated that half the crowd actually believed Nagata would win, and virtually the entire crowd was heavily behind him. Much of the match consisted of Norton playing Monster Foreigner, popping up for much of Nagata's offense to Nagata Kahneman and the Sanka Kajumi, triangle head singers and armbar, which most of the crowd believed was going to be the finish, particularly to the, due to the great job Sasaki did at ringside acting if he was about to jump into the ring for the celebration. However, Norton broke the move and then delivered a powerbomb and two clotheslines for the win at 1304. At this point, all the NWO members, Mudo, Tenzan, Saito, Sting, and Adams hit the ring for a post-match celebration. Going back and reading this, it, may, it sure reads like fucking Nagata should have uh, won, this, won this match. Yes. I mean, because when you have a situation like this, when you have this big injury, 
put the new guy you've been you're building up over. Yes. This would have been so huge for Nagata. You know? Yeah. Boy, that guy's got screwed by Booker over the years, hasn't he? Uh huh. From his one of his mentors. Uh huh. Lord. I'm telling you, it's just crazy. All right, Yokama Show, which was attended by Eric Bischoff and Sonny Ono, wasn't expected to sell out, even if Shonen had been hurt because of the format of WCW wrestlers who aren't big draws in Japan, headlining and challenging for all four of the IWGP titles. And then you put the title on one of them. You know, it's Scott Norton, but still. Hmm. Adams and NWO Sting. Isn't that name rather stupid today when the original Sting is part of the NWO? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is right. Isn't it? I mean, because Sting's been the Wolfpack now for months. So why is there still an NWO Sting? You know, he basically works in Japan. You don't work in America. Why isn't he NWO Hollywood Sting or NWO Japan Sting or Jet Sting? Why not just dish the gimmick? Why isn't he Super J yet, basically? Yes, yes. And as NWO Sting lost to Tenro Koshinaka when Tenro pinned Sting after a Larry in the match described as being bad as you'd think. Liger retained the junior title, beating Cass Hayashi, who had Ultimo Dragon and Dragon Kid in his corner. Hayashi looked good with his flying, but in a long match, people could see he still had a ways to go in being able to carry a singles match. So overall, this was said to be below the caliber of most of Liger's single bouts. I don't buy that. Liger won with his shote, palm thrust for the pin. Fans were impressed by Hayashi's flying. I haven't seen this match in years, so I can't tell one with the other, you know, tell you. I remember watching this match, but I just can't tell you. Yeah, it's been a long so I time. I mean, I remember getting this at some point, not that long there, after this big Wednesday was, I guess, with Jericho on the card and the other WCW guys, it was a show that was traded around a bit. But. Should I get, you know, the big Wednesday, should I Gary Busey on the show? I don't get it. You don't get it? No. You ne- you never seen Big Wednesday? No. It's a movie that Gary Busey and Jan Michael Vincent, and Jan Michael, Michael Vincent, Gary Busey, and uh, William Cat, Greatest American Hero, ran. They were okay. surfer dudes. Yeah. Okay. It was like American Graffiti on the Beach. So, yeah, Big Wednesday. Okay. But anyway, um, the other time match saw Shinjiro, Tanya, Tatsu, Takaiwa retain their junior tag titles, beating Black Tiger, Eddie Guerrero, and Chris Jericho in 1932. When Otani, Tiger with a dragon suplex, and what we were told was a really good match. Although live reports said Otani stood out about the other three. I'm shocked. I mean, just only one of the best wrestlers in the world at this point in time. Yeah. And the other three, the other three ain't no chopped liver, but still. Good Lord. I mean, you, got, you, you asked me in 1998 <laughs> who the best wrestler in the world is, and I could say Kanemoto and Otani right easily. Yeah. Flip a coin. Because they were. They were amazing. The other top match on the show was singles match where Hashimoto pinned Keiji Muto in 2037 when we were told it was a very good match with a DDT. Bischoff got in the ring and made the announcement that Sasaki and Nagata would challenge for the WCW tag titles. And both came into the ring to shake hands with Bischoff. Bischoff never said who the WCW tag champions were, nor when or where the match would take place. Try never. <laughs> Bischoff had meetings with New Japan during his brief stay largely on this subject on the pay-per-view. Right now, there are 600,000 pay-per-view homes in Japan as opposed to 35 million in the United States and Canada. Neither All Japan nor New Japan have even attempted to do a pay-per-view. However, several smaller groups have, but not much in the way of a real success. Although last year's Hickson Gracie, Nobiko Takata, KRS Pride 1 show did do an 8.0 buy rate in a limited universe. 
both W7 ECW pay events in the U.S. are now airing live in Japan with a price tag of about ten fifty, as opposed to the twenty nine ninety five and nineteen ninety five respectively that they go for in the United States. ECW for the first time on November first, which actually airs in Japan on the morning of November second on pay per view, as did the K1 show from Las Vegas. At this point, WWE pay per view shows aren't airing in Japan. Mutual fans in their planning stages are putting their big shows on pay per view, and also wants the UFO shows on pay per view to give that company credibility as a different entity so that eventually they can work the promotional angle. And each fan doesn't go on pay-per-view for a while. Like 2000. But they, I mean, we, we get you know, Japanese pay-per-views. Yeah. That becomes a common thing in, in the early 2000s. Yes, at this point, it's still mainly the groups that are working with DirecTV Japan, as opposed to a Sky Perfect TV thing. Yeah. Before the Yokohama Arena show, at 2.58 p.m., they did a parking lot angle where UFO's top star, Naryo Agawa, jumped Don Fry. The idea is that Fry is supposed to be part of UFO, and UFO boss Antonio Noki said that he didn't like the idea of Fry doing tag matches because a real martial arts fighter doesn't appear in tag team matches. Wait, isn't Anoki also a real martial arts fighter? <laughs> yeah, but he's changed, Bix. Oh. Ogawa actually used a judo hip toss on the parking lot pavement on Don Fry, who later that day went through with his tag match. Said to be bad, team went eager minder to lose to Sasaki and Yamazaki. This angle has set up UFO's debut show on October 24th in Tokyo with Agawa versus Fry, continuing their rivalry up top. Lord. The entire wrestling business in Japan is rapidly changing due to the emergence of cable. That pay-per-view will also bring about a change when the number of homes increase. Although the belief is that because cable itself, for zoning reasons, will never become big in Japan, it's mainly a small dish business in its infancy The actual cable is in the U.S. pro wrestling fans may make up the highest concentration of those purchasing small dishes. Because not only do they air many of the smaller groups in Japan that don't have a ring of television, but also Nitro, Raw, Worldwide, ECW as well. Of the four, Raw is by far the most popular in Japan. And and always was. WF was always popular in Japan. That's why they won the run there. Never, They never did until later on. Well, they had done the one tour. <laughs> yeah, but, I mean, that was SWS. I'm talking about WF proper. WWF, I'm talking about Japan Mania, 94. But still, that's with SWS. Well, no, it was with... It was with... War. It's World War. It wasn't war. a war tour, though. It was a WWF war. tour supplemented by war and Mishinoku Pro wrestlers. That's what I'm trying to say. It's not a okay. WF-centric thing. Gotcha, gotcha. This has changed the face of wrestling in Japan. For example, when Nietzsche announced the tournament, they were told since there's no such thing as long-term planning by WWF officials, that Sting and Nash, Kevin Nash would be tag champions and announced them as such. Even though by the time the announcement was made, the newspaper in Japan and those who have dishes that watch Nitro knew about the giant Scott Hall as tag champions. Many average casual wrestling fans of New Japan far, know far more about what's going on in the United States than the people running the sister company. Well, this could be also said in the United States as far as wrestling fans understand Japanese wrestling more than those who had WCW and WF do. Another sound pertains to Eddie Guerrero. Guerrero was something of a junior heavyweight star for years as Black Tiger a name that goes back in Japanese wrestling to the original, Mark Rocco, that feud with the original Tiger Mask back in 1982, and before that to the character in the Tiger Mask television cartoon. However, to today's fans who see Nitro on TV and see in magazines, Black Tiger's name from years ago, and Eddie Guerrero is the star today. However, the company, not aware of the penetration of Nitro, still use Guerrero as Black Tiger, figuring their fans don't know anything that the company itself doesn't present to them. Boy, I tell you what. These Japanese promotions sure do sound like Vincent Mann, don't they? <laughs> I mean, listen to this stuff. 
mm-hmm. you're getting a lot of similarities here between their mindsets to Vince. Mm-hmm. Stuff that Vince would get shit on for. But here's the Japanese companies doing the same type of shit. Hey, by this point in time, why are you still using Black Tiger? Use Eddie Guerrero. He's become a far bigger star now as Eddie. Also, when was the last time he was even in New Japan at this point? 96? Yeah, has he been back since like late 96? I don't think, because, I mean, 97 is when he had injury issues. So, yeah. They're now saying Osama Nishimura has a non-cancerous stomach tumor that has to be removed and will be out of action for the rest of the year. Dave's not sure if that's legit or if they are using that as a cover reason because he moved back to Germany against their wishes. Is that a metastasis, or is this them not wanting to say he has testicular cancer? I'm not sure what, what, to, what to think of this. Because when, I mean, when, let me pull up wrestling data. Wrestling data, Samu Nishimura, to look at when his gaps are. I'm thinking this is them not wanting to say he has testicular cancer, which says a lot given the taboos in Japan about stomach cancer. You know? Yeah. Uh, alright, I'm looking at wrestling data. Yeah, I mean, this is the big cancer hiatus. He's gone. He's gone from basically August '98 and comes back in June 2000. Well, there you go. So this is presumably believe them not wanting to say it's testicular cancer, huh? I mean, it's Japan. Japan has all of its issues with cancer in general. Yeah. So, it's not, not just one form. No, no. I it, it the stomach thing was on my mind though because of the the Baba stuff. Yeah. So I don't know. But anyway, so there's New Japan. All right, let's go to the indie scene. Let's start with Big Japan Pro Wrestling on September 23rd at Corken Hall. They they did one of the most bizarre gimmicks ever. Shadow WX, Satoru Shiga, catching the deathmatch title, beating Mr. Danger, Mr. Matsunaga, in one of those matches with beds and nails, barbed wire boards, light bulbs, etc. Dane believes Matsunaga took a bump into a bed of nails to lose. Anyway, the steals were that the loser would then face a live crocodile in a casket match. Dave guessed the crocodile was heavily sedated because he didn't move at all. Matsunaga got behind him, used a choke on him, and put him into the casket. Although somehow with posturing and all, the crocodile match went five minutes and 33 seconds. (laughs) A heavily sedated crocodile, Bix. Is that even... Can you put a chokehold on a crocodile? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's hilarious. A sedated crocodile. Well, I mean, if you're going to wrestle a crocodile, I mean, that makes sense. But good lord. I mean, you, All right. Yeah. You need a working crocodile, brother. <laughs> well, good luck. <laughs> All right. Results of the show Jun Kasai over Goji Tanaguchi. Marcella and Shiharu Nakano over La Chola and Kyoko Ichiki. Shumi Masazaki and Kisha Kawabata over Makoto Saito and Osamu Tachiakari. Masayoshi Motegi, Ryuji Yamakawa, and Shoji Nakamaki over Ryu Ichigo, Minoru Fujita, and Asao Takagi. Shadow WX, Takoku Benkei, Shadow Winger, and the Great Pogo over Genesuke Kobayashi, La Mascara, Jason the Terrible, and GK, which went into this match. Genesuke Kobayashi, Shadow WX, Takoku Benkei, Shadow Winger, and the Great Pogo over GK, Jason the Terrible, La Mascara, Ryu Ichigo, and Great Kajika. He joined the fray. 
Big Fan World Junior Way title, Katsumi Yasuda retain over Tomoki Hama. Sounds like a hoot. And then the three-way board alligator deathmatch uh, for the Big Fan deathmatch title. Shadow WX over Mitsu Matsunaga to win the title. I guess it's a three-way. I guess the, the third party was a crocodile. <laughs> they should have did double team spots on the crocodile. I want to see Masanaga sell for us today to Crocodile. That has to be something else. Uh, it reminds me of, I'm sure this is at least somewhat apocryphal, but the story in the Gary Hart book about how he was working for Pedro Martinez and he was supposed to wrestle an alligator, which I forget if I, I, if that one was supposed to be sedated too or whatever, but like the alligator didn't come out of its box when they knocked on it, so they tipped it out, and it turned out that Gary Hart worked a match with a dead alligator, and then... <laughs> Pedro Martinez didn't pay for pay pay him for it because since the alligator was really dead, it didn't count. <laughs> so Gary Hart then uh, what was it? I forget if he beat in the windows or slashed the tires on the hearse that he rode around in or whatever it was. <laughs> Who knows if it's true? It's a good story. <laughs> it's a hell of a story. <laughs> the alligator was dead. <laughs> oh my god. Uh-huh. And yes, folks, Pe- Pedro Martinez is this not the Pedro Martinez that was a pitcher for the Boston Red Sox? <laughs> no. This is wrestling promoter Pedro Martinez. Also, we got Jim Kasai here, who's having an... I have not watched the Desperado matches we record this, but he's having an interesting month with major matches against the likes of Desperado and Effie, <laughs> among other people. Yeah. Alright, well, now let's go to Capture. Oh, boy. They ran Shinjuku ACB Hall on September 23rd in front of 110 fans. We have Hideo Toda over Tadamasaku Toba. Nihao over Kazunobu Nakamura. Esushi Kikuchi over Asaishi Saito. Tomohiro Ishii over Hideo Toda. Kokutahara over Masakasa Fukuda. Tomohiro Ishii over Nihao. And Kokutahara over Esushi Kikuchi. So this ain't a tournament. It's just guys working matches against each other. I mean, it's capture. What do so. you expect? <laughs> enough, enough said, I guess, right? Yes. This is uh, capture. Okay, 24 years ago, if we, you were to be told that someone on this show would be working on American cable television in 2022. None of them. <laughs> <laughs> Zero. Not a one. Well, Fakuda, maybe. None. Okay. Come on, Bex. Be serious. <laughs> I mean, it's freaky with what uh, she is doing. Yes. <laughs> I mean, come on. It's crazy. Nobody would have thought that. All right. Uh, FMW. Their sh- biggest show of the week was on September 24th at Shizuoka Twin Messe in front of 1860. Jado over Flying Kid Jahara. Hisakasa Oya over Muhammad Yone. Tetsuya Kuroda over Super Leather. Koji Nagawa, Riki Fuji, Habusa, and Daisuke Keda over Koto Fuyuki and Gato, and then Asushi Onida, Hideki Asaka, and Mr. Pogo number two over the great Pogo, Yukira Kanemura, and Bad Boy Hito in your main event. So, standard FW house show, nothing big for our week. Michinoku Pro, they were in Sakata on September 23rd before 501 fans. We've got a Masks versus Mask match where Great Sasuke and Tiger Mask 4 beat Sasuke the Great and the Mask Tiger. When Tiger pinned Tiger. Mass Tiger was revealed as Takeshi Ono, of course. 
And Sasuke the Great, of course, is uh, Masada Orihara. All right, the rest of the results here. Beef Wellington, Wilton Wilkins Jr., over Mamoru Okamoto. Grand Naniwa over Masaru Seno. Grand Amada, Jen Seishizaki, and Super Delphid over Akoto Adaka, Masaru Yakasuji, and Hiroshikawa. Hanako-san over Relay Shonen. And then the, ma- the mass match, Great Sasuke and Tiger Mask 4 over Mass Tiger and Sasuke the Great. No more Mass Tiger picks. Takeshi Ono's been revealed. And because we're in September, Great Sasuke himself is about to turn heel. That's right. And become all caps Sasuke. Yeah. And become, in some ways, the original leader of Crazy Max. Yeah. Because That's the right. I, I believe the Crazy Max name was first used for when he joined those guys, right? Yes. Yeah. Well, we had Capture. Let's go to Zypang. Oh, yes. I don't, I, September, I, I've never seen any Zypang from this early. September 25th from Tokyo Shibuya on Air East for 246 fans. We have Tomoyo Dachi and Toshiki Moriya over Naoshi Sano and Yuki Nishino. Of course. Spider Warrior over Yoshia Yamashita. Or Yamashita. Yes. Exciting Yoshida went, or Yoshida, <laughs> went to another contest with Metal Face. Wait, why are you making the joke that it's Yoshida? I'm just making that joke because we have okay. Yamashita, Yamashita. Well, Yamashita is the correct name. I mean, the one I'm stuck on is if. Kanehara is always Kanehara, or if it's uh, if it can pre- be pronounced both ways, or Kanehara, or whatever the other pronunciation is. But he- Heaven and Takaya Bushido V3 defeated Congo the Dark Knight and Perseus, and in our main event, Asian Cougar and Mass Falcon over Kaide and Great Takeru. Is this the first time we've had any Heaven results on this show? No, we've had Heaven before. Can I at least explain Heaven's gimmick again? You can do it again, because Zypang we don't talk about a lot, so it's not over, you know, too much we do on that. No. Heaven is a masked wrestler wearing a sky blue mask, uh, cut-off shorts, and he is a heel who, to taunt his opponents, draws pictures of them with boobs that he then displays to the crowd. <laughs> yes. Great heel. Also, I like <laughs> that we have uh, exciting Yoshida in the prom- promotion that will eventually be anchored by all caps Yoshida. <laughs> yes. If that's very confusing for you, I'm sure. Everyone, yes. Rings. They're at Yokohama on September 21st in front of 4170 with Kyoshi Tamara beating Yoshisa Yamamoto in the main event in 1852 with a net loss submission. And Shiyoshi Kasaka over Mikai Ilikin also with a net lock in, 20, in 12 minutes. The win means Tamara will get their next shot at the heavyweight title. Dave presumes both of these were work matches. Oh. Okay. <clears throat> Apparently, the reason Kosaka didn't win the title from Tariel Besaze on July 20th is because he didn't sign a full-time contract with Rings. Kosaka's not living in Seattle and training under Maurice Smith to improve his kickboxing because his goal was to win the UFC heavyweight title. He's working Rings on a show-by-show basis rather than a long-term contract, and there are even feelers in regards to him jumping the Pancrase, but nothing happened because Pancrase only offered a match to what he was making in Rings, so why jump? The legendary Russian wrestler Alexander Corella will be competing in Japan in October, and Ring's going to make a big play to bring him in, but he may be out of their price range. Ah, uh, it's Japan. You can find some local businessmen to get in. <laughs> uh, <But> we, <laughs> go ahead. Corella, Corella's rumored work all, forever. Yes. So. Now, okay, 
I have a question for you that this made me think of. Yeah. In terms of doing both at roughly the same time, is there anyone that was better than Kosaka at both MMA and pro wrestling? At the same time? No. Kevin Randleman could have been if you did more pro wrestling. Yes. But... Or Sakuraba, uh, potentially, if he was doing more pro wrestling, maybe. Yeah, on a regular basis. I don't think anyone else comes close, really. On a regular basis. Now, Kauno, you know, had his pro wrestling matches. Yes, and he was quite good. Yeah, Kauno's up there. Because Kauno was still a legitimate, fair, I don't know if I would say top lightweight fighter, but still pretty high up when he started doing more pro wrestling. Yeah. But Joe Matsui was, you know, was was out there. Yeah, there's guys, but I don't know. You you you're probably right. All right, all Japan. Well, Boss Rutten. Boss Rutten wasn't well, doing MMA anymore. By the really, you're by right. The time you're right. Wrestling. You're right. Don Fry. Don Fry. He wasn't either. He did. He did some pride stuff. Mm, while he was a new on the New Japan roster. Yeah. What about Dan Severin? No. <laughs> okay, just, just, you know, throwing some names out there. Alright, let's go to the women's side of things, Bix. No, you'd love this. All Japan women. Zenjo. They ran Higashi Hiroshima Sports Park Gym on September 25th from 1240. Mika Haragai over Tomoko Isazaki. Miyuki Fuji over Sachin Shibori. Zap T over Momo Nakanishi. Takako Inoue over Emi Murakawa. Zap I over Nani Takahashi. Kamika Mikawa Manami Toyota over Miho Wakazawa and Yumiko Hota in the main event. So, there's that. RCN. September 22nd at Akros Fukuoka in front of 650. Fabi Apache over Mika Akano. Mariko Yoshida over Lady Metal. Makiko Furugami over Jesse Bennett. Little Steve Bennett. Aja Kong and Yakahamada over Mario Apache and Reggie Bennett. And Hiromi Yagi and Rie Tamada over Michiko Omakai and Yumi Fakawa. Hey, a good women's promotion. <laughs> Gaia. They ran Cork and Hall September 23rd for an 1,800 fans. Chikusa Nagaya and Rina Ishii over Shikasato and Chikaya Nagashima. Mayumi Ozaki over Sakura Roda. Karu and Toshio Yamada over Toshi Yamatsu and Maiko Matsumoto. Snoko Kato over Bad Nurse Nakamura. And Manami Toyota over Mako Sanamura in your main event. Interesting seeing Toyota and Gaia at this point. Kind of curious yeah. what that match looks like, because I would think most of the instances of it are, you know, later on, early to mid-2000s, like veteran Toyota. Oh, well, here she is in 98. Yeah, that sounds interesting. JWP, September 22nd, Nakoka City Welfare Hall in front of 1030. We have Hariyama over Tomiko Sai. Tomiko Sai over Erika Watanabe. Command Bolshoi and Tomoko Miyaguchi over Chikako Shiratori and Yuki Lee. Devo Masami and Tomoko Kazumi over Kyuji Suzuki and Karoko Hariyama. And Taramek Kansai and Hikari Fukuoka over Kanaka Matoya and Reiko Amano. But... You know what the draw is in this no. section. Neo Ladies Pro Rest. No. They ran Cork and Hall on September 24th from 1,021 fans, Bix. Oh, I see I, I see. we have a wonderful little round robin opening. Oh, we right. sure do. 
in the David Vicks Fan Invitational, Tanny Mouse pinned Yuka Nakamura, Masai Genki pinned Tanny Mouse, and then Masai Genki pinned Yuka Nakamura. Oh, I'm, I, I, I hope at least the fourth match is better. <laughs> no. I mean, these are these are the best matches on the show. This is your your tournament. Oh. Sharsha Shulian, Fang Suzuki, or Yoshiko Tamura, and Yuko Kasugi. Okay, it gets a little better after those. Kyoko Inoue and Jaguar Yakoda over Chaprita Sar and Yukashina. Oh, God, I just saw the main event. And Mima Shimoda and Linus Asuka over LCO. Oh. It's Komita and Sayahendo. <laughs> I, I, I don't even remember this version of LCO, but I'm assuming they, <laughs> they're working like the version of LCO that I don't like. <laughs> Quality action here. Quality. Was there anything that ruined the Japanese tape in like 2000, 2001? Like LCO showing up on a Joshi card. <laughs> By ruin, you mean make it better? No, I mean ruin. <laughs> it's okay to give up this charade, Bix. We all know the real the real feelings on all this. Okay. It's all right. We all know. All right. Um, it's Asia because it's, we got some some Europe. Well, you're so Asia. Some Europe. Yes. You got some Europe here, and uh, we got a promotional war in Austria. The WWA in Austria, in Vienna, started a 10-day tour using foreigners from Mid-American Wrestling out of Wisconsin. Sure. Including Ian Rotten, Billy Joe Eaton, Scrap Iron Adam Pierce, Craig the Wave Rider. That's got to be a hardcore Craig. That has to Axel, be. Yeah. Reverend Axel Future and manager The Hustler. Carmine Espirito. How, how is it that in all the, like, back when we used to talk to Axel Future, how come he never brought this up? Maybe he wasn't proud of it. <laughs> Also on the tour, former CWA wrestlers Ulf Hermann and Michael Kovac, Victor Kruger, the German giant from Battle Arts promotion, all of whom auto fonts won't use anymore for various reasons, and WF developmental contractee Mick Tierney. On the 26th, Billy Joe Eaton beat Adam Pierce to win a Mid-America title in Austria. But Pierce won it back the next day. Sure. R- results of that show in Vienna for the 500 fans. The Killer Ninja over Freddie Barney. Mick Tierney over Dirty Harry. Dave Vicious over Ian Ron. <laughs> Him and Dave Mysterio can be a David and Goliath tag team. David and David. <laughs> and then we're not singing Welcome to the Boom Town here. Uh, Huber Fritz over Revan Actual Future. Ian Rotten and Skull Crusher, Rashke Brown over Oath Herman and Michael Kovac. Billy Joe Eaton over Adam Pierce to win the uh, Mid America title. <laughs> Sure. Oh, my goodness. What a show. And I love that uh, Carmine got himself a spot. Of course. Why not? Well, you, let's go to Otto. Wait, I was going to say, do you think the German and Austrian fans, though, wondered why uh, why uh, Vampire Warrior was doing a cool hustler <laughs> gimmick now, though, with books dark hair? <laughs> I just hope Ian Rotten gave one of his speeches at one of these shows. Could you imagine that? <laughs> 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 if a fan started booing him when he said it blame them for the holocaust or some shit like that <laughs> oh, make some boy. wall like some, some jokes or something about austria and germany or some shit like that uh Is he, you know what you know when ian rodney probably may not know which country he's actually in <laughs> he probably thinks he's in west germany yes in 1998 <laughs> Yes. All right. Otto Vance's CWA 
He'd been running his shows nightly in Hanover all week. Bigger show was September 26th, headlined by Franz Schumann, retained the CWA middleweight title being Dan Collins of England before 1,000 fans. Foreigners on the tour uh, are Rhino Richards, Rico de Cuba picks. <laughs> wow. Cannonball Grizzly. Yo, baby, yo, baby, yo. Former WWE jobber Robbie Brookside. Former New Japan and British veteran Tony St. Clair. Bruiser Mastino, the former Mantar. Texas Claw Tremble. I'm looking that up. Fuck that is. Ice Train and Joey Legend. Okay, you also have you have to read how he described Cannonball Grizzly. Cannonball Grizzly, forgettable WCW wrestler PN News. All right, uh, the results here. Christian Eckstein over Kim Ball. Rico de Cuba over Bruiser Mestino. Texas Claw Trouble over Cannonball Grizzly. Tony Sinclair over Robbie Brookside. Rhino Richards and Joey Legend over Karsten Kreshmar and the Bounty Hunter in your main event. Okay, wait a second. The spelling on this must be wrong. Or this is man, just might not be on cage match because I'm not finding any Google hits at all for Texas Claw Trimble. Or let me see if there's a cage match or something version of this show. Uh, because there's gotta be. I mean, 1998 Germany because don't they have TV and stuff at this point? Okay, I'm curious. So if I put 1998. Okay, so what what date was this? September 25th. Okay, it's Texas Claw is who it's listed as with no profile. Nothing about the nothing about a trimble. Uh, well, okay, whatever you say. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know who it is either. But what a weird little uh, Germany and Austria subsection, though. Yeah. Um, I well, yeah. I kind of want to see some of the ice train stuff. Weird, weirdly, but yes. Him and Rhino could be interesting. No. All right. That's it for the first half of the show's halftime. So that's the great 1998 commercials. We'll pivot to halftime where we'll talk about our Patreon show. And yes, we have recorded part of that. So we'll talk about that. We'll uh, talk about WTV, hit the plugs, and then come back and go to other North America where we'll have a big show arena in Mexico to talk about. Um, news about the peso falling there. Got some Tijuana stuff. And. Of course, we'll have the, the U.S. Indy scene and much more. All that after the break. Win a trip for two. Check. check. To any concert in the USA. You can win a trip for two to see any concert in the USA. Dude, what are you doing? The more you use 1-800-CALL-ATT for collect calls... You can't be here. ...the more chances to win. A concert winner for every day. Dude. Ever hear about these little animals called lemmings? Well, once a year or so, some lemmings get into their heads to walk right off a cliff. We don't know why, they just do. And then other lemmings see this and they think it's really cool, so they walk off the cliff too. And soon all these little lemmings are lying at the bottom of this cliff. What's the point? Well... Next time you see your friends doing drugs, just think about the lemmings, okay? Because it's a long, long way down to the bottom. And when you get down there, it's just a bunch of dead lemmings. Who is the MVP in the Snickershot Zone game? Is it the graceful Siragusa? Ah, ah. The crafty Seahorn? You're pathetic. The fearless Martin? Yeah, that's good. There can only be one. And the Snickershot Zone MVP is... 
Jerome Bettis. If you've got the Snickers wrapper with Jerome Bettis inside, you've won $2 million. I'm so proud of you, little buddy. Thank you very much. This is my best friend, Julie. <laughs> she told me about Clean and Clear Deep Action Cream Cleanser. It's oil-free. So I won't leave an oily film thing. Just tingly. Clean. Isn't she the best? <laughs> clean and clear and under control. Okay, folks, what'll it be? Sweetheart. A Pepsi, please. We only got Coke. Sarge, you fight for freedom? Sure. Freedom of choice? Yep. I lived my whole life believing in freedom. That everyone, man, woman, or child, is free to be who we want, live how we want, and choose what we want. No Pepsi? You might as well tell me there's no Santa Claus. <laughs> Come on, Grandpa. Where are we going now? To a far better place. It's Sunday with the fire-breathing pro-stock racer of Tom Martino. Challenged by Danny Long at his pro drag racing game. They're staged. The tree is lit. The pro is fast off the line. But Danny shifts, working the gears of the new pro drag racing electronic game. Will he redline it? He feels the power of the game. Yes! 204 miles per hour. A lap time, 698. What an upset! Pro drag racing from Parker Brothers. A new personal best right in your hands. Batteries included. Get rid of pimples and get clear skin. Just take your vitamins. Neutrogena multivitamin acne treatment helps get rid of your pimples. Plus, the multivitamins and natural fruit extracts reduce the look of red marks from old breakouts. Neutrogena multivitamin acne treatment. What is love? Across America, heads are shaking. Because the bad boys of Saturday Night Live are coming to prime time. Tonight at 9, 8 central, with great moments from Chris Rock, David Spade. Bye-bye. Adam Sandler, Rob Schneider, making coffee, Chris Farley, and featuring the Roxbury guys. Hello! And later tonight, the season premiere of Saturday Night Live, hosted by Cameron Diaz. Score! It all starts at 9, 8 central, NBC tonight. Shake it, America! I'm Meredith Brooks. I play rock and roll. I have a lot of fun when I do it. I play guitar. I know that I was really fortunate that I had that guitar because it probably kept me out of a lot of trouble. Keep your focus on your creativity and then turn that into an activity, something that you can be really involved in. You can do whatever you want to. You can make up your own rules. And it's important that you surround yourself with really positive people that are also into the same things that you're into. I know that drugs would keep me from the best relationships in my life. All right, we're back, and hope you enjoyed all those great 1998 commercials as we pivot to the halftime segment of the show. We're beginning to talk about our Patreon, patreon.com slash between the sheets. And yes, we've already recorded part of the latest Patreon show that will be coming out before the end of the month as we go to part two of our series into uh, the negotiations for the sale of WCW in the year 2000. We did the 2001 shows with Fusion Meat Adventures last year, and now this uh, this last month, and now this month we are doing a two part series on the 2000 negotiations, which included uh, Mandalay Sports. Um, well, not if you not if you go by what Mandalay said. But. Well, Mandalay Sports, World <laughs> Wrestling Federation, um, SFX, and uh, possibly. Other suitors, unnamed suitors, as of the time we're recording this. Well, possibly, no. it, Columbia TriStar. Well, well, yeah, and the the future fu- uh, Fusion Meat Adventures and, and others. So there's a 
a lot of people involved and a lot of um, details being talked about here. Now, on this show, we have uh, – if you've read the Nitro book, you'll know what we're talking about. We will talk about one Lenita Erickson. Mm-hmm. I don't want to get too far into that, but that is quite the story, folks, and uh, you definitely want to listen to that. Um, and we even play her one and only appearance on WCB television. So we'll have that on the show. We'll have all kinds of other uh, interesting tidbits from the trades and the newsletters and kind of like, you know, I didn't say this on the show yet, but I'll say it here. You could, you could kind of tell there's like some uh, interesting feelings from Dave and Wade on the trades on how they report things compared to how what they report things. Like you could tell there's some type of uh, – they're reporting rumors. We're reporting the facts or some shit like that. There's some type of insecurity going on there. But we'll have that and uh, all kinds of other stuff. It's a very, very interesting show. A lot, a lot of stuff that you may not know. Uh, in this series about uh, 2000 WCW and their finances and their, how everything was going at the time and all the uh, political maneuverings Eric Bischoff is pulling and everything going on there. So, uh, yeah, and, it, and if you remember the 2001 show, we talk about the relationship between Brad Siegel and Stuart Schneider. Well, you'll get more clarity on that on this show. So uh, definitely – well worth that $5 that we ask uh, every month for audio content. So you can listen to that series. You can listen to the 2001 series. You can listen to the uh, Epic Titan Gate series we just did and all the other shows that we've done, ECW stuff, Eddie Gilbert stuff, all the crazy shows that we've done in our now six full years of the Patreon as we have our sixth, the end of our sixth year on this show, show 72. So year number seven begins next month. So, um, yeah, I think uh, if you haven't been a part of it yet, you need to be a part of it. Patreon.com slash Between the Sheets. And if you left, come back. There's a lot of stuff uh, there waiting on you for your $5 a month. Now, a dollar a month gives you access to the Discord and thanks in this segment, which we'll do in just a second. $25 allows you to pick a show for the week. Now, I had two shows in mind because the show you may want us to do could be something that we've already done or could be something that somebody else has picked in the calendar, which we have a calendar for a full year. So uh, for 2022, going into 2023, we already have weeks booked. So if there's something that you want to do, then uh, follow the protocol on the Patreon website or get with us, and uh, we will make sure that the show that you want to do will be feasible. Uh, you got a 30-day rule in effect, so do that before 30 days of the show you want to do, please. Ten-year rules in effect, so 10 years from your show, 2012 this year, 2013 next year. Uh, Wednesday to Tuesday on the timeline. And, um, yeah, so follow that stuff, and you should be good to go. $50 allows you to send in for a segment of that show, if you, if you so choose, and 100 for the whole show, if you so choose. At patreon.com slash between the sheets. All right, we're going to do something different this way. Uh, this is, you know, one of those rare instances, and it's mid-month, so mainly when this has happened, it's been mid or end of the month. We do not have any new 
patrons or returning patrons for this week, this past week. So we're going to do something special. Well, and also not just because it's that time of the month, but also we're at the point now where approximately one in eight of our patrons have annual subscriptions. Yeah, but still. All right. So we're going to do something special for this, uh, for this week. We're going to honor some patrons. We're going to honor the patrons that came from the, at the very beginning of this show and have never left us, never canceled. So they've been they've been a part of the Patreon for six full years, and we want to honor them this week. So Bix, we got what we call the Sweet Sixteen. There's I 16 think it was sixteen. Them. I might have miscounted, but well, you told me sixteen, so we're gonna go sixteen. So if uh-huh. it's not sixteen, it's your fault. Yeah. So let's go with the Sweet Sixteen. Who do we have this week as our original and Long-term patrons. All right. Should I start with the very first, or should I count down to the very first? Um, I think I should count down to the very first. Yes. All right. So we would like to thank Corey Garcia. Thanks, Corey. Michael Collins. Thanks, Michael. Mike Crotch. Thanks, Mike Crotch. Jesse, uh, oh, God, I haven't said his name out loud in such a long time. Jesse, is it Ewiak? Weak? Jesse Ewiak. Ewiak, yeah. yeah. Thanks, Jesse. Steve Keen. Thanks, Steve. John Scarabaggio. Thanks, John. Keith Harris. Yes, Keith's always been with us. Thanks, Keith. Um, oh, God. Was it a DM or was it an email where I... I don't want to butcher his name, and he eventually gave me the right pronunciation. Give me one second. <laughs> I think it was a Twitter DM. Give me one moment as I search. Chris knows who I'm talking about. Yeah. Because uh, he had DM'd me about it. Okay, so I said, <laughs> and I said, that's why I asked for pronunciation guide. Uh, trying to figure out. The, okay. Uh, I know. Hold on. Okay. Uh, okay. Yes, he did give me a rough pronunciation. Uh, Hialti Nunnison. Thanks, Hialti. All right. Because, uh, yeah, he, he, the phonetic that he tried to give was basically Haya, H-I-Y-A-A-L-T-I, and then for the last name, N-U-H space N-U-S-O-N. Which, thank you. But also, thank you for giving me the pronunciation information. As I yes, thank you, Yalti. Go back to the list. Uh, Weasel Wheeze. Thanks, Weasel. Kevin Mathers. Thanks, Kevin. James Matthews. Thanks, James. Brian Blake. Thanks, Brian. Martin Bentley. Thanks, Martin. Thomas Greaves. Thanks, Thomas. Jason Smith. Thanks, Jason. And you can guess who the who the last one in the first ever Between the Sheets patron is, right? Yeah, because uh, he hadn't been named yet. And uh, his former guest and longtime friend of the show, Joe Sposto. Thanks, Joe, for uh, being with us from the very beginning and sticking with us all the way through. You've been a loyal supporter of the show. So we thank you. And we thank all the rest of you, Sweet 16. And there's other ones that started right after that. But, you know, we were going go crazy in this segment but we'll honor you down the line possibly so uh, we thank all of you for uh 
sticking with us. And we thank all of you that come along the way because, hey, it's been six full years and there's a lot of you that's came in the, you know, first year or the second year or the third year. We thank everybody that's been with us from the beginning, that's come and gone and came back again. And if, uh, if you've left and hadn't come back, well, come on back for a while and uh, be with us because I tell you what, <laughs> we got a hell of a last three months coming up on uh, patreon.com slash swing the sheets. So uh, you definitely want to get in on this one again. Uh, we will announce that on the Patreon show on the, the, for the first time. So be ready. So patreon.com slash between the sheets. All right, Bix, IWTV. What's up with them this week? Not much, actually. Um, well, they've been very busy, so I get sometimes they they, they need a week off too. <laughs> well, I mean the you know the weekends we're about to go into as we're recording this is as we talked about last week very loaded. Um, yeah. And next week we'll talk about more to you know our friends at Action Wrestling got a show coming up that we'll talk about next week. But this week, other than Wrestling Open, where you know I would give the lineup, but it's usually not set until like the day of. Uh, the only live stream that we've got coming up this weekend is from On Point Wrestling. And uh, some interesting stuff on there. Yoya versus Matt Tremont, Kid Osborne, Marcus Mathers. The thing that would probably interest Chris the most, though, is in what I would think is one of his first Northeast Indie bookings, in, at least in a while, Jason Kincaid in action against Billy Tipton. Okay. Yeah, hey, you don't hear much Jason Kincaid anymore, so... Yeah, I think he's mainly concentrating on his school these days. Yeah. And that's part of why he doesn't get out much anymore outside of his area. Yeah, he's uh, he's quite the talent. And uh, good to see him back around again. Yeah. Did you see the video on Twitter like a month or two back? Um, Colby Carino was working out at his school. And Colby explained in the tweet, like, he had always wanted to do the, uh, who was it that did it originally? Dragon Kid that did the Deja Vu head scissors? Yeah. And he was like, ah, oh, I'm too tall for that. Then he saw Jason Kincaid do it and teach him how to do it, and he was able to hit it immediately in one try. So I think he said Jason Kincaid is basically a genius at wrestling to be able to teach him something like that. Uh, Kincaid is a, uh, it's quite the wrestler, absolutely. So that's cool to see him back in the Northeast. For the f Again, I'm not sure when the last time that would have been outside of Evolve. I you don't know? know. So that's cool to see. Uh, as far as on on demand, anything as far as archival. Yeah, there hasn't been much added as far as archival or anything lately. So mainly just uh, some of the recent live streams and also some other additions from uh other promotions that you know don't necessarily do the live streams and all that but uh so check that out then i mean is there, I'm, try, I'm trying to think was there anything else that we had as far as old stuff that we want to talk about or not really not really i was trying to remember yeah. if there was anything that had like a notable anniversary or anything but i didn't think so so anyway yes independentwrestling.tv if you're not already a subscriber use code btspod Let's sign up and we'll get a referral for each month. You stay a paid subscriber. So that's independentwrestling.tv code BTS pod. 
Today's episode of Between the Sheets is sponsored by Private Internet Access, America's number one virtual private network. Even if you use incognito mode, your internet service providers are storing your browsing data and many times even selling it. Those bastards. The private internet access can help. <laughs> private internet access encrypts and reroutes your internet traffic through one of its own servers, hiding your data from your internet service provider or in network administrator. And with servers in over 75 different countries, you can get unrestricted access to geoblock content from around the world. Private internet access comes with easy to use apps and browser extensions for all devices, a rock solid privacy policy, open source security, advanced customization settings, and it was just ranked the fastest damn VPN in the world by PC Mac. And if you sign up with private internet access right now, you can take advantage of a special deal only for Between the Sheets listeners. Let's go down the deal, shall we? We have three options for you that we offer. We got a monthly plan of $11.95. We have a yearly plan of $3.33 a month. Equals up to $39.95 a year. Great deal. Or you can go for the big one. You get three years plus four free months, $1.98 a month, 83% off. Amazing, amazing deal there, which equals out to $79 per three years. Crazy. That's so much more inexpensive than virtually every other VPN on the market. If you get it right now, you can take uh, private internet access 30-day risk-free challenge. Try it for 30 days, see if you like it. If not, just turn it for a full refund. So how do you get that, you ask? Well, you go to privateinternetaccess.com slash between the sheets and try out the best damn VPN on the planet completely risk-free. All right, next week on Between the Sheets, we have a Patreon-requested show picks, and our patron that requested next week's show is... Eric. Uh, he didn't put his last name down. We're going to have to ask him how he wants to be referred to. Well, Eric. <laughs> yes, just exister on Twitter, uh, promoter of Bloodstorm Pro, and uh, the former Travis Blackthorn, uh, briefly, in Northeast Indies and a couple other places uh, back in the day. But yes, he put down the $100 because we're doing Samojo versus Kenta Kabashi, which he and I were both at. Yes, so that is the uh, the reason why he's doing the show. So, there, I mean, we got that to talk about, plus Jim Cornette made his Ring of Honor debut there. And, well, uh, in, we'll have, Phil, in Philly the next night, yes. Well, yeah, but that there's a weekend. So um, we'll have that and all kinds of other Ring of Honor news. And we'll have uh, Impact, the first Impact on Spike TV. We'll talk about that. Uh, we got all kinds of international stuff to talk about. And World Wrestling Entertainment, we have the Raw Homecoming to talk about as they have the big raw homecoming show which we'll uh, have... which you didn't mention at the end of the show i almost forgot what raw homecoming was that's the return to usa network yes and smackdown we'll have that talk about that and uh vincent man trying to pull off one of the biggest coups of uh of the era trying to sign mike goldberg away from ufc so we'll have all that and uh, plenty more next week on between the sheets all right, you can follow me on Twitter at Chris Zellner, K-R-I-S-Z-E-L-N-E-R. Show proper at BT Sheets Pod. Bix at David Bix. And Bix, what's going on in your world right now? Uh, I may have some things to talk about, hopefully, in the next week or two. We'll see. Um, 
but there's some stuff going on. We'll talk about it more off the air, but there, there are a few interesting things that are going on right now, but we'll see. All right, well. Oh, actually, no, wait, I did forget to mention something. What am I talking about? I started a new Patreon. <laughs> yeah, that talk on about the that. Yet. So uh, decided to start doing uh, patreon.com slash bixarchive. $5 a month, putting out now curated stuff from my various document collections, stuff taken from court records, FOIA requests, Jack Pfeffer collection, who knows what. And to be clear, like, this is me curating interesting things. I am not, unless it's something that's, like, full of information people I know will find interesting, it's not just going to be dumps of, like, random legal documents and stuff. I'm going to be curating it, so it's like, let me pull up, actually what I have on there so far. I'm probably going to add something else tonight as we record this or in the next day or two. Because um, I get some surprising stuff in these things So sometimes. All right. So here's what we have so far. The agent report for the December 8th, 1989 Nassau Coliseum WWF show, complete with everyone's payoffs and the gate and the talent percentage and attendance and everything, which I got in a... FOIA request about Terry Garvin from the DOJ, of all places. Uh, Chris Adams, 1099s for 1983 and 1984. So you can see how much he was making as a top non-Eric, not, excuse me, non-Von Eric babyface in world class. All Japan Summer Action Series 94 talent itinerary that I got from a Tom Zank-related FOIA. The, uh, this is something that hurt, bleh, I almost got ahead of myself, that Between the Sheets patrons might have seen in the past, but the, uh, letters to the Athletic Commission and MGM Grand about oh, to, uh, the Blackjack Brawl from Marty Yesberg and Herb Abrams that I got from the Nevada State Athletic Commission, uh, internal WWE emails about how to interview Vince McMahon for the Ultimate Warrior self-destruction DVD, Bill Watts' letters to Jack Pfeffer from when he was a rookie. Oh, yeah, we'll be talking about that next week, too. <laughs> but, oh, the DVD, yes. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, you forgot to mention that. Because that's when it comes out. Although you'll be going with Wade's coverage and not Dave's, because Dave wrote a book. <laughs> Almost an entire newsletter, yes. Yes. Um, yes, it wouldn't have been a double-issue week otherwise, I don't think. No. Um, so yeah, Bill Watts' letters to Jack Pfeffer, promo photos that he sent Jack Pfeffer, Barry Orton's uh, pitch to Vince McMahon for a heavy metal gimmick named Wild Thing from 1991, uh, a letter from Jim Crockett Sr. to Jack Pfeffer, from 1950, asking for his opinion about wrestling being televised. Whoa, 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 whoa. Wait a minute. 91, Barry Orton's pitching a gimmick to Vincent Mann? Yes. Why didn't this come up during Titan Gate? It did. I mean, it I don't came remember up this. That, that on the shows, you mean? I mean, there's the Vince yeah. talking about him writing for prison, asking for work. I think yeah. I said something about it. Well, I would have definitely talked about that then. I wonder if that if that had a plot in him coming out and saying all this stuff, him I being mean, bitter. Uh, I don't think so. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it doesn't seem that's like anyone denies that that stuff happened to him, though. That's an interesting. Well, uh, still, it doesn't matter. I mean, I'm not saying it didn't, didn't none of this stuff happen. I'm just saying. Well, no, but it's, it could also be that he, I, I think it's more that he realized he was not ever going back. <laughs> Which makes all that even worse, then. Because yeah. if, I mean, I mean, if 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 you if you don't think you're gonna go back, and now you decide you want to talk, 
you know. But I that's mean, rea- that's just reality, Chris. That's people. Uh, well, well that's... I'm sorry. I, I think everything. I think if you're so wronged that you feel you've been so wrong, then you kind of need to come out. Yes, although most know. of the well, remember though, most of the stuff he was talking about did not happen in the WWF though. There's that too. Yes. So that I mean that complicates huh. things, but. Yeah, yes. so uh, that's, uh, yeah, so how about that, huh? So yes, that, and then at least as of when I'm reading this, uh, a letter from Jim Crockett Sr. to Jack Pfeffer from 1950, talking about how his shows are going to be broadcast on TV now, and he wanted Jack's opinion on that, and how that might affect business. And no, I'm not watermarking any of this like someone else who has a do- wrestling document uh, Patreon is. So you don't have to worry about that. So patreon.com slash Archive. Uh, I'm not saying anything. Five dollars a month. <laughs> That's David Bixen's fan, not me. What? <laughs> it's so. some, it was mentioned to me by one or two people that they did not like how this person watermarks their stuff. Okay. I'm not claiming ownership of it. It's stuff I know I can legally post, and I'm charging to cur- charging so I can curate it and people can see it and make some money, extra money that I need right now. But well, I guess not, right now it's not extra but hopefully soon it will be extra but yeah patreon.com slash bix archive more much more to come and making sure i'm filing new uh foia requests and all that too to make sure steady new stream comes into me too so that hopefully this will go on for quite a while with a steady stream of content um actually i unfortunately it's always weird when you get back requests that of people that you would expect them to have records for and they don't although in this case, one of the ones they didn't have, they said it was one of the cases where they said they should have something, but they just couldn't find it. Like they had the index of it, but they couldn't find it, which in this case, it was um, Dominic DiNucci's immigration records. But like, you never know. I did a FOIA request for Bruno San Martino's immigration file, and I just got it back as straight up no responsive documents. Like, come on. Now, granted, maybe that's if someone, you know, that's more like Ellis Island era almost. So I guess it's a little different. Because they would have been a citizen before long. But you never know with this stuff. Again, who would have thought I would have gotten all Japan itinerary or agent reports from doing FOIA requests about Tom Zink and Terry Garvin from the WWF investigation? Yeah. You know? Oh, oh, one thing I'll mention, too, that's in that agent report, and I've got at least another partial one that I have coming soon. Um, We get a little bit more insight into what they would pay guys who were injured. Because one of the matches on that show was supposed to be Barry Windham versus Hillbilly Jim, and they're both hurt, but they both get payoffs. Hmm. So, if you want to learn more about that, patreon.com slash Archive. All right. Well, check that out if you want to. All right. So, uh, that's it for us. Let's get back to the rest of the show. Well, let's go to Mexico now, and no AAA this week. Nothing really going on there. So we start with CMLL, Marina Calceo on the 22nd, Amapola and La Diabolica over Flor Metallica and Princesa Blanca, Sendero and Tajiri, yes, that Tajiri, over Américo Roca and Muguer, Hakan de la Muerte, Hakan Negro and Valentin Maya over Brasa de Oro, Solar and Tigre Blanco, that's a, definitely a Tercera right there. Blue Blazer number two, that would be one Phil Lafon, Mr. Angula and Shokir, over Carlos Agardi Jr., Arriba Guerrero, and Ultimo Guerrero by disqualification. And, and boy, is this an interesting match. Apollo Dante's Steel and Viano Tercero 
of a Brazo de Plata, Lismark, and Tenebles Jr., and yes, that is Valvinus. Hola, mujeres. <laughs> Playing steel while being Valvinus in WWF. How about that, huh? Yeah. Well, we'll have more on that as we go along. Well, he's already lost the mask by this point, right? He yeah, lost the mask well, before he left for WWF. Yeah, so we'll have more on this as we go to the section here. All right, Arena Mexico on the 25th. Drew approximately 12,000 fans for the double Caballero Coach Caballero match, where Mascara Añoros Milan and Milo Chales Jr. beat El Barriqua, Fidel Sierra, and Enrique Santana. It teased an angle with referee Baby Richard turning Rudo at the Barriqua had submitted in a tag match in Mexico yet to beat both members of the team and win the fall. Santana kicked Mascara Añoros Milan low and pinned him. They made it so he didn't know if Richard saw the foul or not. As Satana's playing to the crowd, Charles sneaked in and schoolboyed him. As the other ref, Tinker Hispano counted the three. Richard put his hand over his face like it went against his plan. Finish got over huge, and the local papers really played Santana's work, and Satana Barrico got shaved at the end. But the biggest news of the show was the return of Pet Off. Who left CMLL as the top Rudo in 1995 to join AAA in such a bitter falling out that both sides made it clear they would never do business again. It was Red Luska Jr. and the Headhunters. What a team. Against Steel, Cien Caras, and Universal Desmil. The match was terrible, as you'd suspect. And when Perov came from out of the crowd to attack Rayo for the outside and finish DQ, TV announcer Dr. Alfonso Morales interviewed Perov and started screaming at him, trying to act as if he invaded. You know, the interpromotional deal. Perov then began choking Dr. Alfonso Morales, who's not only the longtime wrestling announcer, but among the most famous mainstream sports announcers in Mexico, and who rarely, if ever, has been a participant in an angle. It's like if Dave Brown gets involved in an angle. Fans started pelting the ring with garbage, and it got so much heat it was described as a mini-riot. Petoff and Steele then hugged, and Petoff once again attacked Ryo. And to make Petoff even more of a, a rudo, after the main event, he came out to console the Puerto Rican team that's going against the Mexicans. And this is the beginning of the Barricos right here. Red Eye Coco, who's promoting the uh, October 24 pay-per-view show, that's the... Uh, had announced the day for that Petoff would be on his show. Oh, well. Maybe he would be, maybe not. I can't remember if he was on there or not. And he expected the best match on the show, Io Santo, Felino, and Negro Casas beat Dr. Padner Jr., Scorpio Jr., and Fosgarera. At this point in the storyline, Santo and Casas are friends and work together, but Santo and Felino have teamed but haven't fully buried the hatchet. All right, full results of this show. Atlantico and Ultraman Jr. over Rico Latino and Zumbido, Zumbi, Zumbi, Zumbidoski. Brazo de Plata, La Fiera, and Olimpico over Black Warrior, Blue Panther, Violencia. The Headhunters and Radelisco Jr. over Ciencara, Steel, Universalist, Movados, Qualification. Santo, Felino, Negro, Casas over Wagner, Fuerza, and Scorpio Jr. And then the double hair match. Hmm. Lots of stuff going on in this show, Bix. Yes, and so from looking at Sean Morley's cage match, um, Works the raw taping in Sacramento on the 15th. Um, okay, just what a weird parade of guys he faces. So he has, let me go back a little bit. So yeah. he's working Mark Marrow and Miguel Perez Jr. at house shows. Works uh, Brian Christopher on the shotgun tapings at, in San Jose on the 14th. Owen on the raw taping in Sacramento on the 15th. Shows up in Mexico for the Anniversario on the 18th. Teaming with, uh, let me make sure I'm looking at this right. Teaming with Wagner and Universo Dos Mil against Ryan Headhunters. Then uh, on the Sunday show, 
he teams with Bariq, the Bariq was against, uh, well, he teams with Miguel Perez Jr., who he just wrestled in WWF, and Ricky Santana against uh, Ryo, Emilio, and Lismark. Uh, then, and uh, the, uh, so I guess this would be the Tuesday show. Uh, teams with Dante and Viano Tercera, Oak to beat Porky, Lismark, and Diabas Jr. And then back for Super Viernes, uh, at Arena Mexico, teams with San Carlos and Universo Josemil against Ryo and Headhunters. And then two days later, he works Dustin Runnels at the pay-per-view in Hamilton, Ontario. Yeah. And then uh, he has his X-Pac European title match, a Gangrel match, and then he works house shows teaming with Sable against Jackie and Mark Merrow a bunch. So interesting little couple weeks he had there. Yeah. And I, I'm surprised you didn't make me say who Rancor Latino is. Or are we just done doing that? Well, I mean, I, I do it when I feel like it. So it'd be, it be—it won't be, you know, it'd be a surprise whenever I do it. Well, it's a fair enough. Well, there you go. I figure by now you would know, but see, if I give it long enough time, you'll probably forget. Yes, Mephisto was Astro Ray Jr., right? There you go. All right, after hitting last week, they due to the peso fall and had to cut one of his foreigners. Paco Alonso this week ended up sending everyone home except the headhunters who are in demand promoted by promoters all over Mexico so he can sell their services at a good price. Despite coming off some of the best houses of the year, because Santana El Barrico were scheduled to stay until December as part of the deal to give up their hair, but we're told this week they'd be finishing up. Kevin Quinn and Blue Blazer 2, full of fun, have already been sent home. It appears his feeling is with Pedro back, he can use him as a top Rudo and doesn't need foreigners to get paid in more expensive U.S. dollars on a guarantee. Yeah, think about, because think about it, now you can make Mexicans into Puerto Ricans and draw money off that, and that's what they do. Mm-hmm. Paco Alonso, one thing you said about that joker, when he, when he would do business, he knew how to do business. <laughs> yeah. What a smart way of doing things. But this time you kind of understand. Because the money difference is so vast here. Yes. So you get it. Brazo de Plata man suffered a mild heart attack on September 22nd in call sale. The deal is that he's known for working heart attack spots into his matches because he's had two legitimate heart attacks and weighs more than 310 pounds on a five foot four frame. It was reported he passed out after his match and Parata Morgan gave him CPR. Jesus. That's the thing. Sometimes you don't know what's real and what's not here. Mm-hmm. Lord. El Signo was thrown into his head while riding, ho- riding horseback riding and is out of action with double vision. That's not good. Ooh, yeah, I know that happened to somebody, and that was not good for them for a while. They were dizzy and shit. Ugh. How many times have you rode a horse in your life, Bix? Once. I've done a couple times in my life. Interesting experience. Mr. Nieblo was about to see ML tag titles with Shocker and the trio's titles with Atlantis and Mark was told by the commission doctor to pull his license until his knee can pass her physical. Oh, the commission's okay with Mr. Nieblo <laughs> wrestling drunk all the time. Later in life. But <laughs> well, later. This is later. He's not doing that here. No, I know. Well, he may be drinking. He may be drinking, but I don't think he's... Wrestling he's definitely drunk. not what he's... Yeah, he's not... Yeah, he's definitely not what he was later on. But, hey, the commissions do commission things, Bix. What do you expect? Yeah. 
Former Florence draw, Sullivan Grande and Fabuloso Blondie. Ken Timson got over so big because they were doing their foreign game. So television first at Mexico City. So they were among the first round of TV made foreign stars. So said to be headed back to Mexico towards the end of the year. Uh, now, wait a minute. <laughs> wait a minute now. Didn't we just hear that Faco Alonso was not bringing in foreigners? I believe, well, Ken, I think, only worked the Osasa show. Yeah. Grundy, I'm not sure. Yes. The newspaper Ovaciones reported that Blue Blazer 2, Phil Lafon, had really has really put on weight since his arrival three weeks ago from too much vitamin T. Tacos, tortillas, and tostados at the restaurant owned by former wrestler Babyface. <laughs> vitamin T, huh? Vitamin D. Grundy actually does come back as a regular. I totally forgot about that. I got to get to Mexico once in my life. Yeah. It's gonna, the thing is, when I, get, if I, I won't be able to go to all these great restaurants though, because these people will be dead. <laughs> so, but I would have loved to go on the Super Astros joint or uh, they say that, um, you know, Ultimo Guerrero's got a pretty good spot. Uh, Shocker. Atiso has a spot. I don't know. But yeah. Man. Yeah, I do want to try the Super Torta at some point in my life. Yeah. Phantasma and the commission are giving major heat to Mr. Aguila. Since losing his mask on September 11th, he has been working with heavy and complete face paint. Allah has Papi Chulo WF character. Wait, wait, Papi Chulo doesn't have heavy face paint. Phantasma, who has the commission, said he feels doing so is a violation of the spirit of losing a mask match. Uh, Well, that's not what he's doing as Papi Chulo anyway. What is Dave talking about? Who knows? In Boxy Lucha this week, I had an interesting set of stats saying that Santos is not 51 and 0 in matches with his mask at stake, but Ryo is 53 and 0. Eh, both could be true. We know that the sure bet is. I mean, there's no sure bet in wrestling that Santos in a mask match. Yeah. Put all your money on him. Mm-hmm. All right, let's go to Pro Mazteca, which is in their dying days. Basically, it's a CMLL offshoot, and it's listed here as CMLL Pro Mazteca. On September 25th at Arena Isabel de Cuernavaca, we have Aladino going to a draw with Super Punk. Is that CM Punk when he gets uh, superpowers after he uh, gets pissed off and, pre- and press scrums? He isn't, becomes Super Punk? No, isn't Super Punk um, isn't that Safari or one of the brothers? <laughs> no. Oh, no, Hooligan. Hooligan. <laughs> Yes, Hooligan, not Safari. Well, I said, or one of the brothers, though. So yeah, Hooligan. but uh, that one's Safari. So, so, yeah. so look- yeah, Super Punk, Ultimo Rebelde, Hooligan, Nusiferno, etc. So. Ana de los Niños Caramelo, not Carmelo, from NXT, and El Pandita over Lobo Vikingo, Oso Vikingo, and Rey Vikingo. And No Hijo de Vikingo, by DQ. Galilea, not Galilee, the river from the Bible, and Princesa Blanca over Flor Metallica and La Mojicana. Io de Diablo, Super Muñeco and Super Parca over Arriba Cañeros, Satanico and Tony Rivera. And Ditlantis and Blue Panther went to a draw, probably double pinfall, no Metzco, with Mascara Sagrada and Pirata Morgan. Hmm. So there's a uh, Promise Tech card. Tijuana, Promotione Sandoval. They ran a Wednesday show in Auditorio Municipal de Tijuana on the 23rd. Because of Friday night, there's another show there. We have a opening match with question marks. Fantomas and X-Men went up against the Pandigueros. Mini Rey Mysterio Jr., Pedofito and 
It says Tiger Mask, so I guess it'd be a mini Tiger Mask. I guess Bracito de Oro, mini Ecstasis, and mini Septiembre, mini Septiembre Negro. Ah, he's a cute little terrorist. <laughs> um, and mini Rey Mysterio Jr. is cute. Yeah. La Diabolica and Lady Apache against Amapatla and Flo Metallica. And Lee's Mill Mascara Centinebles Jr. Went up against Blue Panther, Dr. Wagner Jr., and Rey Mysterio mm-hmm. Sr. For Lizmark. <laughs> then on the uh, 25th, AAA ran Tijuana. Shamu over Tero. Ana de Tijuana, Ibolo 2000, and Faraon de Occidente over Acertesia, F- Firebird, and Neon. AAA Mojicanos beat Sagrado, Fifth Dimension. Oh, Fifth Dimension came out to the age of Aquarius. And Shazam! Then the Predator over Syndrome by disqualification. Pentagon over Thunderbird. And El Führer, oh my goodness, uh, Io de Lefermero and Sangre Chicana over Blue Demon Jr., Ferraguayo Jr., and Octagon. The yes, S-Fos El Führer. <laughs> Was it one? Yes. Uh, Lord. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, and he's on the same show as Ebola Dose Meal in the Mohican. <laughs> Yes. Uh, what a what guy uh, we, we don't always give Mexico enough credit for some of those offensive gimmicks, do we? Oh yeah. Well I mean this is also the country that, you know, in newspapers when they have car wrecks or murders, yeah. you see everything. <laughs> that was culture shock for me when I first started doing the lucha reports and going to those things going, Oh shit, there's somebody's head. <laughs> I'm like, oh my god. Oh, El Fuhrer's mask is just lovely, too. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we've got El Fuhrer, we've got Sepiangre Negro, what? we've got Los Talibanes. Boy, you ever notice that all of, like, the, like, fascist uh, lucha heels all hate Jews? <laughs> hey, it's maybe a coincidence. All right, let's go to the indie scene now, and uh, we'll begin with... The WWA, not the Dennis Corluzzo WWA, or none of that stuff. This is the Farmington, New Hampshire show on September 24th, and this is a WF developmental show, or training show, basically. We talked about these before, but here's one here. Uh, September 24th, Tim McNeeny over Nick Fisher, Bart Gunn over the Mongolian, Giant Silva over Andrew Martin, Man Jeff Hardy over Glenn Kolka and Tom Howard, Kurt Angle over Christian Cage. Brandy Alexander over Brittany Brown by disqualification. Giant Silva over Tom Pritchard. Dr. Tom Pritchard. Bart Gunn over Sean Stasiak. And Jeff Jarrett over Mike Hollow. Funkin' Dojo Mike. training camp show. That's right. Funkin' Dojo training camp show. So, uh, yeah, they had a few of these in that time period when they had the training camps. Where did you get the guys? You know, some time in front of fans and stuff. Yeah. They could watch them. And the Mongolian is uh, Matt Blue. Yes. So there is that. Now let's go to Bix's part of the world. We got a lot of jersey here. East Coast Professional Wrestling. In Promoted by. <laughs> go ahead. Dino Caruso. Oh. At the, Gar- at the Garfield American Legion in front of 60 fans. 
We have Lord Colt <laughs> with <laughs> with Countess Noir over Sergeant Payne. It were, did Lord Colt with Countess Noir <laughs> ever make it to the PWI 500? <laughs> is, it, is there like a 465 <laughs> Lord Colt that has a photo of him standing next to Countess Noir? Where, and it's, of course, a, a post photo where you can't really be sure if they've ever actually had a wrestling match or not. <laughs> Oh, it's definitely in that late 400s, if that's like the case. what. Like, oh, I always forget the name of the guy, but the guy who had the valet, Naja Viper. <laughs> that's who it makes me. Think All right, well, let's see. So let's. Go, I'm gonna try the 1999 PWI 500. Oh boy. Okay. Let's see if Lord Colt made the list. He did not make the list. Aww. Let's see if he made 2000, just to advance a year. Alright, Lord Colt, did you make the list? Well, do you know no. Caruso isn't even on the list? Let's go to nineteen ninety eight. Lord Colt, did you make the list? No. Alright, so I, I doubt I doubt that he made the list. I'm sure he so submitted he himself. So. <laughs> I guess so. Kuvatro went to a double countout with Mad Dog Max. Okay, I presume that's uh Kuvatro <laughs> the flesh eater. <laughs> I guess so. Uh, Chino Caruso oh. over Nick Maddox by disqualification. Vinny Powers over Cody at Bear by disqualification. Yes. <laughs> Siberian Tiger and Pup Bully over Devin Storm and Jackie Black. And then our main event for the East Coast Pro Wrestling Way title, Superfly Jimmy Snuka beat Larry Briscoe with the Master by DQ to retain his title. You mean Professor Larry Briscoe. <laughs> so, yes, there's Larry Briscoe. <laughs> oh, man. From the state that brought you Dave Mysterio. <laughs> well, let's continue as we go to Jersey All Pro Wrestling. Sid's appearance on the Indy was September 25th in Bayonne, New Jersey for Jersey All Pro Wrestling in front of 360 fans, and he pinned Patch. Is this Charity Hall or a different venue? It didn't say. The Voodoo Tribe beat the Haas Brothers in the opening match. Tag Team Champions The Null beat Low-Key, L-O-K-E-Y, and Zombie. Flash Wheeler over Skinhead Zyg. Flash Wheeler, isn't he in AEW? <laughs> Is Skinhead Zyg uh, Skinhead Ivan? Yeah, I, got, I think so. The D-Sex defeat the Dogs of War in a six-man tag match. Two Gs, by the way. Yes. Kevin Knight over Dr. Holtz. And that's too cocky, Kevin Knight, not the current <laughs> Kevin Knight. Uh, lightweight champion Chino Martinez defeated Ace Darling. Lou Diamond and Jay Lover over the Sickness, Glean Strange, and Slayer in a weapons match. That's Glenn Strange. I don't know why it says Glean Strange. <laughs> and Lou Diamond is Fat Frank Idavia. Yes. And our main event, Psycho Suit over Patch. Sure. It gets better. Now we go to NWA New Jersey. An interesting reality check of the power of television and who and what is really over here. For the much publicized Sandman Northeast Farewell Autograph Session and so show on September 25th in Blackwood, New Jersey, the NWA drew, NWA, the NWA drew about 400 fans. But in the building, there was a little buzz on Sandman, who showed up as his gimmick, so to speak. In fact, Darren Drosdahl sold 53 Polaroids compared to 26 for the Sandman. 
wow. The average fan thinks the real wrestling stars are the ones he sees on WF and WCW television. No matter how well Paul Heyman produces television for the group that watches ECW, and while there are exceptions to every rule, if you notice, most ECW wrestlers that leave that don't flop were the ones that were already stars elsewhere. Benoit, Malenko, Guerrero in Japan, Ray Jr. Mexico, etc. Even Raven was something of a star in Oregon on WFTV, although not a big star, before coming to ECW. The Heyman creations for the most part, and again, there will always be exceptions. Perry Saturn comes to mind. Well, anyone that was Booker that was booked like Saturn with decent talent will be over to an extent. If WCW decides it's going to make Sandman a star, they may succeed. But if left up to his own talent, without a lot of help, he won't. Usually can't survive without Heyman protecting him. That ECW vs. NWA angle is going nowhere for a lot of reasons. One of which is that the exception of Stevie Richards, who has some real talent, and Missy Hyatt, who has been a TV star in the business for more than a decade, nobody cares about anyone on the ECW side. All right, before we get to the results, um, your thoughts on Dave talking about the difference in who gets over from ECW when they go to the major promotions here. you agree with that? Yes, although I want to hear the phone call where Dennis tells him, like, yeah, you sold twice as many fucking Polaroids. <laughs> that, that's clearly how get, this happened. This is- yeah, and that tells the story, you know. I mean... People see the guys on TV as the big star. And I'm talking about na- uh, major TV. And this is LOD 2000 draws. Yes. So, he did double the Polaroids. Amazing. I don't think he's the pusher man until at least a few weeks later, is he? Uh, yeah. But, yeah. It so. tells you a story. Well, let's read the results. Yes, from Black Kevin Wood. Blackwood, New Jersey. <laughs> At the CYD Center for the 400 fans. At the Inferno Kid over Christian York and Reverend John Dahmer in a triple threat match. Ricky Ratchet beat Johnny Hotbody to, beat, to win the NWA Light Heavyweight title. The Icon beat Big Daddy Stephen Fuller. And the Icon, of course, is John Zandig. Yes. Do I, I forget, do I have the Jesus in here? I don't think I do. Nope. <laughs> Uh, Stevie Richards beat Doug Gilbert to retain the NWA National title in Lumberjack match. Darren Drostoff beat J.R. Ryder. That's a match. The Pitbulls beat the Misfits to retain the U.S. Tag titles. And the Headbangers beat Steve Carino and Jimmy Cicero with Bobcat. Now, the next night in Millville, New Jersey, they ran a uh, another NWA New Jersey show, Scale Down, at the high school. Judas Young over L. Lizard. No, it's L. Lizard. El Lazard, excuse me. Rick Ratchet with Big 80's Donnie B and Bobcat beat Christian Yor. Donnie B, of course, being Nova's brother. Jose Rivera Jr. beat Rocco Dorsey. And Doug Gilbert and Harley Lewis went to a no contest. So technically, wouldn't that be Jose Luis Rivera Jr.? I guess so, yes. In theory. Um, I love that we've got Zandig and John Dahmer on these shows. <laughs> yeah. Reverend John Dahmer. Yeah. Um, this is your Jersey Heroes, Bix. Uh, well, I'm not from Jersey, so. It's close enough. Tri-State area. Uh, anyway, the thing, like, yeah, your ECW guys here, like the Pitbulls, who haven't been in in a while. It's like, what are you doing? Plus, Todd didn't stick around. Yeah. That was the only reason you would even do it, was the whole Todd Gordon. So. Mm-hmm. All right, so let's go to Pennsylvania now. 
We start with Pennsylvania Championship Wrestling in Reading. Blaine Yes, and yes, right. holy third-party booking. Mr. Ulala over Jeff Peterson in your opening match. Speaking of PWI 500, Tommy Golden over Joe Rules. Yes. Glenn Osborne over Armageddon. Chris Kruger over Lance Diamond. Jacqueline over Luna. There you go. How about that? Reckless Youth over Mike Quackenbush. Rick Silver over Scott Fury. Julio Sanchez over Don Montoya. And Edge over Flash Flanagan. Yeah, what a hodgepodge here. Yeah, and Edge. So we're like, oh wait, we are the days before the breakdown pay-per-view, right? Uh, yeah. So Christian has not debuted yet, but Gangrel has, and they've started that a little bit. So he started. He's starting to really get his post-SummerSlam push. Yes. Um, but yeah, I mean, you got your ECWA folks, you got your regular Central Pennsylvania folks, WF folks. You got some Jersey people. Yeah. You got Flesh Flanagan for some reason. Mm-hmm. So, it's fun looking there. I Also, I wonder how short everyone felt next to Edge and Flesh Flanagan. <laughs> well, at least they wrestled each other. Yes. Alright, now let's go to Extreme Championship Wrestling, and they're all on their feelings because the Sandman's leaving. So, let's go to East Debbie Television, shall we? And let's see how they handled this. Are they sh sitting Shiva for Jim? <laughs> so we have a graphic as soon as the show starts. Late breaking news, the Sandman leaves ECW. With, it, with a graphic that says this is live. And it's Tommy Dreamer in the middle of the ring at the Civil Arena. I don't know if a lot of you know this, but last yesterday, five years to the day, Paul Heyman took over as Booker of ECW. Good evening and welcome to Extreme Championship. What does that mean in the context of the TV show? Just keep it going. And uh, to show he's serious and this is off the cuff, Joey Styles is not wearing his uh, suit jacket. No, he's got his suspenders going here. Uh. Wrestling, I'm Joey Styles at the infamous ECW Arena in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, where Tommy Dreamer is discussing with the fans the Sandman's departure from ECW. He took it from the late grade. Eddie Gilbert, and he did a hell of a job here. Thomas Edward Gilbert Jr., professionally known as Hot Stuff Eddie Gilbert, was producer and talent coordinator for ECW, then Eastern Championship Wrestling, for approximately five months back in 1993. I need to make a note to make a drop of him saying <laughs> Thomas Edward Gilbert Jr. <laughs> yes, you do. <laughs> Hi. That's wonderful. And everything was funded by Todd Gordon, and he deserves the respect because he started a lot of this with his own personal money. Todd Gordon was the founder of Eastern Championship <laughs> Wrestling. It followed the demise of the tri-state wrestling promotion. And they're cutting back to Joey Breeze. There was about four chairs, and each and every time we came back here, you people told a friend, and we built something here that was started, and now we're going to the top. 
Tommy Dreamer debuted in ECW on October 1st, 1993, and has been with the company ever since he epitomizes a team player. Oddly enough, his debut matchup was against, of all people, Taz. And we are recording this historic ECW moment as it happens live to videotape here in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Apologize, past and present, for each and every time. It doesn't matter if it was in the gym forums or on a pay-per-view. We bust our ass for you people every single time ECW is somewhere in the United States. And a lot of us, we might have our egos, this, that, and the other thing. But let me tell you something. A guy like Shane Douglas is coming back tonight. He shouldn't be in the ring, but he wants to give it 100% because you people paid your money to come out here. Last time at the ECW Arena, Bam Bam Bigelow, his mom was sick. He got a concussion. He still came out here and busted his ass for you people. Rob Van Dam, last two shows, almost lost his damn eye going through a table. And you know what? He still went out, and he's probably one of the best damn wrestlers in the world today. Oh, he lost his eye both times? Almost lost his eye both times? I think this meant once. Okay. And before RVD was doing all this stuff, there was a guy named Sabu who dove into the barbed wire and moonsaulted into you people, and he is put on 100% every single night. And you see, that's what ECW is all about. The fan in the screen mask is just killing the gravitas of this for me. <laughs> Also, who goes into that building in mid-September wearing a mask? That guy. That doesn't sound very comfortable. Then again, then again, there was the guy in the fursuit at the GCW shows a few weeks ago in Chicago. So. Get in the ring, hurt, you do what you have to do, you get paid, but as long as each and every one of you saw the best damn show, then we're... As was reported on ECWWrestling.com, James Fullington, <laughs> professionally known as the Sandman, opted to sign <laughs> with World Championship Wrestling when his ECW contract expired after Heat Wave 98. For five years, he came out here and you applauded his entrance. He gave you his body. He got his ass kicked. And he truly was the founder of ECW. And I want to give him the send-off that he truly deserves. The Sandman is a former three-time ECW <laughs> Heavyweight Champion, a feat equaled only by that of the franchise Shane Douglas, the current World Heavyweight Champion. <laughs> it's like the MJF cut away. Well, he's just has information. Leaves, anybody leaves, as long as ECW has a card, you will guarantee that you get your money's worth when you see us wrestle. 
So, Sandman, I want to thank you for every single thing you ever did and putting your body and bleeding and being a drunk and being one of the best damn friends I ever had. <laughs> being a drunk. So I'm doing this the way I know Sandman would want it. Pack, baby, I'm going to miss you. Let's raise them up. Pack. Sandman, uh -huh. God bless you. This one is for you. That was his nickname. Yep. Tommy Dreamer. <laughs> no. Oh wait, who is that? You'll see. Tommy Dreamer. Tommy Dreamer. <laughs> oh, Victory. Oh, okay. It's local promoter Ken Reinhardt. Hey, didn't he know Thomas Edward Gilbert Jr.? <laughs> he sure did. <laughs> Tommy Dreamer, I've been out of this business for eight years. Is this his ECW debut? <laughs> Shut the f up. You want to make this into a f angle? You want to make this into a f angle? Yeah, you know what? I'll show you what the f sandman would do. It's Rod Price! Rod Price is in the ring! Rod Price is attacking Tommy Dreamer! Rod Price was waiting! Rod Price hey, was waiting! He partner. was right behind Jack Victory! <laughs> yes, Tommy <it> Dreamer! <laughs> They're playing in her sand, man. Also, uh, Rod Price is definitely trying to come to terms with his hair. I thought he was good! Just incredible! It's just incredible with the Singapore Oh, wait, he is bald. I thought I saw hair. Never mind. Yeah, he's bald. Completely bald. Oh, my God! Dreamer's bleeding from, from above his left... above his left eye! Sandman before he left ECW was 
is this 24-year-old puke just incredible? He's still just 24. And now he's taking out his aggressions yeah. on the Sandman's tag team partner, Tommy Dreamer. He's 48 now? Yeah. Balls and axle run him off. Tommy Rogers, Nova, Meanie. You're the icon. Hey, Tommy Rogers saving someone You're from a Jack disgrace. <laughs> Yes. I like how even in ECW, Tommy Rogers looks short. Yes. All right, let's keep it going. What's wrong with this theory? Tommy Dreamer simply wanted to give a proper send-off to his former tag team know. partner, who we all wish nothing but the best for. Damn that, just incredible. <laughs> Victory and price. Tommy Dreamer's been taken to the locker room. Obviously, we'll need some medical attention. Laying in a puddle of his own blood. <laughs> we are now rolling the the open of the program for identification. I'm sorry if there's Station managers and technicians, please be apprised that at the end of the open, we are going to a commercial break, which we, we do not normally do that. We normally start yeah, the show. We are going to a commercial break at the end of this open. We are recording a historic ECW moment live to videotape that has turned historic for for all the wrong reasons and I I, I don't know what to say station managers, technicians again stand by, <laughs> we're going to a commercial break in 5, 4 3, 2 1 alright pause what a fucking Muppet Joey Files <laughs> I will say this, they didn't they did not bury the Sandman. No, that's what I was going to say, To Like, credit to Paul for at least realizing that you sold out, had to go. Yeah. And they probably knew he'd be back eventually, so... Yeah, they don't Yeah, don't, don't bury him. But, I, I mean, I thought, I thought that was... Uh, Dreamer was good, but the Joey Styles stuff was, was something else. But we're going to get a Thomas Edward Gilbert Jr. out of that, so... Oh, we're going to have to play this. Oh, God. Right, How much so, are we playing just the first half of this? Well, it's, I don't think this is long, is it? Okay, so what is Paul talking to the fans in Queens about? All right, so Paul Heyman was in Queens, and he had a he's telling the fans about uh, he's going to make good for the TV they missed. Oh, this is where he gives out the tapes. Oh, God. Let's go to the clip. I promised you before, whenever we had trouble with television here, that you would never miss an episode of ECW TV. Therefore, on your way out the door tonight, to no expense to anybody in this building, even you, Andre, in this building, everybody that walks out the door tonight will be handed a tape at our expense of all three hours.
the atmosphere here in ECW. All right. And they did. <laughs> um, okay, so I'm trying to remember. This is... Because they had been on both MSG and WPXN, right? Yeah. So this is what? After they that there was a gap on MSG and they're done with PXN? Yeah, I think so. Okay. So and that there was no TV in the three weeks between them that the end of PXN and then starting back on MSG, I guess. Yeah. So. What 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 a what a uh, you know what a gregarious moment for Paul Heyman, huh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and then a few months after this, he signs over financial control of the company to someone else. Interesting. <laughs> oh, ECW. Well, we don't have any results from ECW for our week. The house shows that were scheduled to take place in Kissimmee, Florida, Fort Lauderdale, Florida, and Tampa, Florida were all canceled, largely due to threats of Hurricane George. So there you go. We had a weekend off. ECWA, though, didn't. They ran the St. Matthew's Parish Center in Wilmington, Delaware. We have Chris Kruger with E.S. Easton over J.R. Ryder. The Soul Brothers over Sweet Mr. E. and the Persian Prince. Oh, ECWA champion Christian Cage defeated Ace Darling. So basically, wait, is this the night before breakdown? It's September 26th. So breakdown was on the 27th. Yeah. Yeah. So he's defending his title the night before his main roster debut. But he doesn't lose the belt. No, he doesn't lose the belt. Twiggy Ramirez with the master over Thunder. Devin Storm beating Mike Quackenbush and Mark Shark Schrader in a triple threat match. Jeff Peterson over Mr. Ulala with Barry Casino. Glenn Osborne beat Flash Flanagan with the master. After which they have trainees Sean Stacey and Andrew Martin attacked Osborne and Gangrel made the save. Loon over Jacqueline. Inferno Kid over Reckless Youth. And Lance Storm and Lance Storm and Lance Storm. Lance Diamond in a triple threat match to win the Mid Atlantic title. No Cheetah Master. Is he hurt? I don't know, but we got a double F talents here, so this is obviously a Kevin Kelly deal. Yes. And I'm yeah, well there was the training camp, but also I'm guessing for uh, some of them, though, there was also flight splits between PCW and ECWA. So. Because they were kind of joined at the hip at that time. Yeah. All right. Um, the National Wrestling League. They ran Hagerstown, Maryland on September 26th. We have Vincent Goodnight over Seth James. Jack Hammer over Steve Hill. Slicky Boy over Mike Gunner. Big Bad Biggs be Eric Grund and Jerkface. <laughs> Jerkface. That's my new favorite indie name. The New Age Grungers of Tribal Nation. I'm guessing not the Youngbloods. <laughs> Flex from on when about a royal. John Rambo of Russian Assassin number two. And the reason why I put this show in here, the main event, Terry Funk of a rageable Benny Fernandez. <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah. So is this that weird little building with the wood paneling that they always ran? <laughs> this is John Rambo's so. promotion for people who haven't figured it out yet. Yeah. NW All-Star Wrestling. They ran Statesville, North Carolina on September 26th from 340 fads. Zorro 
over Bl Brad Holton. No, not the Mexican Zorro. Boom Boom Cannon over Mike Youngblood. Big Daddy D and Brad Anderson over Mad Max and Fly High Eddie. Strawberry over Leilani Kai. In your 1988 Junkrat Promotion Jobber uh, offer match, Gary Royal over Colt Steele. And then for the NWA World Tag Titles, Barry Wyndham and Tully Blanchard retained over the Border Patrol. Sure. Now let's go to the Heartland Wrestling Association in Cincinnati on September 24th at Bogarts. We have Cody Hawk over Bobby Kane. Chad Collier over Sean Casey. Chip Fairway over Kingdom James with Honeysuckle Rose in his corner. Tarek the Great beat Sharpboard to retain the Cruiserweight title. Bull Payne and Brian Taylor with GQ Masters III over Chip Fairway and Cody Hawk. Darren draws off of a Buckhouse Buck by disqualification. Excuse me? <laughs> Darren draws off of a Buckhouse Buck by disqualification. And then our main event, Al Snow went to no contest with Edge. And nothing of value was lost. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think I got a message Uncle Les and Joe Dombrowski to see if there's video of Darren Drozdov versus Bunkhouse Buck. I <laughs> uh, no. Then we have Western Tennessee Wrestling. They ran Jackson, Tennessee on September 26th at the O-Man Arena in front of 400 fans. Derek King went to a draw with Samantha Payne. They're doing intergender matches in 98. How about that? Lance Jade over Kid Wicked, Tony Williams. Big Bubba over Heinrich Franz Keller. Not Ottman or Trailer. PG-13 beat Billy Joe Travis and Bulldog Reigns. Superstar Bill Dundee beat Brickhouse Brown. And then Bill Dundee won a 10-man battle royal. And for those who don't know, the Oman Arena is the Jackson Coliseum. Yes. It's been the Oman Arena for a long time, but it's... <laughs> For wrestling, you probably know it better as a Jackson policy. Yes. Media City Wrestling ran Smyrna, Tennessee for a TV taping on September 22nd. Matches of note, Stephen Dunn over Jason Gibson. Rick S. Brown over Mr. Alabama. Bart Sawyer over Kyle Von Brauner. Kyle Von Brauner? <laughs> He's from Southern Germany. Um, Bill Dundee over Billy Love. Atomic Dog, Todd Morton, and Chris Michaels went to no contest with Wolfie D, Shane Eden, and Corey Williams. How dare you deny Shane Eden his styling? <laughs> styling Shane Eden, yes. Frigia Riviera and Suki Boom Boom beat Kenny and John Arden by disqualification. And Recon over the dog. Wait, I thought Frenchy Riviera is one of the Ardens. Frigia Riviera and Suki Boom Boom beat Ken and John Arden by disqualification. Power Pro Wrestling. None of this is on YouTube. We got surrounding weeks, but well, don't have anything from our week. Oh. Uh, TV on 26 was largely contained with the Jerry Lawler, Brian Christopher feud. TV made event was Lawler and Dundee against Christopher and Billy Joe Travis, with Brian throughout the show threatening Travis if he turned on him. Brian said he was only going to team with Travis once, but they believe Randy Hales when he said that Lawler and Dundee were jealous of him and always going to hold him back. They had a Kid Wicked and Derek King in a ladder match for the December, I mean, December, no, October 3rd, Bitsoft Coliseum show. Downtown Bruno was fired last week, came back kissing ass to Hales, asked for his job back, but Hales said he'd see about it. Hales announced on October 3rd the main event would be the Road Warriors against Lawler and whomever wins a battle royal held earlier that night. The announcers were talking about how unfair it was that Austin, Dave means Lawler, wouldn't even know who his partner would, until that night would be against a team that's been together for 15 years. 
Buddy Wayne, they tried to tell Hales and the hiring Sid Vicious. And finally, Hales said that Vicious could be four guys in a row. He signed to a contract. And later in the show, they said Vicious, who was doing the indie show that night, yes, hold the presses, Sid stood up for an indie show, Jersey All Pro, had agreed. And then Lawler did an interview about Andy Kaufman and Jim Carrey. Talked about the feud with Kaufman. In his new Memphis TV version, he admitted the original angle was a publicity stunt, and they did it because he knew it would get him national publicity, and he even used the term saying he was looking for the rub from Kaufman, but claimed he actually did hurt Kaufman because he felt he needed to in order to protect wrestling's credibility. He then told the whole story about the carry deal to build up whatever they got up their sleeve. Wish we had this. Brandon Baxter was supposed to wrestle Stacy. They apologized to her and didn't want to. Hales came out and ordered the match to take place. Wound up with Baxter and Stacy together attacking Randy Hales. Lawler Dundee versus Christopher and Travis in with no contest. Travis and Christopher argued throughout the match. Lawler showed Travis into Christopher, and Christopher attacked Travis, and they followed each other while Lawler and Dundee stood there and laughed at both of them. And they announced that the Road Warriors, Silva, and Sid would all be on TV the next week. Have we done the week with the Brian Christopher shoot promo on Lawler? No. Do you know what I'm talking about, though? Yes, yes. The one where he talks about how... uh, Lawler and Dundee are getting old, that they need to have the really young-looking women around them, like Stacy and Samantha. Yes. Well, he was part right. I mean, she, uh, she was young, she just didn't look it. No, she looked younger when she got older. Yeah. <laughs> That's the funny part about it. I'm assuming there are reasons for that. I don't mean surgery, I mean, well, I'm guessing how you're living. Well, that's nothing, too. I'll tell you this. There's a lot of women today that do do that. They look better when they get in their 40s than they did when they were in their 20s. It's amazing how that works. God bless them. Well, God bless them. All right. Let's go back to the Indies. Intercontinental Pro Wrestling in Boonville, Arkansas. September 26th at the Old Armory for 200 fans. And the Rude Dog over Ted Napier. Trevor Rhodes over Rick Ruby by disqualification. Wild Bill Ash over Jeff Jett. 3D over Tim Storm and Night Train C. Crane. <laughs> yeah, yes, that's Tim Storm. And Jake the St. Roberts over the New York Nightmare with a DDT. So wait, is this Trevor Rhodes, Trevor Murdoch, or a different Trevor Rhodes? I think it's a, the, another Trevor Rhodes. 98? Harley I mean, did have his school by then, right? Yeah, but... Yeah, because see. he's 42 now. He would have been. He would have just turned eighteen. I mean, there are Trevor Rhodes results. It's okay. possible. Okay, so looking at cage match at least, the first result they have for him is this. Although it says ICPW. Intercontinental Pro Wrestling, yeah. Oh well, yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Um, it's possible. And then the next results are a little over a year later, November ninety nine, where it's definitely that. Trevor Murdoch, um, because they're LW shows, and he's working there as Scotty D. D. So, but was he originally trained by Harley, or did he get trained by Harley later? I think later. Okay, so this probably is a really young Trevor Murdoch, then. Where was he from originally, though? uh, I don't know. And we close with all all pro wrestling in Hayward, California, September 25th. Aaron O'Grady over Chris Ward, Jason Clay and Rick Turner over Boom Boom Comedian Chicano Flame, 
Frank Murdoch over Vinny Massaro, Michael Matos over Tony Jones, Vic Grimes over El Demonio Beal Jim, and Max Justice over Boyce Legrand. So there's your indie section for this week. What a section. And now let's close out with World Championship Wrestling. Well, this is not confirmed. This does come from people very close to the situation that the Giant is either very close to or has completed a deal to go to the WWF. He's been talking loudly about it for weeks, and something he's doing that more as a way to get Eric Bischoff's attention and make sure the rumor gets started. He worked all the weekend house shows after missing Utica on September 23rd, complaining of a broken rib, although his action was kept to a minimum. The rumor largely stems from three things. His talk of, of a claim $1 million per year offer and several recent threats to take it, which is quite a bit more than the earnings of WCW, come from WF, the validity of which is speculative, although knowing what Titan and McMahon likes and the knowledge that they've wanted him from the start, Giant fits the bill given his age, 27, and huge size, although if Titan does sign him, then he'd drop guys like Silva and Kurgan because they are his size and not even serious characters, which kills the uniqueness of his gimmick because he's got nothing but their height and more bulk, and they don't even look that tall because they've got all those six-foot-eight guys running around killing the giant gimmick. Or six-to-eight guys, whatever. Uh, his no-show on television on September 28th, and it's all from in re- friends in recent days, saying he's going, going or already is gone, not to mention his career has been stagnant for quite a while. Don't know his contractual situation, but we've heard he's still got a few months to go. Wouldn't be able to just walk out right now, but that, again, isn't from a reliable source when it comes to knowledge of his deal. By the way, if he were to leave without dropping the tag titles, do you think if this was true, as again, this is what's called speculation and nothing more, that Titan on principle would withdraw his offer based on him not doing the right thing for business that made him? Me neither. Well, I mean, (laughs) this was, you know, the deal that was going to be done, you know, for about a year. And uh, this gets done. He leaves in in, uh, 1999, January, and yeah. Wasn't it two years? Wasn't it late 96 when the deal was put together through Luke Williams? I mean, I thought it was 90, late 97. It was a while, either way. Yeah. Which, what was it that we discovered? It was that Dave reported that, like, a few weeks after he started in the WWF? Because it wasn't yeah, part much. of the big story about his signing. Yeah. But, I mean, he definitely was, um, I'm not deep pushed is the word, but put on the back burner for a lot of '98, and they turn him back, and then, um, yeah, I mean, he started getting pushed again with with Hogan and NWO, but uh, but yeah, I mean, uh, it was it was the it was the move that was going to happen no matter what, and nothing WCW could do about that. Nope. And okay, I found it. It's uh, the March 1st, 99 Observer. The deal with Paul White was pretty well put together back way back in December 1996. Brian Wickens, Luke Williams of the Bushwhackers, was an intermediary to avoid tampering, helping set up White's agent Jim Strausser with McMahon. White told McMahon that Strausser had the right to negotiate with him so McMahon could avoid tampering, which would be the case with direct negotiations with White. The sides agreed back then to do it excuse me, then for a 10-year deal at a little under a million a year. As best we can tell, the only part Hogan played in the deal was that whenever Giant was close to changing his mind, Hogan convinced him to take McMahon's deal because McMahon could make him the bigger star. 
The fact that Hogan has a rep for doing what is best for himself, and he wanted White on the other side for a 10-year deal, as opposed to, say, a 3-year deal where McMahon could make him and he could come back, seems to indicate Hogan is looking for another run at some point. I mean, yeah, I mean, <laughs> he was definitely looking out for uh, himself. Absolutely. He was looking out for a future run. So he knew, he knew what he was doing. All right. So, like I said, fate complete. It's no secret with the, within the company that the warrior is dying. And the realization that unless something is done quickly, he's taking Hogan down with him. They may still may do a great buy rate, good buy rate for the next review, although it's going down and not escalating with every bit of hype added to the mix. Well, we're going to get more in depth on this when we get to Nitro. But, um, yeah. So this is a quite the angle at the time. That's for damn sure. It's considered almost a definite after Jackie Chan will face Ernest Miller, which explains the Miller push on a pay-per-view later this year, although it's not clear which one. World War Three is the one that is most likely. Oh, this is big rumor for a long time on the internet. There's going to be Jackie Chan and Ernest Miller going to have their match. I, I mean, he's old, but he's still doing Jackie Chan stuff. So, like, it's it's a better idea than some of the celebrity ideas they had. Well, I mean, okay. Jackie Chan at this point in time, uh, uh, Rush Hour. Rush Hour came out in 97? Because, uh, yeah, 97. 98. He, no, it came out in 98. He's not came actually out that old. It came it came out September 18th, 1998. Okay, and he's actually not that old. I mean, I'm sure he's beat up, but at this point, he's only 44. Yeah, but this is where Jackie's really becoming a right, major right. Amer American movie star. Yes. At, at this point in time. So, yeah, I mean, that would have been a big, big pull for WCW to get that as a match. It just never happened. But yeah, I mean, that would have been a huge deal. And I don't know if I would say that, you know, I don't know if all that would correlate with Miller's push. I think Ernest Miller being Ernest Miller and his connections with Bischoff probably had something to do with that. That he's Garrett's karate coach. Yeah. Well, so, so I don't know. Sensei. Well, let's get to it. It's time. Monday Nitro. Oh. September 21st. From the Fleet Center in Boston, drew 15,144 or 14,280, paying 265,279. This show was so bad. And granted, Nitro was bad a lot of weeks, and they've had bad pay per view shows, and their business is still great. But this came off as a show that will start the erosion of the business over the long haul. You know, what is it that, um, that's been the talk, one of the talking points lately in, with wrestling is. Don't judge the ratings, judge the, you know, the live gates and stuff like that to determine, yeah. determine things. Um, I think this is the outlier. <laughs> 1998 WCW. <laughs> you mean the largest grossing year for any wrestling promotion in history up to that point? Yes, and it was one of their worst years of creative but they and have the Goldberg, but that's the Goldberg peak and stuff. I think you yeah. can say it more for early '99 is when. But the buy rates drop off. Though. I mean, so it's like it lags though too. I mean, like it, it's when is the first big drop off with the attendance of '99? Well, it's, it's you know 
basically after you start. I mean, it's, it it starts after the Dome Nitro. I was going to say the obvious one is the Georgia Dome return after Finger Post. I mean, that, yeah, but that's later on. I'm talking about they're they're already starting to drop well before that. Uh, yeah. Did, uh, hold on. What did what did the January Fourth Nitro do compared to? Well, that's so what I'm saying. That, that I'm saying that that's at the aftermath of that. Okay, so for what it's worth, that January 4th Georgia Dome is 38,809 fans that attended, 34,788 yeah. paid. The yeah, return that was, is, it, is six months later in July, last WCW show ever at the Dome, 25,338, 19,456 paid. So it's still a good house, but very obviously there's something wrong. Yeah, I mean they they they're still drawing great, you know, after that, but it's it's going down. But anyway, I mean But the pay per views were going down, that's the thing. Like it's Yeah. So like you had one paid metric that was going. You know what I mean? Yeah. So Alright, the show opened with Hall showing up acting like he was loaded and Doug Dillinger trying to sober him up. They went to the ring. It filled with steam. Disciple was there, and when the ring cleared, asleep was sleep on the mat. We, it's, it's, we we got it to play some of this because okay. it's, it's all right. So Hogan and in the black and white showed up trying to recapture the prisoner, but the dreaded and Dave does mean dreaded steam came. It must not have been the crippling variety of the nerve gas, as nobody else fell asleep this time. But Disciple was gone with the smoke cleared. And then the warrior showed up. So let's go to this. A wonderful thing. Oh, the ring's filling up. The ring is filling up with smoke. Wait, that could mean only one thing. That must mean the warrior is here somewhere as well. I thought it meant that Ray and Conan were here. No, no, no. It's Scott Hall. No, that's oh. that the disciple. That looks like the disciple. <laughs> we haven't seen the disciple since last Monday when the warrior grabbed him and disappeared. Has he been held captive for the last week by the leader of the OWN, the one warrior nation, the warrior? Well, whoever had him uh, realized he wasn't suitable and brought him back. Yeah, but they had him for a week <laughs> now. As you look at our crowd here on hand, he apparently is out cold face down in the ring here. Bizarre way to begin our program. He's not moving. And here comes Hollywood Hogan and Bishop. Now, this is a direct slap in the face for the new world. No music. And they don't like it. As a matter of fact, it's not just Hogan and Bishop, it's the entire NWO black and white. The Warriors' mind games continue as he stays one step ahead of Hollywood Hogan. The NWO black and white. Wait a minute. The ring filling up again. Once again, the ring fills up. Hogan cannot even get to the disciple. Oh, look, the lights. Maybe they'll all disappear. The lights flickering in. In a puff of smoke, he's gone. Up here, speed racer. Lord. Where is he? Hogan! Speak to me, 
since the Warriors took home. <laughs> Is that the thought? Yes. And, and look at this. As you have said, Hogan, there has been running over here, Hogan. They turned a light. They turned a light off of him too. And they somehow this found has him. Nothing to do with him. Oh. oh, there's the Ed Leslie sex doll. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Keep it going. <laughs> I can't tell if that's an actual person or not, but it's definitely not Ed Leslie. Well, Dave will let you know. So let's keep going. Okay. Give me my disciple back, warrior. Then I tell you what: if you got any guts, let's finish. What you ran away from eight years ago. Get your butt down here, and I'll beat it right now. He beat you. <laughs> let's not forget. I mean, well, let's, not let, let's not let the truth get in the way of the good story, picks. The disciple in his clutch is what This has everything to do with you, Hogan. And as you say, there has been running. You've been running to hide. While I've been running to reappear. Tell the truth, lawyer. You're a coward. Tell all my NWIs that you live in fear of Hollywood. Tell them, you coward. The power of the warriors bows to nothing or no one. I, Hogan have been running to reappear to start as I will tonight take from you all the possessions which you believe have value in your life and tonight Hogan I start with what you believe is your most committed follower the disciple As you can see, Hogan, he kneels beside me, for he has not yet been instilled with the power of the warriors. But I want you, Hogan, to keep a close eye throughout this evening, for the OWN revolution broadened its scope while the plot of Halloween Havoc thickens and I can guarantee you, Hogan, you and all you worship will feel the power of the warrior. Get down here right now, warrior. Listen, this thing right here. Get down here, warrior. I'm going to come up and rip your lungs out. Get down here, you coward. <laughs> the mind games continue from the warrior. I'd love to see Hogan get up there. All right. That, and now we, then we get the traditional start. All right, so here's Dave. Warrior was in in the rafters with his blow-up doll dressed like the disciple. And Dave means this was lame. We were supposed to think, since it didn't go to close-ups, that this doll was the same disciple who was just in the ring. Amazing how the blow-up Ed Leslie doll was just as talented as the real-life one. Dave doesn't know that this show got worse after this horrible segment, but only in spots did he get better. 
<laughs> uh, wasn't as horrible as Dave says it is, Bix. Yes. <laughs> well, I, I always didn't. Wasn't there a scene where the disciple was kneeling in front of the warrior? I think that might be the angle at the end of the show. Okay. Spoiler alert, but yes. Before he teleports to the ring and reveals his new allegiances, yes. I think think that's what led to what what I believe Dean Rasmussen referred to as having the Ed Leslie blow up doll suck his messianic penis. (laughs) Oh, man. All right, so how do you follow that up? Fifth family beat Barry Darso at 345 with a tombstone pile driver. Actually, at this point, Dave thought Bischoff was using the show as a model for his new book, How to Kill the Most Rapid Life Crowd. Well, let's continue. Raph beat Nick Densmore in two minutes, ten seconds with a meltdown. Huh? Oh, Nitro in Boston? Nick Densmore and Raph? Sure. Next. Rick Steiner over Rick Fuller with a bulldog off the top of 58 seconds. Well, at least Rick Fuller's a Northeastern guy. It's a New England guy. So, um, Rick challenged Scott and started delivering a terrible interview. Luckily, they immediately went to commercial. But when they came back, Hogan and company were back, challenging Warrior to show up. Warrior was in the aisle. And that's where we need to pick it up from here, Bix. Back in Boston, a capacity crowd on hand. Uh-oh. Hollywood Hogan's coming back out. That's his music. Already seen him once tonight. I wonder what he has in mind. We've already seen the warrior. You want to go ahead and skip ahead to the warrior? Disciple still needs rest, and he's not posing. Uh -uh. He's stalking right out of the ring here. Um, See if we can do this without fucking up the connection. By the way, was I the only one that noticed uh, that Shivani's call of that opening segment? Uh, sounded like the right, announcer voice he does now on his podcast when he's making fun of stuff. A little bit. Come on, warrior! Show me what you're made of! I like the, the sign. The start the damn hair! Oh, what's going to happen? Come on, warrior! Face your fear! Here he comes! I just walked out the entrance. If you have any courage, Hogan, follow me. This is the way. Hogan's taking out after the warrior. Who's going again? He's done it again. He dared. He almost... To follow him this way, but Hogan cannot even make it back through the smoke there. Now, fans, I, hopefully, we're going to try to follow him. Oh, we're going to gorilla position. As our cameras are now with a Hogan. Walking by Raven and Canyon, standing there. Where'd he go? Where's he at? He's just. Ah, what is this? What is this? It's Warriors! It's Hogan's Ultra! Ah! Oh, oh my god! That's not gonna help him! What's going on here? 
the sign of the warrior, and the thing is on fire. Hollywood, in there, in there, in there, in there. Look. <laughs> careful, careful, watch my back. What acting? The disciples are here. Watch your back for the warrior. The warrior could be anywhere. Watch your back. That's where he belongs. All right. <laughs> what do you do to you, man? What do you do to you? <laughs> The steam here is very obviously just someone setting off a fire extinguisher off camera. The sidewalk! Yes. Where's that? The sidewalk! Water! The sidewalk! Oh, God! Did they flush him? Where's he at? He's gone! Where'd he go? Hogan can't find him! God, where'd he go? It's the wall, uh, brother. Hey, wall. <laughs> oh, that Hogan. He's quite a little actress, isn't he? <laughs> uh. <laughs> I mean, it, you go you go back and watch this, and you have to laugh because it's so fucking hilarious. Because it's how bad it is. Yes. <laughs> okay, so let's just read what Dave says. He talked about the sidewalks passed out the bathroom. Hogan panicked, although Dave has no idea why, because he's seen that idiot like that nightly for years. <laughs> wow. He tried to wake him up, but Golly knows what he had done. As he tried to recapture him, more steam, and wouldn't you know it, he was gone again. WCW spent years trying to get in all these cities that WF had a stronghold in, and all these buildings, and now they're self-destructing. Anyway, at this point, Bischoff was retiling his book, How to Kill the Biggest Wrestling Company in the World. <sighs> well, <laughs> we go from that to how to almost kill one of your wrestlers. Well, well, Dave has a, has a book title about that, too. All right, so um, next we have Raven and Canyon beating Los Bianos, four and five. They did a combination powerbomb netbreaker spot on Biano four. Canyon with the powerbomb, Raven with the netbreaker. Um, Raven appeared to tug on the netbreaker way ahead of the powerbomb, and the spot looked horrendous, especially if you're a Viano. So let's go to that, shall we? Oh, yes. Tag team action, Raven oh, and yeah, Canyon against Viano 4 and 5. Ladies and gentlemen, Still have a tag team feature about to go. Scott Hall, Stevie Ray together. Raven's got something to say, so shut up! And they'll face Luger and Kevin Nash later on, plus Ric Flair is here. Loyalty is dead. I gave, and I gave, and I gave to the flock. And they repaid me with their desertion. For the crimes perpetrated against Raven by the flock, somebody has to pay. Quote the Raven, nevermore. Oh! And Raven took the microphone and hit one of the Vianos in the side of the head. And look at Raven. Well, he said they're going to have to pay. He just handed the bill directly to the Vianos. Yeah, Raven's decided he's going to take his anger out on this brother tag team from Mexico along with Canyon. I don't think people are through paying yet. I think this may just be the beginning for Raven. As he sent the Viano in, he tagged in Canyon. All right, here we go. 
Okay, before they do it, I'm trying to remember. Was the lore of what happened that the landing was on the trapdoor, or that Raven slipped on the trapdoor? Uh, I think it was more of a landing. We'll see. Okay. Here we go. I have not watched this in a very long time. Canyon, who's come up with so many spectacular new balls. Oh, oh goodness. They bent the man in half. Neck Raven out of- definitely went early, but I want to see it again and pay more attention to his feet. A power bomb. Canyon. Canyon, who's come up with so many spectacular new balls. Oh, oh, yes, Raven. Patrick Neck breaker out of a power. Raven, to his credit, immediately realizes something happened and is trying to keep his neck immobilized. Yeah, and he's talking to him. Nick Patrick is in there. Oh, he's hurt. Seriously. Yeah, Raven. Is it Patrick going to counter? Stop it. He's going to the bell. bell. He hurt him. He said, they're going to pay. That's what he said. And he comes out and he hurts the man. Raven is still holding him. Wish I knew what he was saying to him. Weirdly, his brother does not seem to realize he's hurt. I don't know, fans, but the no. way he, that, that, this is very serious here. Nick Patrick calling for help. He's pointing to the neck. What we've seen in the Canyon's past down is just how devastating the power bomb can be. You factor in Raven applying a neck breaker at the same time. It's a very serious situation. Oh. We see our trainer, Danny Young. Danny Young, into the ring. Yes. And Nick Patrick. And now Doug Dillinger comes around. I tell you, when they dropped him, his neck and his back, they just bent in half. He said he was going to pay, and unfortunately, he was a profit on this one. So, fans, we're just going to, I understand, just stay with us here. And Nick Patrick knew about neck injuries. So you know he felt it. It may take mm. quite a while for us to get uh, one half of the Vianos out of the ring here. Uh, trainer Danny Young is now checking to see. He's checking his neck. You can see holding one of the arms. They'll check to see if he can move his arms here. I don't see him moving anything. Zooming his hand, Larry, for God's sake. It's really too <laughs> early to say here. He's moving his legs. I mean, he's moving all of his extremities. Oh, what a scary situation this yeah, is. And, you know, I don't think, I don't, have you ever seen a referee just. Just stop the match like that, match. not even make a count? Well, it just really shows you how serious that was. Let's watch it on replay. Yeah, look, and look how far he bent over backwards. His oh. Patrick's reaction. His back went over and. Yeah, Here's wait, let me go back because I also want to see how much really of those how serious that was. We take another look. Well, take another look and look how far he bent over Okay, he definitely ball. landed on the trap door because there was zero give there. Yeah, just Nick. Nick just immediately put his, his arm over his head like, oh, no. Yeah, I need to see Nick's you know, referee reaction. Just, just stop the match like that, match. not even make a count. Well, it just really shows you how serious that was. We take another look. Well, take another look and look how far oh. he bent over backwards. His oh. neck crinkled up and his back went over and here's another look at it hopefully it's just a shoulder injury here as he landed on I, his lips all the weight came down on the back of his neck tony you can hear the fans react here in the building when they see it now for a third time different angle here look at how low he came and oh 
okay, this is not me assigning blame. It looks like something happens with, I don't know if it's on Canyon or Raven or Viano or what. Something happens with his positioning before Raven starts to go. Raven may have yeah, had a little slip. Okay, let's see. Okay, watch, watch where he is. I mean, let's look at Raven's feet. You can hear too, the fans but... react here in the building when they see it now for a third time. Yeah, Raven double pumped. Mm. Double and, pumped. And Viano relaxed on the first one. Yeah, that's okay. Total, total miscommunication all the way around on that one. And then the trap door made it even worse. Yeah. Mm. Oh, he came and oh, they broke. Oof. Uh, you know, uh, wrestlers use different spectacular maneuvers, and a lot of them are just awesome, but they are so dangerous. And Yeah, it's the... Uh, yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's that he relaxed on Raven's false start. Mm-hmm. Understandably. Yeah. Yeah. Raven double pumped. Yeah. All right, so this is what Dave said. Um, Raven appeared to tug on that breaker with a firebomb spot the Torrent, especially if you're in the, uh, especially if Nate Patrick freaked. They immediately stopped the match in 47 seconds without a pin. Raven broke character immediately and looked totally concerned. Biano 4, Tomas Diaz Mendoza was laid out for a while and was eerily similar to the scene where with Buff Bagwell. Finally, he got up, went to the back, although he's glassy eyed and that's the prompting, was taken to the hospital where he was released that night and diagnosed as having a sprained neck. The spot looks sick in slow-mo. The announcers had major Bagwell flashbacks watching it. Yes, no, they do. We just had the Bagwell thing months earlier, too. Yeah. Mm. And didn't it turn out, where was this? Was it in the Nitro book? Where was it? Was it a Conan story? That they once he was in the back, he was pretty much on his own, and they didn't have to get try to get anyone to translate to coordinate going to the hospital or getting an ambulance or anything? Um, I don't know if it was a Nitro book or not. I'm trying to remember where I heard it. But, yeah. And how long is he out for as I pull up wrestling data? <laughs> as I scroll to 1998, he is out, he's out for about six, uh, really, except for, oh, he's out much longer than I thought. He's out for almost a year. Yeah. Pretty <laughs> much. He has, like, one match after... Several months and then comes back on a limited schedule. Yeah, it's crazy. All right, uh, Alex Wright came out and said he was sick of WCW. At that point, he wasn't exactly alone. He challenged Diamond Dallas Page and said if he won, he'd get a title shot at Goldberg. <laughs> Fat chance. My today insisted that Page is the people's champion. Maybe the village people, but not any other people. <laughs> Page with a diamond cutter in 86 seconds. The People's Champ. Now, let me get this straight. Why is he the People's Champ, not Rocky? The interview, and all the people were chanting Goldberg at him. Some fans were booing him, and others were quiet. Thankfully, the mug root beer commercial came on, and the old ref was the best thing thus far on this show once again. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Next, Ernest Miller beat Lenny Lane in 239. With a spinning roundhouse kick. At this point, Dave was trying to find some form of entertainment out of this show. So he decided to count the moves that Miller would miss in this match. 
So this is the 90 picks not to miss any moves. There was no way to have fun watching the show. Scott Hall showed up while this match was going on, so we got to see both the company's dumbest angles at the same time. Kind of like combining two bad, real bad drugs at the same time. Both together multiplies to have the bad effects that you'd expect to end both them up. Or well, wrestling vernacular, it means Nitro loses a quarter hour when Jeff Jarrett is on Raw. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Bischoff's now renaming his book and how I can teach New Japan to increase profits because I have the model. <laughs> Days on at the night on this one. <laughs> mm-hmm. Dusty Rose came out to dress Scott Hall away, looking like he's put on another 50 big ones since we last saw him. <laughs> Perry Saturn beat Jerry Flynn in 605 with a Death Valley driver. It wasn't good, but compared to everything else thus far, it was a masterpiece. Scott Steiner and Buff came out for their promo. Boy, did they destroy a superstar maker angle with Bagwell. They blabbed about Bret Hart. The interview got progressively worse as it went on. They challenged Bret to come out. They both jumped him when he did. Sting made the save. It is amazing. To this day, to me, how they botched Buff Backwell coming off that come back from that injury. Yeah, and here's the part everyone forgets: he has a little bit of a hiatus again, and then when he actually does come back to the ring, he's he's just a babyface again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they they turn him babyface when he comes back from this neck deal. I mean, that's a huge, I mean, that's a huge chance for him to break out. But they had him go back heel. And then it was all swerve. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then, so then when he did become a babyface again, it didn't mean anything, whereas he would have been coming back from this brutal injury. With, I mean, as live TV injuries go, and I actually was not watching Thunder that night, I only saw it later. But still, as far as like live TV wrestling injuries, that is probably still the scariest. It is. You could definitely tell that the announcers, especially Shivani, just was at a complete loss. Well, because they stayed with him for like half an hour, and also yeah. the replay that it looked so bad. Yeah. Oh, actually, wait, yeah. no, I just remembered. He is no, no, no. Bagwell, Bagwell is a heel at first when he comes back, and then he turns yeah, he baby is. face. In the he turns baby face very shortly thereafter, though. He's a heel with Scott Steiner. Right, right, right. It was I. I remember what I was confusing with that. The, the way I remembered though was remember. Remember how in his first match back, Steiner almost injures him with the same move again? Yes. Yes. <sighs> Billy Kidman beat Disco Inferno in 1045. The shooting star press to keep the Cruiserweight title in a very good match. They aired all the footage, tape for Thunder, with Disco supposed to challenge Hoobie for the title when he was so busy trying to lose weight that he was exhausted once the match started. But it turned into a good match anyway. Conan beat Chavo Guerrero Jr. in 1041 with the Tequila Sunrise. Not bad, but too long, especially for this live audience. Ten minutes, 41 seconds for Conan and Chavo on this show? Oof. Bischoff came out with Elizabeth to try and sell the loving fans of Boston the book he was writing. Four horsemen showed up. Doug Dillinger blocked the ring. Finally, Dillinger at the Bischoff started talking about who pays him, and they brought up Dillinger and his crew, who were all originally from Charlotte, stepped aside. Actually, that's the coolest thing Doug Dillinger's probably done in the past 50 years. Flair and Bischoff got into arguing about the lawsuit, and who was really more of a positive influence on the business in the 80s between he and Hogan, that went over nearly everyone's head. The crowd reaction was a disappointment for the entire segment, although Flair's delivery was awesome, and Bischoff was a great heel. When Flair was putting over the horseman, the crowd heavily booed McMichael. 
Bottom line, he's got to go. Nobody buys him. Blair told Bischoff to suck it. Isn't wrestling a wonderful business? Every other week, Dave reads one owner ripping the other owner for ripping fans off in some way or using dirty language, and then they just copy the ones they claim are ruining their opposing company. WF complains about old guys who can't wrestle, then put Sarge Slaw in a match. WF complains about giving pay-per-view matches on, for, on free TV, and then they do it. WCW complains about dirty language and then steals the other side's catchphrase. They both rip on each other for false advertising and not living up to stipulations, and then somebody breaks a window in one of their glass houses. <laughs> Where's the lie? Dave's speaking the truth on all that there. I'm, the 90s were weird. Well, the late 90s were weird. Yeah. This whole era is weird looking at hindsight. Yeah. This, uh, this segment is 12 minutes long, so we're not really playing anything from it. Player looks great in his suit, though. Well, we're going to play the Dillinger thing. Oh, it started playing again. I'm sorry. I never played. You didn't you didn't went through that. That's why I was that's why I was thinking I guess we're not gonna play anything because you didn't went way past no, that. No no no, I saved my timestamp, don't worry. Okay. Yeah, I was sitting here looking at that thing go by, so well I guess we're not gonna play it after all. <laughs> Alright. Uh Okay, here we go. Uh, uh. Look at him! The horseman! And this oh, is the week after Green Bull. Let's make that clear. Okay, Mr. My Television Program. And Bishaw smells funny. Mr. Come on. <laughs> Maybe you're in there, service provider needs to pay you a visit like me. No, it's the network <laughs> web interface. I don't have any of these problems on my Android TV or anything. Or with other streaming stuff. It's just, it's this web interface when you're skipping around on the network. All right. <laughs> uh, should I make an edit? No, we'll leave it in here. Okay. If you say so. All right, so where was I? I went right, I think I went just before 158, right? Yeah. Okay. found oh. out <laughs> where they wrestle. So once again, for the very delusional Ric Flair and the history buffs around the world that think like him, security crew is basically Doug Dillinger and his buddies from the Charlotte Police Department that's retired to become the WCW security crew. That I mean, that that is it. So these are the guys that that protected Flair for years in Charlotte. And now there's, you know, they've been WCW security crew for, for a few years by now, but 
Yeah, these are these guys go way, way back. And he and Ric Flair go way, way back. Even before there was an Eric Bischoff on the scene. Get him out of here. I know for a fact. Get him out of here. I know for a fact Doug Dillon is Ric Flair. Doug is recruited his security officers from the Charlotte, North Carolina Police Force. He's, he's, he's stepping he, aside. He stepped aside is what he did. He's letting Flair walk to the ring. Pillager, you work for me. Not him. And Doug Dillinger made a, a bold decision in the face of his boss. Wow, this could affect his job. If there's anything left to affect here. Enough of that. 
Rolling your own like Dick's Hat Band. That's old school right there. Buddy. I thought he said Dick Van Patten for a second. No, Dick's Hat Band. Uh-huh. That is an old school country saying. Oh, man. Yeah. Again, like I was saying while he was playing, man, you look at Benoit at a distance, and God, he looks so much like Adam Page. Just the hair, just the, the way he was looking. Man. Well, at least Adam Page is the opposite as a human being. Oh, yeah. Man, I saw Kevin Nash and Lex Luger go to a no decision with the giant Stevie Ray in about 4.30. Can somebody get Bobby Walker to drop his lawsuit so we don't have to watch Stevie Ray wrestle on main events? <laughs> Beyond terrible. Michael Buffer called the giant the master of the power slam. Maybe in hotel rooms, but certainly not in the ring. All showed up and the match just ended, although it had long since died. Nash almost embarrassed by everything, and he did his part by doing nothing in the match. Almost apologetically issued a challenge to Scott Hall for a match. Since Hall's gimmick is so over and such a big ratings draw, nobody popped it off for the challenge and a feud they've been building up for months and holding off ever getting in the ring so as to not rush things. I think the crowd's just been beat up by somebody that showed up. Although they were hot for the horseman segment. That was right before this match. So Yeah, well, let's go to the... Uh... Climax. Oh, that's a great word to use. Finally, Hogan showed up and challenged Warrior again. And Warrior came out with the Disciple. Let's go to the clip. Unexpected appearance here. I don't know. I guess Hollywood's going to get the final word. Look at the face of Bischoff. And Hogan. Bischoff's hair is a teeth shoe polish here. Oh, yeah. Oh, no, no, that comes later on in WF. WWE. Hmm, perhaps. Well, he's got that tan, then, too. Yeah. Empire from the Disciple, from the Return of Flair. Don't you no more Hogan's games, Warrior! The man is in red. the ring! From the Warrior <laughs> to Scott Hall is starting to crumble. It goes like this, brother. You've been playing hide-and-seek all night long. We know you're in the building. If you got any dignity at all, get out here, warrior. And I'll send you back to the promised land. Get the warrior out here. We're not waiting for Halloween Havoc. All my NWOites want to see Hollywood bust him up. So get out here. All right. I want to, you know, I want to see it here. I want to see the man come out too. Oh, wait, I don't think come we Come on down, warrior. No, 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 we don't. Big bad warrior, I'll show you what. I think that was the week before. He finally showed his face. Warrior, get down here and let me show all my people your true colors, which is canary yellow. Come on, warrior, show me. Oh, okay, brother. (laughs) You're going to get yours, man. Oh, I love it, man. And you know what? Oh, the disciples. Oh, this one's bug. for the disciple, warrior. I'm not only going to beat you up, I'm going to hurt you real bad. So you're going to get yours, brother. What is this? Standing next to him, turns around. 
The, the disciple. Oh, look, look at his back. One Wire hey. Nation. OWA. What's going with that? What's up with that? He said he was going to have a new member, didn't he? What are you? He's taking his best friend. Wire. Look at this. What are you doing? You're going to get yours, Wire. That's how, You're going to get yours. That's how Nitro wins. <laughs> What, did Danielson wrap the belt around Moxley's waist after they went off the air on this show, too? <laughs> after the show went off the air, they finished with the slap hitting the ring and beating up Hogan while the crowd booed both guys and chatted, Nitro sucks and boring. <laughs> the reason the slap hit the ring and not Warrior and why Warrior didn't ever take his jacket off is because he's got a torn bicep and his bad ankle. He's got a bad ankle and can't move and his arm shrunk. But he's going to wear the Vegas match no matter what. Actually, even though nearly everyone resents him making seven figures for like 36 days of work, and is that figure becoming more embarrassing by the week? He hasn't been the nutcase backstage as reputation said he would be. Then again, he hasn't been asked to put anybody over yet either. That seven-figure contract, that was a big thing. You know, I mean, that pissed a lot of people off. It's understandable. But, I mean... If you had the opportunity to do that, to get him in there and do the Hogan thing, if you look at it from the perspective of what it should have done, that should have been a major, major deal. Mm-hmm. But it didn't. It didn't turn out that way for for, for, re, for quite a few reasons. But. Yeah, I mean, you do that. You, I mean, if you had a chance to bring Warrior in and have the big rematch with Hogan, because it never had a rematch, you do it at that time period. Yeah, the important part is that now I pulled up kneeling Ed Leslie the week before in the ring. Yeah, in Greenville, yes. And, okay, now now, now Warrior's making it look a little bit more uh, sexual. He's standing in front of him, yeah. So, there you go. I. Notice some, there was somebody missing from this show. People were furious about Goldberg not being there, and there were a lot of Nitro sucks chants by the fans in the parking lot after the show as well. It had been hinted that this would be Goldberg's, as I scroll down, one-year anniversary. This is his TD debut on September 22nd last year in Salt Lake City. He was there, and fans knew it since me and knew he was in town the previous day for an autograph session. He arrived two hours late, which a lot of fans also knew. This is a true story. Because uh, Goldberg's been getting so much positive press from being Jewish, they didn't want to get the Jewish community mad by having him wrestle on Rosh Hashanah. You know, because 32 years ago, Sandy Koufax, this totally awesome pitcher for the Dodgers, went pitching a World Series game, although that was on Yom Kippur, which is a much bigger Jewish holiday, and someone got confused between the two and decided to not have him appear. WCW, everybody! (laughs) All right, so let's go to our resident master of Jewish holidays, Bix. Um, (laughs) Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur. Kippur. All right, so I mean, tell everybody what Rosh Hashanah is New Year, Yom Kippur is Day of Atonement. They're ten days apart. But what's bigger? Yom Kippur. There you go. Yom Kippur is the one where you're basically not supposed to do anything, in theory, if you're reserved. Yes. So, here's WCW in WCW fashion, getting their Jewish holidays mixed up. Who would have thought they would have done something like that? Yeah. It's almost as if it's the company where uh, 
one of the people in charge once told told Paul Heyman to go back to his fucking Jew lawyers in New York. <laughs> yeah. All right, during the commercial break of the PA, Flair said to Bischoff that he wanted his job, which that's build, the building up to the angle. Uh, Torch said during the Hogan Disciple Brawl, fans were upset they were chanting Nitro sucks and boring. Word just isn't over at all anywhere right now. It's affecting his confidence level behind the mic, too. I noticed that. Did you notice that on his promo that he he was doing warrior stuff, but he didn't sound like WF Warrior would? Yeah. He he wasn't as believable, so to speak. Maybe that's the right word. Maybe. Like he wasn't putting his his heart and soul into it. So, I don't know. Yeah. So, okay, so for the record, Rosh Hashanah began Sunday night, because it's two days, and ended Tuesday night. And then Yom Kippur was the following Tuesday on the, uh, start with Tuesday into Wednesday of the following week. Yeah. So Yom Kippur would not have been affected by the WCW schedule at all. Yeah. But they don't know that. I think, I guess they think all those Jewish holidays are the same. Would it surprise you? I mean, we have a lot of them. (laughs) Yeah, but still a company, uh, that has a mainly southern uh, power base. <laughs> yeah. See, why not use it to try to take more days off? Hey, Eric, <laughs> can I have two Bishvat off? <laughs> A.K.A. as Billy Crystal once dubbed it, Jewish Arbor Day. <laughs> a Nitro program that would be described charitably as atrocious on September 24th from Boston led to Raw ending Nitro's three-week win streak and the head-to-head Monday Night Wars. However, the total audience watching Pro Wrestling for head-to-head battle was at its lowest level since February 23rd, with the two shows combining for only a 7.73 rating during the head-to-head two hours, down a full two points from the 9.72 record level set on August 24th going against a preseason NFL game, albeit a Super Bowl rematch that was the highest-rated preseason game in years. The tape raw from Sacramento drew a 4.02 rating, 4.22 first hour, 3.82 second hour, and a 5.89 share. Nitro did a 3.91, 4.31 first hour, 3.56 second hour, 3.84 third hour, and a 5.71 share. Although the head-to-head two hours only did a 3.71. The Dallas Cowboys New York Giants Monday Night Football game did a 13.1 rating and a 21 share which is still well down from the 14.8 Monday Night Football was averaging last season. And thus far this year, Monday Night Football is averaging a 13.3 rating. The gap was close enough to where the pathetic quality of Nitro showed no doubt more than spelled the difference overall. Raw was down to quality from usual with far too much McMahon. Uh, doing it out, see, for the other McMahon. But the effort and work rate from the wrestlers in the ring was probably the best on a Raw show in a long time. While people had rated the day about D-Lo and Xbox title change, which he'd rate as above average, Dave's feeling is at best third best match on the show, possibly fourth. Undertaker game versus Austin Billy Gunn is the best, followed close by a triple threat match. And even Jeff Jarrett versus Billy Gunn may have been better. Best thing on Nitro was Flair, and that was nowhere close to the previous week. And the shocking not lock, but less than overwhelming crowd response to Flair was unbelievable in contrast to the previous week. Nitro has a little in the way of wrestling quality, although Kidman vs. Disco was as good as anything that WF provided. Raw won six to eight quarters in regulation, losing the final two, both of which included Ric Flair. 
It also made five consecutive WCW television shows where Arn Anderson was in the highest rated segment. Despite being placed in the main event position, which should be the highest rated, only once of those five shows. There was a little spectacular in the ratings from either side as Raw Pete with a 5.07 for the Austin Billy Gunn Undertaker Kane match, which was the most watched thing on the entire show, on either show. Nitro's Pete was only a 4.2 for the segment where Flair and Bischoff had their argument and in the battle at the end. WCW finished with Nash Luger against Stevie and the Giant with a draw Scott Hall angle did a 4.16. And the overrun largely consisted of Hogan Warrior Disciples Turn did a 4.03. Raw only did a 3.52 rating for the most of the triple threat match with Raw, Shamrock, and Mankind. Going to a 3.81 for the overrun where Undertaker came and Man Austin all got involved. Head to head saw Raw open a 4.0 with a Man angle uh, to a 3.8 with Paige and Alice Wright. Raw stayed at 4 for Jeff Jarrett, Billy Good, Austin interview. To a 3.5 for Ernest Miller and Lenny Lang. Raw did a 3.8 with the Headbangers Commodities Angle and Sable vs. Jack. Went to Nitro's 3.7, Perry Stern and Jerry Flynn. Raw did a 5.1, the beginning of Austin Gunn vs. Terry Kane, while Nitro went to a 3.3, Steiner Bagwell interview Angle with Bret Hart. Raw did a 4.0, the ending of the Austin match, while Nitro grew 3.7 with Disco and Kidman. Raw went to a 4.2 with Slaughter and Snow, while Nitro went to a 3.3 with Conan and Chavo, which had to be a huge support for Nitro. And finally, Nitro did a 4.2 for Flair Bischoff, while, Nitro, while Raw did a 3.6 with Alvius Owen and Xbox and D'Lo, and then a 4.2 to 3.5 for the final quarter hour. The thing, the thing is, about all these shows when Raw's taped, you know what's going to air, when it's going to air. Why do you not format your live show to be built around their tape show? Where you where you have your stuff set up, where you know where you you can take them down. Hmm. You know, you know what they're running yeah. when they're running it. I mean, you look at some of these matchups they got in these in these quarter hours. And I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> Telling you, it's just crazy. Any thoughts on the ratings? Um. Okay, let's see. Do we have both shows here? Okay, yes, I did pull up the spreadsheet that has the actual... Because I was trying to find this. You didn't have any actual households, just rating points, right? I got what Dave had. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it was a pretty... I mean, it's weird looking at how close it still was at this point. Like, I feel like people forget that Nitro was still winning well into 98. Well, yeah, I mean, they it's were winning the, all the... The warrior, the when warrior comes back, that's yeah. when they start back, start a winning streak here. But they fucked it up. All right. In the angle on Nitro, where, where Hogan found disciples asleep on the bathroom floor, and the steam came, you can actually see in the bathroom window a guy firing off a fire extinguisher. Oh, which you mentioned it. Well, no, yeah. I can just tell. But... You can tell, but we didn't, we didn't talk about, we didn't see it. We, I guess we weren't looking for it. Not nearly as lame as that Ed Leslie doll on the rafters. Actually, they could save some money by hiring Jason Sensation for WF. It just create dolls to people like Helwig and Piper who have big names and can't do good interviews anymore. He'll work cheaper, his interviews will be better, and he can do more believable angles. <laughs> After the taping, Bishop immediately flew to Japan to appear on the Yokohama Arena show and give each fan his book to try to turn their business around. <laughs> The Nitro Plus segment must be dying as they cut the price for the next one from three ninety nine to one ninety nine. Let's see. For free, you can watch Nitro and hear Shivani, Tanay, and Heenan, or you can pay and listen to Lee Marshall. Most importantly, you miss every mug root beer commercial on the pay-per-view. This is... Dave's, 
they they Lee Marshall is only on there when they go to break. If the matches and matches in progress and they go to break, then Lee Marshall picks up the announcing. This is the direct TV he, gimmick. Yes, the monthly thing. Yeah. yeah, we had the regular Nitro feed. Yeah, but anytime something was happening during the breaks, Lee Marshall would pick up the announcing. Which is weird. Why did they? Why didn't they just have the regular announcers do it? I guess they were so used to them doing the doing the break and then being on yeah. break. I don't know. But yeah, I always bought these. I bought every one of them. So, but you don't have the tapes of them anymore, do you? Uh, not the complete shows. No, I I only recorded segments. I mean, because a lot of that stuff isn't out there, though. So I'm curious what you have. Well, I mean, that, when when I did my tapes to DVD. I never put that on DVD, and then when I read, I, when I put tapes in boxes, they're not in the order that they're originally in. I just do them in bo- the boxes. So I, I, you're not sure where it is. I don't know. All right, Saturday night was taped on September 22nd, Amherst, Massachusetts, for a crowd of about three thousand. All the results are elsewhere, and it was so bad, that, but it isn't worth wasting space on. The only good match of three hours was Human Two Guerrero beat Chavo Jr. The TV main event for September 26th was Stevie Ray and Vincent against the British Bull and Jim Neidhart. And October 3rd, Steve Ray versus DDP. Rex King worked as a jobber for Scott Pusky and didn't look bad. And then September 26th, Saturday night fell to a 1.8 rating. Mm. Although we all love 1998, WCW Saturday night. So there you go. Yeah. Um, let's see here. All right. So I'll pull this up. Let's just see if I, what kind of matches took place in this show. All right. Okay. We have Fit Finley over Lenny Lane, Mike Enos over Bull Payne, Scott Steve Armstrong over the Power Company, Van Hammer over Mike Tolbert, Juventud Guerrero over Chavo Jr., Raph over the dog, Al Green, Disco Inferno last right over Disorderly Conduct, Ming over Demian Seis, Horace Boulder over Nick Densmore, and Steve Reinvented over Bulldog and Anvil. And then on the October 3rd, Saturday night, you have Perry Stadden over Sergeant Billy Parker, Hugh Morris over Viana 5, Rick Steiner over the Renegade, Scott Pusk over Rex King, during the match, Chucky's laugh could be heard, Raven and Canyon over the Armstrongs, where Rocky King was referee, this is that era, Norman Smiley over Barry Horowitz, Ernest Miller over Bobby Blaze, Lenny Lane over Lash LaRue, Jerry Flynn over Cyclope, Conan over Vincent, and DDP over Stevie Ray. Great. Yeah, that... Those are, are interesting matches for Saturday night, but boy, the star power on that show is... Oof. Not there. Thunder! On September 24th, at Norfolk, Virginia, drew a sell of 8,858. 81.53, paying 154.630. The show drew a 3.42 rating and a 5.4 share against the season openers of Friends and Frasier, among others. That's actually not that bad, considering. You know? Yeah. Replay did a 1.0 and a 4.1 share. Rating was below par, but the show has, with a few exceptions, been below par for a long time. Show with a few matches today for the October 1st show. DDP overloading. Mike Enos went to no contest with Jerry Flynn when Scott Hall showed up drunk, beat both guys up. Kane over Scotty Riggs and Raph over Cyclope. Live show opened up with Rick Steiner over Hugh Morris at 229 with a bulldog top. 
Ernest Miller of a Nick Dinsmore with a round kick in 141. Perry Stanner over Psychosis in 751 with a frost splash. For whatever reason, this wasn't supposed to be the finish. But referee Billy Silverman counted three anyway, even though Psychosis kicked out. And Saturn reacted as if he expected to kick out and was mad about the finish being screwed up. Right in an interview, called Shivani a pig and out of shape. An out of shape, overweight loser. Did he call him mid, too? <laughs> See, uh, all these guys in AEW are ripping off Oz Wright's stick. How about that? Um, he then challenged Fit Finley, Norma Smiley, and Davey Boy Smith. Dave guesses to determine who's the best European wrestler in WCW. Smiley's never been built from Europe in the first place. Suddenly pinned the Barbarian with a tombstone at 448. Page interview. He was cheered even though he was wrestling Goldberg. A Bud Day, Gene Oakland tried to compare his match with Page with Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa. Well, it's topical. Raven beat Bianca 5 with a DDT in 216. Yes. They hyped this as a grudge match because of the entry to Viano 4, who was legitimately hurt, sent to the hospital, but was already back in the ring on September 25th, Bix. I thought you said he was out for all them months. What happened here? At least wrestling data has him out. Then they squashed Viano 5 quickly. Caitlin, in a fortunate situation, hand you an angle without, like, Bagwell, just stabbing in the back because it wasn't your idea to start with. Viano forced back on the injured list. Apparently went to Baltimore and Fairfax to the idea that all he was going to do was set up switching spots with his brother in tags. However, in Fairfax, he got a little enthusiastic. Since they were having a good match, he started doing high spots and re-injured his neck. Uh, yeah, it was uh, Sikosa, Supercolo, and Zuby against Silver King and the Vianos. After the match, who, uh, excuse me, Disco beat Chavo with Paul Driver in 7.30. Best match on the show. After the match, Hoobie came out with a piece of paper, and apparently Disco had forged his weight on it. They brought out a scale, and Disco supposedly weighed over the cruiser limit. Then they raised Chavo's hand. Shivati said that was the first time in pro wrestling history he'd ever seen such a thing. There's probably a good reason for that. Right, being normal smile with a net breaker in 6.08. Horseman came out, and yes, for the sixth straight show, Arn Anderson was in the highest rated segment. Steve Ray had like he was going to stop them. So to Dillinger, Dillinger turned his back, let him go out. Ray just walked behind the curtain, and Arn hit him with a tarn. A tarn! Goldberg kept the title, beating Canyon in 21 seconds after that. Thunder, everybody! Sounds skippable. Giant Sting both no-showed Utica on the 23rd when they were scheduled for a singles main event. Giant missed due to a rib injury. Sting due to personal problems. They flew in Rick Steiner, and the main event ended up being Luger and Steiner beating Scott Hall and Stevie Ray. That's a big difference in matches. Amherst for Saturday Night Tamers drew 1437, paying 31698. Baltimore House Show drew 10,076, paying 249,760. Fairfax, 7973, paying 216,712. Amherst was the first, the first genuinely poor house in months. Well, no, they had nobody on the damn show. Reports of Baltimore Fairfax for both shows were really bad, with the exception of the solid Hoovie Silver King Oper in Baltimore and a very good Hoovie Sakosis Kolo versus Viana Silver King match in Fairfax. Hall replaced Hart, storyline reasons, against Sting in Baltimore with Sting winning. The only notable thing about that is Scott Hall is saying there's going to be a big party at the hotel after the show and asked all the young women to ask for Scott Hall and all the quote unquote fags to ask for Kevin Nash. Wow. Oh, wow. Okay. Talk about the stuff you can't get away with in 2022. <laughs> Man. No. Goldberg beats the Giant two minutes in the main event. Goldberg Giant was the advertising main event for Fairfax. But with Giant being hurt, he was switched to a tag with Luger and Nash over Giant and Stevie Ray. 
where Stevie basically worked the entire match. Brett beat Scott on two minutes with a sharpshooter with Hall just so like he was drunk and heart winning easily. Fans cheered Brett's win, but then booed after uh, almost that they realized they hated the idea of such a short match. And then Goldberg picks Sting in the main event. Merchandise for the week, which includes Nitro in Boston on the 21st, was $3.80 or $7.04 per head. Well, these house shows, good lord, what a disaster. Yeah. And this affected WCW just as much as anything else. Mm-hmm. You know? I mean, you had these matches build that's taking place on your show. They're, they're big main events, and then you don't deliver. Fans are going to be pissed. Rightfully so. Of course. Especially if it's Goldberg at this point in time. It was a major star. All right. Uh, uh, quick hits. New York Times on September 25th ran a story about the decline in Monday Night Football ratings. Off 11% from last year so far. And did list the popularity of pro wrestling as a key reason. I think there was truth to that. The TV show Extra had a segment on Goldberg heavily playing up the Jewish angle. Not as an angle, but the, you know, story of his yes, background. Yes, yes, yes. Latest word has it that Sandman starts around December and Vampiro, who's going to start at Halloween Havoc, won't be in until January. Vampiro has convinced the bookers to give him a huge push. and He was going to drop from the ceiling a la Sting at Havoc. But it appears Bischoff totally nixed that idea since he has Warrior in the rafters. And we'll say the dropping from the ceiling gimmick for the black and white stain deal. So now there are basically no ideas for Vampiro. Meanwhile, Sandman definitely can't use Enter the Sandman for his ring entrance, drink beer, or smoke cigarettes. He probably can't use the cane. Although they may realize he needs to and change that one. He's supposed to start in about a month as they want him to rest up and heal from all the poundings. And get in the shape. I mean, yeah, I mean, it was obvious to every, I, I think everybody that, you know, was a Sandman fan or watched him in ECW that he was not going to be, no, you know, not that guy. Yeah. He was going to be a, a close version of it, but not that guy with all the, the, the bells and whistles. And in the ring, he was a much better version of that guy. Yeah, he was. Definitely. the best ring run ever. Yeah. So. He didn't wrestle on Rosh Hashanah either. <laughs> Or Yom Kippur. Telemundo is shopping around for a Hispanic-oriented television show to compete with the proposed WF show in Univision. The problem is, once again, with WCW, and there have been negotiations on and for a long time, is that Telemundo doesn't want to show with the stars or the show with the jobbers on the other shows. Well, good luck with that, Telemundo. The intermittent laughter on TV shows some kind of cross-promotion for an upcoming Child's Play movie with the Chucky character. You need to do that week with the, the promo eventually. It's amazing how much Chucky had been involved in wrestling over the last 25 years, isn't it? Yeah. There's some push to get Harry Mysterio Jr. put into the Wolfpack. Yeah, look that way. <laughs> Never happened. Yeah. Some talk of Terry Taylor returned to the ring and invisible underneath rolls a heel. Some talk of. Among who? <laughs> <laughs> well, this is the Observer, Vic. So Terry Taylor's not talking to Dave now, yeah. remember? I wonder if Paul the W. Taylor is in there. <laughs> Paul Worthen Taylor. <laughs> they're adding a few new... They're, they're a, <laughs> all right, okay. They're adding a few new Nitro girls. Inter Wait, so did this come directly after the Terry Taylor thing in The Observer? No. <laughs> okay, did you do that on purpose, though? I did do it on purpose, but it just happened to fall that way. Okay. Um, <laughs> he does work some house show matches. 
he, he, he doesn't work a enough. Lot of enemies. He doesn't work enough in my mind. Damn. All right. Um. Yeah. This is the. This is basically what ends up uh, leading to Stacey Keebler joining the Nitro Girls in the end. So there you go. These uh, tryout deals. The Chris Jericho ring interest where he gets lost and goes out the wrong door is based on the spots from the Rob Reiner movie Spinal Tap from about 10 years ago. And we close with this. Bret Hart is for the torch. Bret Hart had a hallmark moment in his Calgary Sun Wrestling column this weekend. He wrote, I hope when people look back, the screw job won't overshadow my accomplishments and that the way I carry myself in the aftermath will serve as an example for anyone to whom life deals a cruel and unjust blow. Get up, dust yourself off, and go on. Look back only to find strength in your experience, but don't dwell on the whys of self-pity. Only the guilty should lose time haunted by the sins of yesterday, not the victims. Brad said if Hogan's upset Warrior left WF before he could get a rematch against him, Hogan should remember he ran at WF at the WrestleMania 9 before he, Brad, could have a match against him. And Brad appeared on a radio show in Washington, Washington D.C. where he called Vince Man a piece of shit, which aired without being bleeped, and he said his movie will prove McMahon screwed him. Which totally contradicts his whole Calgary Sun column, doesn't it? Which part? Well, Brett's on the TV show, you know, I mean, radio show, just going off about Vince, but then the column, he's like, well, you know, maybe we need to move on and blah, 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 you know? I guess. But anyway. <laughs> I love that shot at Hogan, huh? Well, oh. you left it. You look for I can get, get my rematch or my match against you. <laughs> So anyway, yeah. well, that was also a manipulation by Vince. So who knows what the hell was going on with that? That's WCW, and that's the show for the week. Yes, it is. Next week on Between the Sheets, we have a Patreon requested show. Who's our patron, Bix? I don't know his shoot last name, Eric. Uh, at just exists here on Twitter. The former tr- <laughs> of many years ago, the former Travis Blackthorn in Northeast Indies and. All that who used to be in the Death Valley Driver chat. Yes, long time ago, and uh, he wants us to go back to 2005. And the main reason he wants us to do that is yes, Samoa Joe and Kentakabashi. Yes, because both yeah. of us were there. And uh, yeah. oh, and, and I should on. add the other thing too is he's the promoter of Bloodstorm Pro that runs shows at the uh, Matt Trank Treatment School. So there's that. But go ahead. So we'll talk about that. We'll talk about Kenikabashi's weekend in Ring of Honor, which we have uh, him against Samoa Joe, and then the big tag match that took place uh, with uh, Homicide and uh, Homicide and Loki. I I forget who was on which team though. Homicide and Loki. Yes, it's uh, Kabashi and Homicide against Loki and Samoa Joe. Right, because they wanted Key with Kabashi because they were both Noah guys. Right, Right. Yes. So we'll talk about that. Also, uh, that weekend, Jim Cornette makes his Ring of Honor debut. We'll talk about that. Um, and all the other stuff that took, uh, took place on those shows. Lots of stuff going on there, including Claudio Casanoli showing out on those shows. The first ever TNA on Spike TV. Yes, the first impact on Spike. We'll talk about that. And uh, what a show that was. So we'll, we'll have uh, Brian Alvarez's thoughts on that. And we got all kinds of TNA news. We'll have Dave's thoughts on the show as well. But TNA is a big section next week. So we got a lot of TNA stuff to talk about. Oh, we go international. We got uh, news of Richie Parson, Dave Milliken making a new IWGP belt for New Japan. 
We got all the uh, organizations running shows, including Wrestle One, with quite the wild show, and all kinds of indie scum shows to talk about. We got the 1PW promotion debuting in England. We'll talk about that. We got um, AAA TV tapings. We got a pretty big show in Mexico to talk about. We got uh, a very small U.S. indie scene, one of the smallest we've ever done, because all the top indie guys are working elsewhere. And we have World Wrestling Entertainment. Raw Homecoming is next week. So, yes, we'll be talking about that. And what could have been one of the biggest coups in combat sports history. Mike Goldberg almost signs with World Wrestling Entertainment. All that and more next week on Between the Sheets. I thought one of the biggest coups in combat sports history is Kevin. (laughs) And we'll talk about the best TV show that Dave Meltzer watched the entire week. And it wasn't anything you might expect. Well, you, you might. You could probably think it. But, yes, it's something that you might not expect. All that more next week on Between the Sheets. All right, Bix, thanks as always. You're the rock of the show. And this is Chris Ansolon from the Peach State of Georgia. Troubled by the horrible ass 
everyone, and welcome to Between the Sheets, Patreon Special Edition number 71. I'm your host, Chris Zellner, joined as always by my host, David Bix and Span and Bix. It's finally time to break away from Titan Gate 92 and go into a new direction. Thankfully. Yes. So, uh, for those of you that have probably been hearing, tired of hearing us talk about pedophilia and other stuff like that, sexual depravity, which there have been some that I've gotten those messages from. So I'll be glad when you get done with this, but that was a very important series we had to do. Yes. And uh, I'm glad we did it. But yes, I agree. I mean, it's time to talk about some some lighter things and, and uh, some more fun things to talk about. And what's more fun to talk about than 2000 WCW, huh? Well, not on screen, but... <laughs> Well, on screen could be a time. But we're not talking but, uh, about on screen. No, we're not. We're behind the scenes in business and talking about all the stuff going on with the various suitors of World Championship Wrestling at this time. All right, let's move up a week now as we go to the week of October the 9th, 2000. We got multi channel news October 9th, Business Wire October 11th. BrewWrestleTorch.com, October 11th, and Torch and Observer Newsletters, October 16th. And we begin with WCW May Work With Rival by R. Thomas Umstead of Multi-Channel News. Mandalay Sports Entertainment, World Wrestling Federation Entertainment are both talking to Turner Broadcasting System about possibly buying its beleaguered World Championship Wrestling Organization. WFE, a more successful for wrestling promotion, might be a long shot to buy its rival. But sources say the comp- competitors could team up for several pay-related events in the near future. Sources said that Mandalay Sports was close to wrapping up the, du- the WCW with its former president, Eric Bischoff, heading the company. A deal could be reached as early as October 17th, after WCW official WCW executives, excuse me, a return from Australia, where they currently produce, currently are producing several WCW cable shows, including Monday Night Show Live. The source said the deal was contingent on TBS's continued distribution of WCW programming through its cable services. And Mandalay Sports representative would only say that while no deal is imminent, we are always interested in adding properties to our portfolio that will expand our presence and position in the field of sports entertainment. If a deal was reached, Mandalay would inherit a company that struggled to effectively compete against the profit of the World Wrestling Federation. Industry sources say the company has lost between 50 and 70 million this year alone. A Turner spokeswoman would only say there was the company would not comment on rumors or speculation involving any part of our business. Sources said WFE obtained the option to match any WCW purchase price as part of a settlement in reached this year with TBS over copyright infringement claims. Both have filed claims against the other several years ago. But WFE has his hands full with his own shows and upcoming launch of the XFL Football League. More likely is a joint working relationship between WFE and the eventual WCW owner, possibly on future pay-per-view events. That would likely only come about if WFE obtained a stake in WCW, sources said. WFE executives will not comment on what it calls rumors and speculation. Industry observers say any, point, any joint ventures between the two organizations would generate huge interest from wrestling fans and would boost interest in the WCW. WS Monday Night Raw's Wars regularly beats WCW's Monday Nitro. Even Raw's recent shifts to TNN, the national network, from USA Network didn't change that equation. During the week ending October 1st, the two-hour Raw block averaged 5.45 ratings compared to Nitro's 3.2. His spirit is even greater on the pay-per-view side. WF averages around a 1.355 rate on monthly events, while WCW's have been as low as 0.2. So here we have talk of not WWFE buying the company on a whole, but being a joint 
uh, you know, partner of the new owners at WCW. And I'm reading this, I'm like, no fucking way. <laughs> you, I mean, honestly, would you think that Vince McMahon would go for that shit? Or a Super Bowl joint, of wrestling or whatever? Joint? Yeah. No, it's either all or nothing. Vince would want to own the, the whole shebang. He's not yeah. joining with nobody. I mean, come on now. Yeah. <laughs> Let's get serious. This is a little bit of a weird one here. Uh, but how about Mandalay? Well, we'll get more on that in a minute. How about Mandalay saying no deal is imminent? Did we just hear a week earlier that deal was going to be announced as soon as maybe as early as October the 4th? Mm-hmm. How about. You're getting a lot. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. I so said you're getting a lot of. <sighs> You're getting a lot of talk here, and it has to immediately be backtracked, you know? Yeah, how about both WWFE and Turner specifically using the term rumors and speculation? Well, this is what, what, what it tells me, Bix, is that, this again, this is Eric Bischoff. Eric Bischoff is running his mouth to, to the newsletters, you know, with this full confidence, and it's not he, – he, should, he shouldn't have that. Because nothing is actually, you know, that deep in the works, obviously. But he's going out there talking about, who, you know, who he's going to get rid of and this, that, and the other, and blah, blah, blah. It's Bischoff and Hervey out there doing all this shit. They're the two names you hear, you know? Yeah, and also it seems like Wade is going to learn from this more than Dave in the coming months. Mm-hmm. All right, so let's go to press release. Mandalay Sports Entertainment squelches rumors regarding the purchase of WCW, released by Business Wire. Mandalay Sports Entertainment issued the following statement today, putting an end to the rumors that the premier national sports entertainment provider was in discussion to purchase World Championship Wrestling. While Mandalay Sports Entertainment enjoys an excellent relationship, working relationship with WCW and Eric Bischoff, we are presently and have never been in discussions to acquire the organization. Let's continue. Excellent for Manly Sports flat out denies the interest in buying WCW by Wade Keller. One cable industry source responds to the business wide release. I don't buy it for a second. They're feeling the heat for the buzz and want to calm things down until next week when they have a chance to get the deal done. Media sources from Electronic Media to Multi Channel News, a TV guide have all reported Mandalay's interest in acquiring WCW. Another industry source says Mandalay technically isn't in line to buy WCW, but somebody else with deep pockets and some way affiliated with them is. Mandalay will then be hired by that new ownership group to run major elements of the company. Brad Siegel's at WCW headquarters in Smyrna, Georgia this morning for the first time this week. But has already left for the day. He was not in the office on Monday or Tuesday. He had yet to address the front office staff with any official update on the status of WCW. Real quick before we get to the thrust of this, before I for, uh, forget. Moving WCW out of CNN Center to Smyrna probably did not help matters in general, did it? In terms of no. all of a sudden they're out on their own island, it's, it, people are going to be a lot more detached about laying them off and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that happened when, 97, early 98? Yeah. But anyway. All right. Okay, let me look at this wording again. <laughs> Not presently and never have been in discussions to acquire the organization. Now, here's the thing. No, here's the thing. No, here's the thing. What Wade says is right, you know, from his source. We, I mean, you see this a lot, you know, in the past and even after this, where you have this denial of something's going to happen. 
and then a week later it happens. Well, UFC and Endeavor it, is the big one. Well, I mean, not just that, but like athletes and signing signing with sure. uh, teams and for agency or stuff like that. I mean, you see this stuff happen all the time where their possibilities are they're, they're trying to squelch those possibilities. They're trying to you know get take a little heat off of it. You know, that's part that's part of the deal. There is it's a throw people off the scent. I mean, everybody knows what's going on, but I mean, <laughs> this one though is interesting because it's pretty blunt about it. It's very emphatic. Yes. It seems like wait, at wait. least going forward, it seems like they might be telling the truth. I don't know about ever. Yeah. Yeah, definitely interesting. All right, well, let's go to Dave. With his wrestlers in Australia and his front office personnel in the total state of uncertainty, media reports continue hot and heavy regarding a potential imminent sale of World Championship Wrestling. While virtually all reports listed Bad Elite Sports as the bribe suitor with the group headed by Eric Bischoff, most of the talk over the weekend involved a long shot in the deal, which had been rumored for some time, the potential of the World Wrestling Federation buying out a long-time competitor, particularly after a story on October 9th of multi-channel news. Based on sources very close to the details of potential sale, no deal has been reached. Or finalize the press time. Both companies and perhaps others are involved in various degrees of negotiations to purchase the company for Turner Broadcasting, which has owned the company since buying that Jim Crocker promotions in late 1988. Those close to negotiations expect the deal finalized within the next two weeks. Due to all the uncertainty among the talent, Terry Taylor called Brad Siegel from Australia and held a meeting on October 8th for talent. At the meeting, Taylor said Siegel had told him that there were four companies looking to buy the promotion, mentioning Mandalay Sports and Bischoff, along with groups from Japan, Germany, and France. WF was never mentioned. Taylor also said Siegel said it was not a given the company would even be sold, but they're entertaining the offers. Kevin Nash tried to jerk through the meeting, noted immediately that the last time Siegel addressed rumors of an impending sale, they said the company was not for sale, basically ruined the credibility of everything that was said. While some talent had certainly heard the McMahon rumors for at least a week, when the talent left on October 4th from Los Angeles to Australia, all the talk regarded the Bischoff buying the company, which caused a misreaction, and most had not heard anything serious if anything at all, about a possible sale to WFE. Some of the current team in charge and direction of the product was a loser and were excited to get on with the business fresh with at least a new direction. Others, particularly those who have worked with Bischoff in the past, remember the periods both when business was strong and when it wasn't, as far as dealing with Bischoff himself, who was generally knocked on for having poor skills and skills in dealing with talent. And others, because me and the rest of the Lord of Vince Russo for their first break and were believed that Russo would be gone if Bischoff's hired, weren't happy because of the belief Bischoff would build around the wrestlers Russo had taken off television and their personal TV time would be cut back. Vince McMahon nor any other WWF sources either confirmed denying any interest in acquiring WCW or negotiations haven't taken place. Those close to negotiations themselves indicate there's been interest by WWF, but the general feeling for numerous reasons that the group headed by Bischoff at this point appears to be the favorite. It's believed that Bischoff Mandalay Group would be composed of outside financing and would create a new company run by Bischoff himself to run the wrestling in. Bischoff is said to have been able to sell the idea that there's a lot of money to be made in the pay-per-view merchandising and licensing of a well-run well wrestling product. Observer sources indicate reports of SFS, which had looked into buying the company earlier this year, being part of the Bischoff Group, are incorrect. Several published reports of the Bischoff Group being able to negotiate an interpromotional angle with WF leading to join pay-per-view shows are also believed to be something that would be next to impossible. It also been rumored throughout wrestling reporting in the multi-channel news article that WFE has the right to match any purchase offer as part of its settlement with Turner Broadcasting and WCW in the copyright infringement lawsuit. The lawsuit settlement has been sealed, but there are indications that story may not be accurate, although it's certainly been rumored within wrestling for some time. 
Man, man, in the early 90s, when the gap between the two companies was closer than it is today, turned down several offers from WCW for doing an interpromotion angle, including offers by WCW giving him complete creative control in the booking of the angle, which would have allowed him to book his own company superiority and put the feud as one side as he would have liked. WCW, everybody. It was that Turner Broadcasting is an assistant, no matter who the company is sold to, that it would remain, it would retain the primetime television shows on its two stations. TNT for the next 18 or so months for that station changed its focus. And Nitro would be expected to move to TBS and TBS, but once out of the financial obligations of the company as a whole because it would it could impede the Time Warner AOL merger. On the surface, with the start of XFL in February, as well as starting a new record label and other new divisions, it seems WFE has enough on its plate without attempting to rebuild a faltering brand. The current rate of WCW's losses, $70 million this year, combined with the projected XFL losses from WFE's 50% ownership, $40 million, would exceed expected WFE profits for this year. Estimating the low $70 million range, which could result in yet another unfavorable reaction on Wall Street coming off the heels of the drop in stock prices last week. On the positive side for WF, if a man were to purchase a company, he would get the satisfaction of buying out Ted Turner, who he had a longtime hatred of, and find that after 18 years having the real monopoly of the North American pro wrestling industry that has been his apparent goal from the start, as he already has a working relationship with ECW. He'll be able to move Nitro from Monday, which would increase the ratings on Raw, at least theoretically. He would be able to have more hours of television time to sell. He'd be able to do an interpromotional angle, although the idea of doing that one right now with WCW in the state it's in would be one year early. That's a company needs to be rebuilt. That's just straight WF pay-per-view shows with current WF angles. At this point, would do more business than any interpromotional matches. As the only WCW wrestler who could draw bigger business to top WF names than they already could do with each other, Bill Goldberg needs to be rebuilt first. He can also trade wrestlers back and forth, creating big raids on each side that could lead to an overall gain in interest level. That's what occurred in 1995 to 1988 boom period, where both companies fighting garnered a huge increase in the number of wrestling fans overall, a number that has dropped significantly over the past year. It would be in his best interest to keep the companies separate, a strategy he decided against in 1984 when he purchased a majority interest in George Chancha Wrestling, at the time of the supply of wrestling program on TBS, and promptly folded the company, buried the few wrestlers who he did get and purchase. Most of the wrestlers either went to the other NWA offices like the Carolinas, or remain in the area working for a new company, L.A. Anderson, and some of the GCW stockholders that didn't sell in the hostile takeover put together. Man Man put his own WF program and take from outside Georgia in his time slots, which resulted in the problems with Ted Turner and McMahon, which McMahon was able to make appear legendary in the press. For the first time since 1985, when he was about to get kicked off TBS, and then Jim Barnett brokered a deal to where he sold his rights to air wrestling on the station at Jim Crockett, McMahon would have control of all the major league wrestling and all the strongest stations broadcasting wrestling at one time. The belief is, should the unlikely scenario of a the company occur, Bischoff in 2001 would, with Fox, start a competing company using many wrestlers McMahon decides against using. The negative side is larger. McMahon and his creative staff have to produce several more hours more of first-run programming each week. There's also a situation involving the WCW contracts. The top wrestlers in the company are on the contract to turn a broadcasting and not with WCW. Fix. The deals, at least as it pertains to guaranteed money and fewer numbers of days per year, are far superior on paper to WF contracts. Even though the WF business is booming as it is, the top WF performers are earning as much as the highest paid WCW performers. It's believed that Dwayne Johnson this year will earn more than Terry Balea, although the gap is certainly closer than it should be given the amount of money each man respectively drew. While the WF dressing room, mainly composed of younger wrestlers, is a harder working and more harmonious dressing room than the company has ever had. The idea that wrestlers who perceive themselves as being loyal to the company would have weaker contracts than others who are basically seen as lazy and did nothing but kill the other company would create a terribly divisive attitude. It's believed the odds of Vince Russo remaining and Father Bischoff and McMahon get control of the product are small. 
unless the entire Russo-Bischoff split was a work. The angle where Hogan beat Jarrett, who laid down Russo telling him to, was almost surely a work. But what happened after that point was more open to speculation. To create a Hogan-Russo angle, angle, at which point Russo's credibility with the wrestlers would be shot. He would seem doomed in the company Hogan would have a major role in, in what appears to be a total lack of faith in his ability from Bischoff. If it wasn't an angle, walked away to give Russo full control with the belief he would be a miserable failure. Me and the rest are still support him despite the numbers. Although his support among those in the office is nil because of those same numbers. Oh, I scrolled down way too far. Just a second. Scroll back up. Uh, he gave the younger guys television time. And he's actually popular because of dead house show business has resulted in fewer days on the road for the wrestlers. And he removed unpopular wrestlers like Hogan, DP, and Lance Luger from the key spots. And gave many of the wrestlers their first break. Some even championed his cause based on clinging to the belief that it's probably work with Hogan, which has been designed to start to parse around the wrestlers around them when Hogan's blessing and worked the boys. This is Hogan gave Nash in 1998 when he took over his book and returned for Hogan getting a vacation and coming back strong on his own terms when returning was actually legitimate from start to finish. Most of the company, even the listeners of WCW Live, which Russo appeared on several times in the past week, got the impression Russo believed his days were numbered. His final appearance gave everyone the impression he was desperately kissing the McMahon looking for a way back. Something that would be difficult given the front office and some of the wrestler reaction to Russo's statements while leaving of the past year and the general satisfaction among those on the other side through his falling flat on his face. Russo himself has said he expected the sale to go through this past week, which explains his actions, including not going on a trip to Australia. Russo had told people that he, if he didn't go to Australia, there would be a staff meeting on October the 6th. The buzzer informed of a meeting, and Russo didn't return to Atlanta, having stayed out west to see the San Francisco Giants versus New York Mets playoff series. All right, Bix. Dave uh, wrote a lot there, so uh, what's got your eye here? Ooh, let's see. So everyone's been saying that Vince has right of first refusal or matching rights or whatever on any sale. Um, and like we said earlier, I don't think this is ever 100% confirmed anywhere, right? Uh, no. I don't think it's in any of the WWE documentaries or anything. So, I don't know. Yeah. Um, do you think Vince would have been... I mean, it's Vince. He would have been hands-on with the new WCW, right? I don't know. That's the thing. That's, what, that's the question I brought up before with the XFL. He's going to be so busy with XFL, he probably would not be as hands-on with WCW. That's probably giving it a better chance of succeeding. He probably does let it have more of its own staff. Well, here's the other thing. <laughs> he used a lot of the creative team on the XFL, too. Yeah. You know, the Bruce Pritchard podcast XFL episode goes into that in detail. So yeah. that's a fair point from you there. That might have actually worked out for the better. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, I mean, you wouldn't have had all this shit going on, so he probably would bring in different people to run WCW, although he would have to have somebody of his choosing be the head, you know, to be the, the final say if, if it wasn't going to be him, because he wouldn't have time. And what's the story, you know, about how early 2001 WF has all this great stuff going on, because he's not there. Mm-hmm. He's not as hands-on, and remember we did that 2001 show, on the main show late, recently, we're talking about how things he has started taking more of a cre you know, hold a creative again in the summer of two thousand and one, and that's when all the shit starts happening. Yeah. 
you know? Yeah. Um, what else do we have here? Uh, Vince did not fold Georgia Championship Wrestling. He kept the company he, alive on paper for like two years. The show was called Georgia Championship Wrestling. That too. When they went to the studio, that's what it was called. Yeah, it was called World Championship Wrestling for the first however many months, and then for that last month, it was Georgia Championship Wrestling. Yeah. Now, as far as also the the split with Vince and Ted, um, at least what WWF told Electronic Media at the time, was that it was a dispute over the advertising time and the promotional stuff, where... Turner thought that the there was a certain amount of promotional time that was allotted to the promoter. Turner's under the impression that that just means, you know, local promos and the like. Vince is under the impression he can just resell that ad time himself as part of his network. And that that's what the dispute was over and that there were financial issues coming from that. And at the time, no one from TBS commented. So... Even then, that's also just, that's the WWF version contemporaneously, too. You know, none of the other stuff we ever hear about from them later. Um, and then as far as coming back to 2000, it's not like we're learning that much new here. <laughs> I mean, it's little, it's like it's kind of clarifying bits and pieces from earlier, almost. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, let me see if there's anything else that caught my eye here. Um, it, it, there's clearly something up, but there's a lot of weird stuff going on because it seems like Mandalay might be out. I think there's a division among Mandalay. I think there's a group in Mandalay that Bischoff is part of that's you know wanting to get this deal done. And there are other forces in Mandalay that are like, oh, I don't know if we need to do this. That's kind of the way it feels, yeah. And so you got the Bischoff side of things going in the media talking their shit, and then you got the other side talking their shit. And then the company saying, no, we haven't been talking to them about a sale at all. Well, that's the thing. There's probably more of a united front in the company. Yeah. You know? The wrestling, that's the non-wrestling people. You know what I'm saying? The wrestling right. people like Bischoff and Jason Hervey are going out there blabbing to everybody. You know, talking about this, this is a done deal, blah, 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 blah. But the business side of the company is like, no, we'll, we'll work. We can work with you, but we're not going to own it. You know, because we had that here. It said that if even if WF bought it, they there's a possibility that they would still work with WF and helping promote the product. Which I don't buy, and Dave doesn't seem to buy. And but that seems that that's coming from the non-Bischoff side of things uh, to me. Yeah, well, we're about to get a lot more on the WWF side, so why don't we just move on now to that to the all right week of uh, October sixteenth. To hear this entire show, support between the sheets on Patreon for just five dollars per month. Go to patreon.com/slash/between-the-sheets.